Tuesday, January the 11th, 2022. I had to literally stop the, the intro to this show three times because I said 2021. Yes, we are into 2022. Thanks for tuning in to another episode of That's What G Said podcast. Hope everyone had a nice weekend. Actually recording this late Monday, but all of you will uh, have it in uh, in your pod download it in your pod downloads on uh, on Tuesday and we are going to take a, a quick look at the NFL playoff schedule later this week we will have a really in-depth look at the first round of the playoffs I think they're calling it super wild card weekend now so the the schedule is out we'll get into that in just a minute we'll get some horse racing for Wednesday and for Thursday so for Wednesday we have some best bets for Gulfstream and for Penn National both of those tracks have stable dual contests so we'll give you some horses that you can bet throw into your uh, your wagers and also use in your stable dual lineups we're going to get to Thursday we'll run through the full card for Sam Houston Book of Boba Fett, Episode 2. We've got our deep dive recap scene by scene with Matt Velasco. So we'll get into Episode 2 of Book of Boba Fett. And we finish up with the history of the Royal Rumble with Darren Zocali. I love when we get the opportunity to do these segments where Darren joins me. We start 1988, the first ever Royal Rumble. We spend about five minutes on each Royal Rumble all the way up to 2021. And for every year, we talk about who won the Rumble, um, some of the key moments or memorable moments, some of the good matches on the undercard, and what was happening in the world of WWF slash WWE at the time. It's a really fun roll through history. If you're a wrestling fan, if you're someone who used to be a wrestling fan, you'll probably enjoy this because we don't really spend a bunch of time on any one show, but we give you a little cheat sheet on all the really good stuff that happened each year, who was dominant, stuff to remember. So the Royal Rumble is coming up. We take a look at the history of the Royal Rumble on this episode of That's What G Said that is presented by BetterThan.Vegas. At DTV Bets is the place to give them a follow on Twitter. We have so much great content coming up there. Better Than Vegas is a website that wants to help you become a better, better. Free content, free videos for all of you out there. They actually have a weekly contest that gives everybody the chance to win 250 bucks a week. Right now, with the Royal Rumble coming up, they're actually going to have a an additional contest. If you finish in the top 10 in the weekly showdown in the next couple weeks, you will get assigned an entrant in the women's rumble. So you'll get assigned a number, and uh, you know, you'll know you get 22. Whoever's at 22, if they come out and you win, you're going to win money. So they just try to give you money and, and, and make things easier for you as a gambler. Right now, we're going to have – we have had a preview show for every single football game throughout the year, fourth and inches. We've had preview shows every week of college football, preview shows for fantasy football – and now with football starting to wind down, we were, we are going to really be expanding all over. Mondays and Thursdays, we're going to be talking harness racing with Woodbine Mohawk. We had a show on Monday night where we previewed the early pick five. So if you're a standard bread fan, every Monday, every Thursday, I'll be talking the early pick five from Woodbine Mohawk. Come hang out with us. We'll, uh, get deep into that early pick five sequence. Everything going on in uh, college basketball, we'll check in every uh, Saturday morning with Cutting Nets. And you can get all of these live shows. They're free. All you have to do is go on Twitter. I stream all of them from my Twitter. We stream all of them from BTV Bets. They're all free. 
They're great to just toss on in the background if you're going to be betting and playing sports throughout the day. Get a listen as to what all of the crew thinks, some of the games that they like. Maybe there's one or two that you were thinking about playing and then they kind of mentioned a few other angles or a few other things that pushed you in the right direction. You're going to have some fun. We have some crazy characters there over at betterthan.vegas. Let's take a look at the NFL playoff schedule. So, yeah, they're calling this, I think, Super Wild Card Weekend. We have games on Saturday, Sunday, and Monday. Monday playoff game for the first time. So we have Saturday at 4.30 Eastern Time. Vegas Raiders at Cincinnati. The Bengals opened up as a six and a half point favorite over under in that game, 49. Then the late Saturday game at 8.15 Eastern Time. You've got the Patriots at the Bills. Bills four and a half point favorite in that game to open and the total 43 and a half. Then on Sunday, you've got Philly at Tampa. Tampa nine and a half point favorite. They're over under in that game, 49. And that game is at one o'clock. On Sunday. Then you got 430 San Francisco at Dallas. Cowboys were uh, minus three in that range over under 49 and a half. The Steelers, they were able to squeak in. They're a heavy, 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 heavy underdog as the Chiefs are a 13-ish point favorite over under 46 and a half. That is Sunday night, 815. So double header Saturday, triple header Sunday, playoff. Weekend uh, closes out on Monday. Arizona at the Rams. Rams in the four range. Over under in that game, 50 and a half. So we will have a couple guests. Eric will be on, uh, as always, this week. I'm going to probably get one or two more guests to give us some overall playoff thoughts, teams that they like, maybe to target futures, a couple games to look at this weekend. So we'll have a lot of NFL for you coming up this week. And we will get into all these games. We'll do our regular game previews. Plus, we will have the 4th and Inches preview shows like we've had for every single football game on Twitter at BTV Bets or it's me, Gino B. If you follow there, either one of those, you will have access to the live streams that are earlier in the day before the games for Saturday, Sunday, and Monday. We will have those coming up. NFL playoffs are here, folks. You know what else is here? Some horse racing right now on That's What G Said. Horse racing fans, many of us have been using the DRF, the daily racing form, for years, studying the races, keeping up to date on news with all the articles. I remember looking for a copy at the local liquor store or picking one up at the local racetrack, wherever I was going. Now it's even easier and cheaper than ever to use DRF with DRF.com and the newly optimized DRF Mobile. You can get all the tracks that you want to bet and handicap. Past performances that are mobile optimized for on-the-go handicapping on your phone. So you go to drf.com from your mobile device, no additional cost. Tap the calendar icon on the top left. It opens all of the options for past performances and for the tools that are available. 
one click to bet now and DRF bets, get real-time odds and scratches on race day. You can tap on any horse and you get those same DRF pass performances that you're familiar with with a larger font for your mobile display. One click to formulator for charts for replays if you get the formulator version and even on the classic past performances you get the home screen with horses with odds with buyers you get a lifetime buyer speed figure graph you can rotate your phone for the best view and any horse that you click on you'll see the running lines you can easily move from horse to horse the same data as those traditional classic DRF past performances you get an interactive format which is very similar to the DRF Classic version that you're used to on the desktop. Every card includes live data updated instantly with those scratches, and so you get the accessibility from desktop to phone, cross-device functionality. You can take your notes and save them from one device to the next and then access your account on any of your devices. On-the-go handicapping and wagering, multiple formats to view you got the overview page with recent speed figures current days odds easy access to expert selections and analysis you got the buyer speed figure graph with lifetime buyer speed figures and chart notes for every horse and you got those traditional drf pass performances that are just newly optimized for your mobile phones they are constantly upgrading improving and making everything easier for you to get your handicapping done at drf.com better you want to spread your pony knowledge Download the Stable Duel app and play today. It's a big Stable Duel week coming up. So let's talk about the schedule starting on Tuesday, January the 11th. You've got Mahoning Valley, Penn National, and Parks. Three tracks, four different contests, games from as low as 3 bucks all the way up to 100 On Wednesday, you've got Gulfstream, Penn National, and Tampa. Three tracks, four contests. There's a free game at Tampa. doesn't cost you anything to get in. And they have $500 in cash prizes. Games from as low as $15 all the way up to $50. On Thursday, Gulfstream and Sam Houston. Two different tracks. Four contests between those two. A free ride at Sammy Houston. Games from $10 all the way up to the $100 at Gulfstream Park in that bigger game. Then on Friday, don't forget about that early morning live stream every Friday, 10 a.m. Eastern Time. This weekend in Stable Duel, Barry and Matt join me, and we give out some plays for Friday, for Saturday. We talk all about the Stable Duel schedule for Friday and Saturday. That schedule on Friday, Gulfstream, Santa Anita, Tampa, Sam Houston, four tracks, games from 5 bucks all the way up to 100 and another free ride. So free rides on Wednesday, 
Thursday and Friday. Get involved in all of those free games. Doesn't cost you anything, and that's how you can build your bankroll there. Pick up a few bucks in those contests. You won't have to make any deposits. Then you get to Saturday with that big game, the Bash at the Bay, Tampa Bay. $50 game, $30,000 in prizes, plus Stable Duel will be live on track, live on site. They're going to have a party there uh, with food. You can go hang out with the with the whole Stable Duel crew. Find more information out on the website, StableDuel.com. You can also play at Gulfstream, Santa Anita, and Sam Houston on Saturday. The $5 game at Santa Anita is probably the uh, the low is the lowest option for you. And the big one, the $50 game at Tampa with $30,000 in prizes. Then on Sunday, Golden Gate, Gulfstream, Santa Anita. Three tracks, five contests at those three tracks. Games from 3 bucks all the way up to 200 And one more time, every Friday, this weekend in Stable Duel, we will have a show at 10 a.m., Eastern Time. It is live on Twitter. It doesn't cost you anything. It's totally free, and we'll be giving you out some best bets for Friday and for Saturday racetracks for the next couple months. It'll be a lot of Gulfstream, Santa Anita, Tampa, and Sam Houston, and we'll be talking about those Stable Duel games every weekend, so make sure to uh, check that out. And we're going to get into some horse racing right now. We have a couple plays at Gulfstream and Penn for Wednesday. And then we'll run through the Sam Houston Thursday card. So let's head on over to Gulfstream, get those past performances out. I've got three races we're going to look at. And we're going to look at races 3, 5, and 10. We get to the third. We've got Maiden $35,000 claimers. They're going to be going seven furlongs on the dirt there. So these are four-year-olds and up. I thought the four outworking, who's a first-time gelding now. You know, there, there's not a ton of early pace in here. This guy's going to cut back from his last couple where he went a mile and a mile and a 16th, cuts back to seven furlongs. This doesn't feel like the strongest group in the world. Now, a first-time gelding, drawn well, cuts back, out working. Looks like the looks like tape to tape is probably the other horse who would flash some speed in here. And you don't really know what you're going to get from Tinker ta- uh, Taylor. So I think outworking, being drawn to the outside of them is a positive and should be plenty fit on the cutback, outworking. Hopefully this horse is sitting like second or third here. And 7-2 to two on the morning line, anything around 3-1, to one, I'd make a win wager. Maybe treat this like an early exotic single. $7,500 in stable duel. Uh, that would be the price to use this one in your lineup. We get to... Race number five, $20,000 claimers. We're going to go to the synthetic in here. I'm looking at the four, Captain Thunder, who's 6-1 to one on the morning line, would cost you $5,000 to use in your stable duel lineup. If this guy is anything around 4-1, to one, I'll make a win wager on him. December the 15th, he was sitting fourth, fifth, but he was in between horses. He was only a couple lengths off. He kind of crept even closer, but he was... Not in a great spot. He was up on the heels of Rival. He was traveling really well, but you could tell he was blocked. He was surrounded. He finally got some room late. It was just way too late. And he ends up just missing second there. Now you're going to go second start off the short break. Second time for the Barn, who does a really good job with the limited stock. They have. They, just, they don't run a ton of numbers like some of the other big, big Barns, but they do really, really well with the, with the numbers that they put out there. Captain Thunder is going to be one of my stable dual plays for Wednesday at Gulfstream Park. This is in race number five. Let's move along. Final play on Wednesday is going to be in the 10th race, the number eight, 
12 o'clock rock. So this is another horse that's 6-1 to one on the morning line, so it cost you $5,000 to use in your stable dual lineup. I had the morning line pegged more like 7-2-ish, to two ish, so if we can get anything there, I think that's pretty fair. The turf races at Laurel were actually pretty good. The 5.5 race in the debut, there was some sneaky trouble there. Career start number 2, finished 3rd going a mile on the turf at Laurel behind a horse named Nicolar who came back to win an optional 25 next out. You had the blinks. You go back to the turf after getting a race under your belt on December the 19th. She should be ready to rock, should be fit, and I'm expecting a really good account of 12 o'clock rock, who is 6-1 to one on the morning line. If we can get anything around 7-2, to two, we'll make a win wager there. That is Gulfstream Park for Wednesday. We're going to head over to Penn National for Wednesday. They also have stable dual game on Wednesday night, and... Really solid game on uh, Wednesday. $25 game, 8000 in cash prizes. So that's Wednesday night. A ton of money up for grabs at Penn. We're going we're gonna to get involved. If, if we can play for that much money on a Wednesday night for just 25 bucks, let's give you a few plays to hopefully use in your stable dual lineup. So get your past performances out for Penn National for Wednesday. I'm going to be looking at races 2, 4, and 6. And this is uh, the 12th, January 12th, that we're looking at. The two, uh, race number two, open five claimers, six furlongs the distance. I like the six in here. Bride side of the road, a bright side of the road. Now, she's going to get off the inside. She's drawn down towards the rail in her last three starts. And with her running style where, you know, she's kind of a tracker, that's not the best spot to be in. You get kind of forced. You're not able to really do what you want. Now, she comes off of a win from down there last time out. But it, it's you're always sort of at the mercy of racing luck. I think just from a consistency standpoint, she's going to be able to fire her better shot when she's drawn more towards the outside. And she's really honest. She likes Penn. You know what you're going to get from her. In a stable duel situation, I think she's a great horse to use. And I think she's really nice to use in your early exotics. If she's anything... You know, around, I wouldn't want to take too short on her, but five to one is fine. If she's around five to one, let's make a win wager on her. She's six to one on the morning line, so that'll cost you 5,000 to use in your stable dual lineups. Bright side of the road. We get to race number four at Penn National. The number two, better yet, fits the conditions of this race really well. These are 6,250 claimers. Who have not won two races since July the 12th. Better yet, one on December the 1st, one on September the 24th, one on July the 21st. Has actually won three races in that time period, but a couple of them were at the 4,000 claiming level, so they're not eligible in you know when considering for this condition. So better yet is in pretty nice form compared to many in this field. Proven at Penn, proven at the trip, better Yet, who is five to one on the morning line? If we can get anything around seven to two, we'll make a win wager there. And better yet, it'll cost you six thousand in your stable dual lineup. Race number six is going to be my final of three for Penn National on Wednesday. Twelve five claimers here, six furlongs the distance. I'm looking at the four. Torazzo is. We just have a, another very consistent runner here. This is a nine year old who was third most recently against sixteen has just shown that he fits really well 
at this level. The the 12-5 handicap, you can see that that was a race where he was just in a little bit too tough. He was almost 30-1 to that day. Every other race that you see recently on the page for this barn has been really good. He had a solid 2021. He loves it here at Penn. He loves this trip. He just likes to win races overall. This is a very honest horse, and at 8-1, to it's only going to cost you 3000 to use in your stable dual lineup. And if we can get around 5-1, to we'll make a win wager there on the number 4 in race number 6 at Penn. That is Wednesday night over at Penn. Good luck on Wednesday if you're playing Golfstream, if you're playing Penn. Let's now head to Thursday. Let's take a look at the Thursday card for Sam Houston. What a fantastic opening week for Sam Houston. Breaking records all over the place. Great opening day. Big prices we see coming in. Big pools. And uh, we're going to try to get some of that money back on Thursday. Get those past performances out for Sam Houston. So we're looking at Sam Houston for the 13th. January the 13th, and we're going to look at race number one. Texas bred maiden $15,000 claimers, seven furlongs the distance on the main track. Manny, surprise, will take a lot of money from the rail, trying the dirt for the first time. I like the five running Jesse. So we'll drop in with Texas breads after facing open company last time out. Gets off the rail, faces a really soft group. There's nobody in here who really even has that many good races on paper. And, you know, Fearless Prince to the outside has a good one. That was like a year a year off. We haven't seen him since January. Running Jesse showed back up in no, in November. Hadn't run from February to November. Was a step slow inside. Was trying to find some room. Was fifth. Was about three lengths off. Moved in between horses. Tried to get to the outside, but was blocked. Was surrounded. Then tried to move inside. No room. Got shut off. Moved in between horses. Got shut off again. Finally got some room late, shot through, and made it very, very close. Running Jesse, second start off the bench, second start for Keen. Doesn't face any monsters in here, gets off the rail, had trouble last time out. You go from open company to Texas spreads here. Lots of things to like about the number five, running Jesse. Going to make a win wager on this one if we can get anything over five to five to two, and play a lot of exact, uh, play a lot of daily doubles and pick threes to start here, as your pick four begins in race number two, where we head next. I can't really give you too any anything too creative or outside the box here. I just, I mean, pick between the one and the two and single them one of the two of them and move on, if that's what you, I I don't I couldn't get the suffragette, I couldn't get the uh, Texas Tidelands. I couldn't really get to Proudfoot. I, the, the last effort was fine, and so maybe there are a couple decent efforts there. Now you're going to stretch out. You have some questions there. So I, maybe there's some upside on the stretch out with Proudfoot. I didn't really see it that way, but the outside runner, Jago, there's a major question marks about the, the work pattern. So I, this isn't a race that I I necessarily love. I would prefer, I, I, I mean, Kizzy B just seems like the one to catch. There's no speed in this race. There's nobody on paper that has very much speed. You get a little bit from Proud Foot, but with Kizzy B drawing the rail, stretching out from from sprints, she's going to be pretty tough to catch, and she's going to be a really short price. Let's move to the third race. We've got Maiden $15,000 claimer, six and a half furlongs on the dirt. I like the five. Kimball's Strategy, who has shown some improvement now in each start. So career debut didn't show much. Easy always to just kind of chalk it up to just being the debut. Was drawn down towards the inside in a big field. 
Had some trouble in career start number two, but did show a lot of improvement. Then in career start number three, December the 6th, you've got Kimball Strategy, who was fifth inside about five off and then moved up the rail, got a nice split, angled around, and opened up couple lengths, ends up getting nailed late, but was well clear of third. Now you get the drop in class for maiden 25s to maiden 15s. The question that I have is six and a half furlongs, the distance, right? A horse who got a little short going five and a half, moved a little early, going to have to time this right, but I do feel like she comes into this race very well. I, I like how she's coming in. The three lots of gold just an interesting dropping in from Maiden Special Weights, and, and and we know that she's got some speed. And the 7 and 8 are obviously the logical horses, promptly done in thoughts and prayers. I prefer 5-8. I'd stack them 5 and 8 and use them in a lot of the rolling exotics. Maybe try to beat the 7 thoughts and prayers who's going to be dropping in class for Asmussen. And then lots of gold. So 5-8, 7-3 how I had them stacked here, but I'll try to play 5-8 in a lot of spots. Mainly I try to beat the 7 on the big drop. If you want to throw the three in and some others, I wouldn't talk you off that one either. As we get to race number four, 15 claimers, non-winners of three. The five is a total wild card. Princess Aransa, you have Rye Eckleberry jumping on, who's been riding really, really well to start. You get a horse getting Lasix for the first time, a total wild card, really cagey work pattern. Comes in from Mexico for the first time. Princess Aranza. I like the 7 in here the most. Dorita's heart. I feel like she's the one to catch. She's drawn well. She's going to cut back from 6 to 5.5. And and I don't really think there's all that much other sprint speed in here. So if she's just given a little bit of urging from the outside. She could be pretty tough to run down. She's got recency also in a race where many are entering off of recent layoffs. You know, you've got G's a little crazy. The two hasn't run since May. Kitty Queen hasn't run in a couple months. Princess Aransa hasn't run since May. Field Daisy has only a couple starts since May. May, then off since November, then off again a couple months. So she could have a fitness edge, the recency edge. The one racy JC looks like the one to beat. She's not that fast, though. So I don't know if five and a half from the rail is, you know, going to be the greatest spot for her G's a little crazy hasn't raced since May but her March 25th race right here at Sam Houston would did stack up very nicely and then you got the 5 who's just the total wild card I'll throw into some some spots but I'm going to build a lot of stuff around the 7 in here Dorita's heart as the one to catch let's get to race number 5 so we're looking at 25 non 3 claimers they're going to go a mile on the turf course here I'm going to start with a four, Miss B. So she didn't race from November, a full year, November of 2020 to November of 2021. She came back, she flashes some speed for the new barn, and then she fades. She had to need the race. And they claimed her for 15. Now she's in for 25. Now she's in for 30. And she's going to go second off the bench. She's going to be a lot fitter today. What's wrong with the races? Before she went to the bench last year. What what are wrong with the races against the 15 non-threes? Those are very solid. Those would stack up well. We know that she can get back to them. In a stable duel situation, I, I think she's going to get bet down just because of the connections. So she's probably a really nice horse to use because she won't cost you very much. Miss B is going to be in a lot of my tickets. If Miss B is over 5-1, to one, I'll play her to win. The 
number six magical soul. She's she's gonna try to stretch out from a class standpoint. She's coming out of the better races. She's faced better. She's in for twenty five now. But we have to see if she really wants to go long. She she comes out of five for long races. So you'd have to imagine she's gonna be you know close up early on. The eight was the other horse that intrigued me here. Twilight Curfew. Who's gonna get back to the turf? Look at her really good turf form. She beat an Oklahoma bred first level allowance group last time she was on the grass. She was third in an Oklahoma bred stakes race prior to that. She broke her maiden against open maiden 50 claimer or open maiden 50s right here at Sam Houston last year in March. Twilight curfew. I'm going to be using in a lot of exotics. I'll use four, eight, six in race number five at Sam Houston. As we get to race number six, this starts your late pick four. Mile on the main track, first level allowance runners. The four Miss Americana is your five to two morning line favorite. She's going to take a lot of money in here. I don't have her on top, but I do respect her because of her speed, so I won't completely throw her out. I'm going to use the four and the eight along with her, though. I like the eight the most. She skies the limit. So, she's been very, very consistent once they sort of found where she fits. Look at the last six races for her. Six straight really nice efforts. She was behind horse like Holy Creed. And she seems just a really nice fit at this level. It's not like she's going to have to improve all that much. She comes off of a really good drop-in-class win going a mile and an eighth on the dirt. And so, like, what I like about a horse like this is so her dirt form may, maybe doesn't look quite as good as her turf form, but she won really nicely on the dirt last time out. Some of the earlier dirt races were at Churchill and in Oaklawn, probably against a little bit better. And she showed from a class perspective that she can actually compete with some pretty nice horses two and three starts back. The number eight is 10 to one on the morning line or eight to one on the morning line we'll be using in uh, in all exotics. And we'll, we'll throw in the six dipping in who is a horse who... Does have some a little bit of a little bit of ability. the The races that I re- remember with dipping in were towards the end of 2020, and she hasn't really taken steps forward since. But she's always there. She always shows up, and she actually has some very good turf races that you don't see on the page when you dig a little deeper. So at her price, I think she's probably one. Also to include, I mean, I wouldn't talk you off a horse like Tahitian Breeze, who has some races too, that would compete there, that would compete with these. I just, she hasn't run at all since September, so I would have loved to see just one race in, in between. We'll go 8-4-6 in race number 6 at Sam Houston. We move to the 7th race. 25 non-two claimers, 5.5 furlongs on the dirt course here. I thought the 3 at a big price TK's Joker was worth some inclusion in here, so... Put a line through the last start. This gal won her debut, and then after that that win at Ellis Park, she went and twice raced at Churchill Downs against 40 claimers and in, in a protected 30 allowance. She showed like a little bit of early tracking speed, and then she just backed up. Those were probably too tough of groups for her, and she was just well-defeated that day, those days. Last time out at Remington, Trouble again was in a tougher spot against non-two allowance runners. The way the race shapes up is interesting because her win came when she sat off the pace. And from the inside, Perkeo is pretty quick. Put a bling on is pretty quick. You've got Becky's Tattoo, who 
was close up. You've got Mercury Head, who adds the blinkers, and that one was pretty quick. And Texas Ascot Queen, also pretty quick. So if TK Joker, TK's Joker is feeling okay in here for a really capable barn, second time in this barn now, trying to figure out where she belongs, excuses for her last few, but maybe she gets a nice trip in here. She's going to be a big price. TK's Joker. The four Lily's Bidness, Lily's Bidness on the drop from uh, Stakes Company. She should be able to sit a pretty good trip in here if she can you know, track like she did on November the 12th. Becky's Tattoo, you sort of treat like a wild card. She won nicely, but we're not quite sure what she beat. Can't really hold it against her for how she, for you know, winning first out, though. And Mercury Head, Blinkers on, logical, dropping in class, faced open company throughout, and now will be, you know, has been facing, and now is going to be in for a tag. Has been protected throughout Mercury Head. I stacked him 3, 4, 5, 6 with TK's Joker, the price horse to include in the mix with all. 25 non-two claimers in the eighth. The two turns and conditions is going to cut back. And I know his win came in the slop, but it was also the first time he dropped in for a tag. He showed some ability against better. He has speed. And I just hope he, he gets a good start and he tries to hold his position down from the inside. So we'll use the two in all exotics. The six last Rue is the one to beat. But I'd be okay with taking a swing against the six and, you know, look and do the two turns and conditions. I last rue if you're you know if you're playing exact as try super stuff like that you'd you'd want to use the six for sure. So two six for me is how I have them stacked in the eighth. As we get to the ninth and final maiden special weight six furlongs the distance. Mesabi is going to take a lot of money, but I'm going to try to beat this first time starter for Asmussen. I'm looking to the nine Durango Jess who has. Big speed and cuts back. So should be able to sit nicely from the outside with a really good speed rider aboard. You've got the three Texas Skywalker. Skywalker in Skywalker takes the lead. Debut lost to a horse that came back to try the Smarty Jones. And then last time out, the runner-up Race Day Rebel was the next out maiden special weight winner. Texas Skywalker went from six and a half to a mile. You can make the easy excuse going a mile that it was just too far. Now you cut back, you get Lasix for the first time. Texas Skywalker. I'm using 9-3 everywhere. The 7, Tatanka. Shout out wrestling fans. Tatanka. 92 through circa 96. WWF. Damn, this one, multiple graded stakes. Placed. Four-time winner on the dirt. One of those, a four-time winner overall. One on the synthetic. Lone Sib was a two-time winner. The eight time to medal, five sibs all won. Thought of the of the others, I would use the seven and the eight. I mean, the six makes sense. The dam won the first two. Stakes winner, one sprinting on the dirt and long on the turf. It's kind of weird that they showed up here. And the works do not inspire all that much. Nine, three, seven, eight on deeper. I would use the six underneath, but I'm not going to play the six very much in pick fours and pick fives and that kind of rolling exotics. So that is Sam Houston. Remember, folks, those 12% takeout wagers, daily doubles, pick threes, pick fours, pick fives, all of the rolling exotics, 12% takeout. We're going to get into the Book of Boba Fett 
Episode 2, our deep dive with Matt Velasco in just a moment. But before we do, we want to remind you about one of the longtime sponsors of That's What She Said, full-service realtor Cindy Carava, the website C-I-N-D-Y-C-A-R-A-V-A.com. And as a full-service realtor, she can help you out with buying, with selling, with leasing. She can connect you with the right type of people to make your life easier. If you need help getting pre-approved for a home loan, she'll connect you with the right type of lenders that will make that process much, much easier for you. Maybe you're looking for home improvement. She knows all the right type of landscapers, painters, gardeners, people she's had experience with and used in a lot of her own homes. If you're curious how much your home is worth, she'll do a free market analysis of your home's value. CindyCarava.com. That's the website. Check out her listings there. You can find out reviews about her on Yelp and Zillow. One of the kindest and most genuine, honest people you will ever meet. She's going to make your life easier. She's not going to BS you. She's going to tell you what you need to hear, but she's going to make sure that you're not worrying about a lot of things that you know you're going to be stressed out. She's going to take care of all that stuff for you. Cindy Carava. Right now, we have to give it a little spoiler alert because we are going to take care of a deep dive into the book of Boba Fett, Episode 2. Matt Velasco is back again, and we get into everything that happened in a longer episode, Episode 2, coming up. There are seven episodes in this season, so we'll talk about everything that happened in Episode 1. We'll also talk about how a lot of this relates to other Star Wars stuff, so just an overall spoiler alert, Book of Boba Fett, Episode 2, deep dive right now with Matt Velasco. Episode 2 of Book of Boba Fett, The Tribes of Tatooine. We have a much longer episode here. We're up around uh, 50 minutes in runtime. We continue on with the flashes back and forth between Boba as a crime boss Boba and Boba as a Boba is part of the tribe of the Tuscans and a lot of that world building. So I'm very curious as to how Matt Velasco feels about episode two. He joins us again to break down everything in this one. We'll Give some overall thoughts, and then we'll do our deep dive scene by scene. So, Matt, now we uh, we know it's a little bit different when we approach this after uh, after our having watched an episode coming in from episode right. two. What do you think this week? Right, I I mean, you said it right. It's we're back with the Tuscans. Um, this show is showing us <laughs> what it is. Right. Um, I I'll just say off the bat, I loved it. I um, we'll get to the train sequence. I was thrilled and um, I'll, I'll explain over the course of our recap uh, why I loved it. But I think part of it is just the, the simplicity of the story, right? This is not, yes, it's world building, but it's not concerned with uh, galaxy hopping no. or introducing, you know, legacy characters or, or moving us quickly from A to B to C. No, we are going to spend, I mean, something like, 40 minutes with a band of Tuscan Raiders and learn more about <laughs> their kind of place in, in the world of Tatooine, um, their ancestral connections to the land, right? As, as we, we, we dive deeper in this yeah. episode. And, and as I said before, I, I'm an anthropologist. Like I, I love this stuff. I love this kind of, uh, attention to detail, um, and, um, you know, kind of, a, a attention to cultural difference yeah to kind of put it in in uh you know academic terms to some degree it's funny we we've seen a lot of um with 
the st- the newer Star Wars stuff. I mean, with this show in general, and with the whole character of Boba Fett, is is having the ability to sort of go back and either you know retcon and maybe um, maybe sort of change the arcs of characters that you wanted. You know, we see that a lot in the MCU now, where there's someone who may have had some weird fan kind of sort of feedback, and then all of a sudden they kind of make fun of it and they play into that. This was interesting because the Tuskins were always such a you know, um, we, you were even mentioning it, Tuskins and the Jawas and some of these um, characters in, in Star Wars, there were all these racial undertones. They were never treated like anything more than just raiders that were very kind of stupid. They didn't have much. We actually f- see the way I, I thought it was fascinating just seeing them pick up on the learning of everything, like learning them, the, the learning of the speedsters and, and the process that Boba had of teaching them how to drive those and just that these are very, very intelligent people and they can communicate. But we're going through so much of this without any even real dialogue. Mm-hmm. I, I enjoyed it. This isn't what I was expecting, and it's not in a bad way at all. They can yeah. do they can have the opportunity to do this sort of slower will uh, world building and i don't say uh, slow cuz maybe for some people they're 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 not into it but I, I i'm very much like i love everything that we're seeing here and they're going back and show you these people that we just sort of thought were just like a very nothingness group of raiders have this like real culture this real rich culture to them mhm yeah um a lot of things are coming into view right i i mean you said this idea of a retcon and and in a basic sense, this is a retcon, right? This the show is this, it is, this yeah, character, the <laughs> this this man with a code, right? This, this kind of uh, this this bounty hunter who's so concerned with legacy and carrying his father's mantle in the Mandalorian in a way that we never really saw in in the original trilogy, certainly, right? Um, you're you're now seeing this really full account of his rebirth and how he comes to care about the things he cared about in the Mandalorian, which at the time struck me as kind of, okay, he's suddenly this warrior with a code, like where did this come from? And the show, right, is fully embracing that. Mm -hmm. And instead of giving us a quick montage in episode one, which it easily could have done and just, you know, we would have accepted that this, this was always a retcon. But the idea that we might spend seven episodes on a dual timeline with the Tuscan Raiders, mm-hmm. I'm really excited for that. And I'm almost scared <laughs> that, that we're not, it, it's going to go away quickly or that suddenly we're going to explode back into the world of the Mandalorian by episode five. And I really hope there's, I love the restraint and the commitment I agree. to this story. And and of course, I'm already starting to worry. Well, of course, we know there's going to be a big crossover event between Boba Fett, Mandalorian, mm-hmm. the Ahsoka show. I I hope it, it. I'd rather it be a stinger to the end of this this season, right? Mm-hmm. To give us a sense of how it's going to tie, and have an entire season about this connection between Boba Fett, the tribes of Tatooine, and the crime families of Tatooine, which is, we're, we're being introduced to many different factions, and I think. There's just so much potential on this one planet that I hope, I, I don't know what I, I mean, they'll shock us. Maybe by episode four, I'll be singing a different tune, but well, but I'm really it, here for this. Yeah, you don't need it. 
it doesn't need to be that right now, which is something that I didn't think I was going to say even just a few weeks ago, but they're doing such a great job with mm-hmm. this. And we, you mentioned the, the, the train heist. Um, we got in this particular episode, I just from being someone who loves movies and shows, I, I mean, Indiana Jones, Lawrence of Arabia, Back to the Future 3, Terminator 2, The Last Samurai, Dune, obviously. I mean, they've even yeah. said they've, they've taken a lot of things from Dune. 310 to Yuma was another one. I mean, we're getting so many nods to so many <laughs> different scenes or genres or different things that are just – I love when they lean into that too. And, and it's obvious. They don't, they're not trying to, to hide the fact that, oh, yeah, we love that. We're, we're inspired by some of those things. Um, the, the train heist sequence that we – End up seeing with uh, with Boba and with uh, some of the Tuscans who are trying to rob uh, or I guess rob the Pike Syndicate train that's been shooting them, kind of at least get the train to stop. Right. Um, that sequence isn't it's not like a twenty or thirty second or like a minute sequence either. It's like five plus minutes. Mm-hmm. I, I really, you know, I think I said fool, foolishly uh, last time I, I was on the show, like what what. What is the action, you know, what are they going to mine for exciting action sequences? And it was as if the show immediately responded to me, like, sit down, you fool. Like, there's so much we could do mm-hmm. without a lightsaber. And we're going to do it in your world, too. The one that you like with the Tuscan stuff and the world building. So you're going <laughs> to yeah. really be excited. <laughs> yeah, I, I felt, you know, I, I was watching it. I don't think I realized how long the episode was when I hit play. Um, and so there were, we'll talk about this. There were multiple points. I thought the episode was going to end and arguably could have end ended. And the fact that it kept going, uh, was very exciting to me, but but the train sequence was, um, very methodically and carefully choreographed that, you know, we, we've become a bit accustomed. I'm thinking more of, of blockbuster films where you have just, uh, kind of, you know, cacophony of explosions. And this had a real like progression and logic to the action. Yeah. Um, yeah. I, I really, love the I, sense I, of the really speed of the train. Mm-hmm. Like you oh, could yeah. really get a feel of like how fast they were going. Mm-hmm. And there was a cool moment that I saw referenced in one of the, another recap there too, where it's like the first one of the Tuscans that ends up, you know, falling. And you see Boba kind of look back like, oh, like in this, like he's actually. You could see that he's starting to really become a part of this tribe, this family. You know, it's like every one of them that is getting injured or falling to their, you know, to to their peril. It's it's really starting to weigh on this guy who we just, you know, a week ago thought was this bounty hunter who even Mokshai says you, you know, you bounty hunter. Yeah. Um, we got some cool little appearances here from first off the twins. So. Yeah. We got the Hut twins. They pop up on a litter, and they're being carried by. Oh, I feel bad for these. There's like ten to fifteen of these people carrying them on the litter. They are struggling. It's drooping in the middle. These twins, they're fanning themselves. the The male is like using like what looks like a mouse or a rat, some furry animal, to like wipe the sweat off of him. They've got their little snack uh, uh, thing up there with them too. Uh, what did you think about getting to see the Hut twins showing up? Yeah, that was, a, I was surprised. I I guess if I had, you know, placed a bet on species we are most likely to encounter in the show, I should have put some money on, on the Huts. But maybe I didn't think it would happen uh, so soon. 
Mm-hmm. Um, in in retrospect, I think what this episode is doing to some degree is, you know, that there's been double in my mind, double meanings, right, with, with each of the titles. The first one was pretty apparent: "Stranger in a Strange Land." Right, Boba Fett is out of place, uh, both in Mos Espa and among the Tusken Raiders. In this episode, the tribes of Tatooine, we are mostly focused on the Tusken tribes of Tatooine, but we're also getting, you know, the the board is being set, so to speak. Right, we've we met some trans Trandoshans last week. When Bubba marches into Mos Espa, we see some Trandoshans again. These are those lizard-like um, uh, uh, bounty hunters or, or lizard-like alien uh, race. We uh, see the pikes that we'll talk about later with, with the uh, train heists, which are another powerful crime family. And then we see see the huts. So we're getting a sense now of the kind of lay of the land in Mos Espa and, and beyond, likely, right? Um and yeah, it was exciting. I thought the 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 CG was great. Like it didn't look uh, uh, corny. It was a payoff to that line from the first episode about why aren't you on a litter? And I tried to freeze the frame and count. I mean, there were at least fourteen people. Yep, I did uh, too. Carrying uh, <laughs> carrying the huts. So it was, it was a sight to see. Right? We we yes. haven't seen. I mean, you know, Jabba was not very mobile. And when he moved around in A New Hope Special Edition, it was kind of famously poorly rendered. Um, so seeing this kind of more logical, uh, mm-hmm. uh, lived-in version of the huts in their world was pretty cool. We got a character popping up, one that has interacted with Vader. Obi-Wan's lightsaber actually has burned him. He worked for Jabba along with Boba, and we can immediately tell that Boba and uh, and this creature have a relationship. The vicious, feared bounty hunter, the Wookiee, Black Kersantan from the mm-hmm. comics and from a lot of written um, Star Wars, um, some of the Star Wars fiction. Uh, so uh, where do we stand on uh, Black Kersantan? Like, how much did you know about this character coming into this show? You know, I forgot. I I read part of the Darth Vader. There's been various Darth Vader comic mm-hmm. runs, um, but I believe he debuted in the f- maybe the first Darth Vader comic or one of the first issues of, of one of the runs of Darth Vader. And so I didn't place him at first. But when I was looking up this episode online, they mentioned he had appeared there. And so I don't have much of a relationship with Black Kersantan. I know he's kind of getting a lot of <laughs> a lot of excitement on, on Twitter. Uh, people think he's sexy. I don't know. This is, <laughs> um, I, I, I like that they're fleshing out the world. I'm not personally, like, don't really have much of a relationship with this character. I didn't sure. even remember. I didn't either, really. Didn't yeah. even remember his name. Um, and honestly, wasn't something that kind of sat with me after I saw the episode the first time. It wasn't until I was on StarWars.com that I saw they released the character poster for him. And I was like, Oh, of course this guy's gonna, I mean, this is going to be a major, you know, he kind of, he will almost certainly be spotlighted in a future episode. And I wouldn't be surprised if we see him come over to Boba's side, mm-hmm. uh, eventually given the, given where I think the show is going thematically, right. With, uh, uh, kind of this colonizer crime Lord aspect and knowing how the Wookiees have been imprisoned and enslaved in various parts of the, the uh, Star Wars story. I wonder if he will ultimately come around to to Bubba's cause. I'm getting ahead of myself, which I think will have to yeah. do with some sort of liberation or reclaiming 
of of land for the Tuscans. I mean, I I don't know if that's the entire end game of this series, but um, he's going there episode, for sure. Yeah, this episode is suggesting it's an important part of this show. Yeah, he was helping him get the better weapons, better technology, and the uh, the robing of Boba. I thought was a really cool. Yeah, little little moment where you see them all sort of making him an actual member of the tribe, and of course we can't get into this episode and we'll go scene by scene. But before we do, gotta talk about the uh, Boba tripping on the lizard, the uh, the lizard, the spiritual awakening for Boba, mm-hmm. um, and it's I mean like a, a vision quest, this mm-hmm. peyote type mushrooms type trip that he's on, uh, where this lizard goes up his nose, and it's it's really there's. All this symbolic Boba as a child, new scene, reawakening, rebirth. He snaps the branch. He's inside the Sarlacc, like getting suffocated, but he busts his way out. And and then there's this big water that you know symbolizes new life. It's just it it's pretty good. It's kind of pretty powerful that the scene. Yeah. Oh yeah. I mean, well, well, I'll just say it now. Yeah, I, I thought it was a very cool. Um, this is where, I mean, I thought the episode was going to end after the train heist. And, and we're going on this vision quest, right, as you put it. It's exactly that. I have in my show notes, right, they're really leading into the rebirth angle. And you get this this vision of a tree in an ocean, right? And these primordial waters, they're clearly an allusion to Camino, where he was born or created. Uh, a tree kind of connotes this idea of a family tree, some kind of rootedness, And you see something, in a sense, there's this aspect of his ancestral, right, his ancestral origin story. Granted, it's only one, he's only one generation removed from his his kind of ancestor. Um, And you kind of see that parallel. They don't hit you over the head with it, right, with this idea of the, the Tuscans' ancestral ties to the landscape. So I thought that was a really cool... Again, nothing, it's really not that complicated, right? You said it, like it's all there in the imagery. Um, but that's the the power of, of this episode, I think, is it's, I it's not, it's very convoluted, but there's actually very, there's depth in the simplicity, if that makes sense. Mm-hmm. It's, it's just so, um, it's, you know, it's one of those things where every culture, like, and you have seen um, obviously when you you know you study ancient cultures and you study history and you see that yeah every culture has some incredibly unique things and some were able to you know find these things out and create this but there's such like basic sim- similarities to every community right to what is like a foundation of a uh, of that that town or city or whatever a uh, village or a tribe and they're and they're it's just like a basic way of respect there's there's levels of order there's you know groups of leaders there's all these like basic things that you just see at any level of organization and it's so it's just amazing to see at this level also i i, I love it uh and i really loved what they did with this episode we're gonna get into all of it right now book of boba fett episode two the tribes of tatooine and we get the previously on before we pick up with the path to Jabba's, now Boba's palace. The gate opens with Fennec accompanying the prisoner that we saw last week that she took, uh, that she that she was able to capture. The prisoner that we're going to find out a little bit more in just a second, the assassin. And he's one of the Order of the Night Wind. So Fennec brings the prisoner 
placed kneeling before Boba on the throne And Boba tries to get some information Who sent you? What were your orders? Speak You're not going to speak He no longer needs his head And so the Camorans get ready to uh, you know, Put the sword right to his head Get ready to listen to whatever Boba says Prisoner curses at Boba With a word, uh, a phrase that we've actually heard A few uh, times Ichuta yeah, which is sort of like piss off or f off kind yeah. of kind of thing. I think we've heard it in a few different times in Star Wars through the years. And um, Boba said, "You, we spared your life after you tried to take mine, and you curse me." What do we know of this prisoner? Eighty-eight. The droid lets him know he's the Order of the Night Wind, assassin for hire. As Fennec chimes in, Fennec's got a good comedic timing and yeah. sense too. Uh, just really like love uh, what they're doing with her. She said, overpriced, you're paying for the name. And <laughs> 88 says, their reputation is legendary. There is no way this one will talk. Yeah. Uh, Boba and Fennec seem much less impressed, though, as they've been down the, a few roads themselves. And they're, they're no slouch for some of the stuff that they've seen. So they have a plan, Matt. Um, so right, back, right away, we pick up in this episode, and we're right back here in a familiar place. We're mm-hmm. in, uh, in Jabba's palace with... You know, a prisoner down on their knees, something that we've seen uh, yeah. in Star Wars before. Yeah, I mean, the, the entire opening is kind of reminiscent of, of Return of the Jedi with, with the, it's not the very first scene of Return of the Jedi, but when the droids are approaching Jabba's palace and these massive doors, and later we see Luke enter those doors and he's silhouetted and et cetera, et cetera. Um, and we have this prisoner, right, above the rancor pit. And ultimately, that's kind of the the move that uh, the ploy that <laughs> um, uh, Boba and 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 Fennec opt for is to threaten him with the rancor, right? Uh, so perhaps he fears the rancor, and they drop him into the pit. Now, I I don't know how this joke. You could tell me this joke landed on you, but I'm such a nerd <laughs> that in my mind, when they dropped him in the rancor pit, I'm thinking huh, okay, so it's been five years since the Rancor died, and we saw in the Bad Batch, you know, which was... Moochie! Yeah. yeah. <laughs> we saw when they adopted the Rancor as a baby, and Bib Fortuna was in, involved in procuring the Rancor, and so Bib Fortuna was previously on the throne, and did he have a replacement Rancor? Like, this is what's going on I was doing the head. same thing. I was, doing, I was like, there's no Rancor! You know, there's, but... there's no Rancor, which is like such a, you know, it was a kind of a, almost like a Star Wars dad joke. I don't know. I know. But, I, it wasn't as I, I was so caught up in the like, you know, the thinking through the life cycle of a rancor and like the feasibility that they got another that I missed in my mind the most obvious, <laughs> you know, ploy that of course is empty and they have this like little mouse like, uh, kind of desert rat, uh, in its place. <laughs> uh, ended up, yeah. uh, yeah, ended up scaring this assassin into a. So as the as the wall begins to raise to where the rancor would be kept in its like little cell back there, before this this wall even gets like halfway up, the assassin starts to the mayor sent me the mayor sent me you know he starts to squeal right away and Fennec and Boba laugh it's empty there was nothing in there <laughs> nothing at all and uh, you know we yeah. get the we get the joke that yeah the assassins of the night wind aren't quite as badass as uh, as we might have thought. Yeah, but, the other the other subtext is that, you know, there's a lot in Star Wars that often undermines the the knowledge of droids or that droids kind of think more mechanically and don't have, uh, you know, 
wisdom and so yes. on. And I, I, I like the idea that, you know, ADA, 88, the, the droid is like pulling up his Wikipedia page on the order of the night wind. And it's mm-hmm. like, they never talk and they're fearsome and it's, you know, uh, everyone breaks. So that's great. Yeah, no, that, that's the difference between the man versus machine there right. too. Right. Yeah, uh, absolutely. So Fennec and Boba decide that they need to go fin- uh They need to go visit the mayor. And we get the theme music and the book of Boba Fett title episode two, the tribes of Tatooine. So Boba Fennec and the Gamorians are walking through town again, walking, not on the litter and they get to the mayor's. And uh, as they're continuing through the town, you were kind of mentioning all the different people you see They're They're getting looked at, you know, but and so these people don't really know what to think of Boba. And we'll find out a little more why, because I think these people are sort of caught up in this weird, like, are we supposed to pay respect to him? What's going on with the huts who are now going to come in over and, and kind of think they, they run the show here. So Boba makes his way into the mayor's. And right away we uh, we end up seeing it's it's a clerk right at the mayor's yeah. right when he walks in. He's like, um, I'm here to see. The, Boba says he's here to see the mayor. The clerk, hmm, Boba Fett. Um, do you have an appointment? <laughs> I, the, these people that work for the mayor are kind of funny. And then the major domo obviously is the uh, the comedian. He says, oh, pardon the lo- uh the lack of pomp for your entrance. However, I did not see your litter arrive. Nevertheless, we are both honored and delighted by your serendipitous visit. However, I regret to inform you the mayor is indisposed for the rest of the week. And there are yeah, Boba doesn't care. He just busts his way right back in and uh, presses the buttons and, and walks right back in to see the mayor. And I thought that mayor, I was very intrigued just by the the Ithorian mm-hmm. uh, of Mok Shai's. So what do you think of the look of Mok Shai's Boba and Fennec and the Gamorians? They intrude and we see. You know, Mok Shai's, uh, his major domo and some of his like inner circle and his guards back there. And he's definitely a different sort of looking creature than we've seen some Ithorians, but the look of him now and with with the kind of technology they have is definitely different than what we've seen. Yeah, the translate, you know, there's kind of this something I think he has a, a appended to his body that's translating his speech in, in real time, which is, you know, a kind of nice design characteristic. I'm a little, I mean, I think the, the, the mayor, you know, and, uh, Garza whip, if I'm saying her name correctly, like we're getting a lot of, you know, I don't know if misdirection's the right word here, but I, are we led to believe that the mayor really didn't send the assassin? Right. Right. I yeah. Mean, I, is the There's mayor much... being set up? Is everyone, do we trust the mayor? I, I don't, I think no. that, um, I don't either. I, I kind of get the sense that no one really takes Boba that seriously. Very much. Um, and, and and that his weakness, in a way, is part of the the story that he is. He's kind of play acting. And I think, you know, the mayor and Garsif Whip are kind of play acting with him. But he intends to rule with respect. But I don't think he rules with respect yet, right? I mean, of no, course No, no. It's like uh, how you talk to your kid. You know, or like sometimes, you know, you're kind of like they're just kind of like letting. Oh yeah, he thinks he's ruling it, right? Yeah, like yeah. okay, you know, you know, they're not. They don't want to have a confrontation with him. I think they still do realize that this guy is a bounty hunter, but I think they're just sort of like, yeah, let him kind of think he runs the show here. But like you said, the respect there doesn't seem like it's given back 
to Boba. He's trying to give it to everybody else, and he actually has the way that he's handled them. He's not out there just brutally murdering people like the other the others who have been in charge before him. But he's not getting that respect back at all. And you hit the two, Garza Fwip and Mok Shaiz. I I don't think their intentions are to helpful to Boba whatsoever. It seems like they're probably loyal to the huts or in it for whatever, you know, in it for themselves. Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah. The, I mean, it's, it's just Boba and Fennec. I mean, there's no sense that Boba has like, I guess he has the Gamorrean guards. I stand corrected. Um, but he is, he's really in a position of weakness. Right. And mm-hmm. you um, see it when the, when the, the huts come up there with their litter and yeah. with, and with their entourage, you know, compared to it's just Boba standing across from them with Fennec and the the two Gamorians, and that's like, yeah, that's yeah. it. So noticeable difference in the, uh, yeah, in the uh, the uh, the big entourage for these these groups that want to take over here is. So I guess right before when Boba comes in, the mayor just kills this assassin. He has one of uh, his people just shoot the assassin and says though they. Um, they're basically not able to operate where they were, assassin of the night wind. So the mayor's and then the mayor basically offers Boba that as a tribute. He tries to pay him. He says, I took this guy out for you. So yeah, he's doing a lot here to just kind of it seems like get Boba happy and then kind of push him along. Like get him like, okay, hey, cool, we're good. Get out of here. Yeah. I I, I think he he you know, when you, you remember we, we acted together in high school, like you always in, in acting, there's always, you know, you, you discuss like when characters are in a scene, like who holds power and who holds mm-hmm. status. And in this scene, to me, it's Mokshaiz, even yep. though Boba Fett like talks a big talk, like ultimately Mokshaiz is, is telling him this is way more complex. Like the logic you're applying to these situations, right, is you're, you're way out of your league. Running a family is more complicated than bounty hunting, right? And I believe the voice is uh, the director, right? Robert Rodriguez being boy. Oh, I think of Mo- right. I, I think I of Mokshaiz. Yeah, I think I heard that. Yeah, yeah. Um, I think he does the voice of a couple different, like small yeah. um, uh, voices through, throughout the show. So that was uh, as Mokshaiz says, um, "Thank you for turning him in. Give this man his reward." Boba says, "I'm not a bounty hunter," and Mokshaiz's response is, "That's so." I've heard otherwise. I know you sit on the throne of your former employer. As uh, Boba says, Bib Fortuna was not my employer. And Mok Shaiz, this is interesting too. He basically didn't even like, um, he didn't even assume this as Bib Fortuna's throne. And I wonder if a lot of the people around did too. And that's sort of how they're looking at Boba is that they thought it was Jabba's. They never really gave the respect to Bib Fortuna. As uh, he didn't seem like he was very good on the throne either from uh, from yeah. some of the uh, some of the the reports that I've been reading, some of my analysis. But uh, yeah, what did you think of, you know, I thought that was interesting. And that is, again, he, he gives him the line after, you know, I take this payment as tribute. They give him some money and then he wants to give him advice. He said, before you threaten me, you know, ask who really sent the night wind. And Mokshai said, here is my tribute. I offer some advice. Running a family is more complicated than bounty hunting. If you go to Garza's sanctuary, you'll see what I speak of. Yeah. Yeah, I, I think, you know, the, this point about 
Bib Fortuna and running a family, like, yeah, Bib Fortuna probably was not a very innovative leader, but he was a puppet, right? I'm sure he maintained uh, maintained the status quo, right? Mm-hmm. He got mm-hmm. to he got to eat more, right? Absolutely. He, to, to he sure feel, looked like it. Yeah, exactly. He got to feel the <laughs> thrill of, of ruling, but I don't think he was a game changer, right? No. Um, he was very much was not a handpicked successor. But I could imagine from the the Hutt's perspective, right? There is essentially a client, a client king for them, so to speak, right? Mm-hmm. Um, the Hutt's didn't need to go there to claim Jabba's territory, right? Really, until this move by Boba Fett, who is not part of the family, so to speak. So Boba, Fennec, and the Gamorians head back to Garza Whips Cantina, and. As soon as they get there, you could tell that Garza seems a little nervous, seems a little off. Boba in- immediately, you know, mentions it. He says, "Mok Shais sent me here. Is there something I should know?" And now you're sweating like a gumpta on Mustafar, <laughs> which uh, we actually got a lot of these in this yeah. episode. We got a lot of little like funny references, little innuendos, and and even characters that we got, you know, brought in here. So that, that that's always funny. Mustafar, as we know, is the uh the very hot, hot, hot planet where uh, Annie and uh, Obi Wan <laughs> had their face off. Um so uh Garces, thank you for your patronage. Please have a seat. I'll see if I can free up the table. She said that uh you haven't heard and Boba said heard what? The twins have laid claim to their cousin's bequest. Mm-hmm. And Boba you know, immediately kind of shrugs it off. The twins are preoccupied with the debauchery of Hutta uh, to bother with any ambitions on Tatooine. And immediately as he says that, our guy Max Rebo, we see him show back up. He stops playing the music in the background, and we hear the drums beating. And everything stops. And everyone in the cantina seems to know that sound. Yeah. Seem to know what's coming, and Boba and Fennec go outside to see what it is. And Boba tells Fennec to watch my back. And the drum beat announces the arrival of the Hut twins being carried in on their litter. As Matt mentioned, we're going with around fifteen. Is the over under yeah, set on uh, on people carrying them in the litter is at least ten for sure. Yeah. And they, these two massive huts. The one that's a female looks like the there's one girl and one boy, and the the male does most of the talking. The female's sitting there fanning herself, and uh, this yeah, this was very interesting. We get the the drum beat, and we see them, which we you know we spoke about in the intro a little bit, but we see the difference between what these people in Tatooine are used to when someone like Boba shows up. They can hear them coming. They know they're coming. They sense they're coming. They can feel they're coming. And it ends up being a thing where they're scared of them, yes, but it ends up becoming a respect thing, like we said. They just respect that when they're carried above them that they are higher than them. They are better than them. Boba doesn't want that, and he's not getting treated that way yet. But it is fascinating to see this because we've never really seen it with the Huts. We didn't really see it, like you mentioned, with Jabba. Yeah. Um, I, I liked, you know, I, I, I... I thought at this point in the episode, we were going in a total different direction than where the episode went, right? I didn't think we were necessarily going to have a a flashback, right? Um, so it was interesting to see the these characters introduced at this point. 
But seeing it again, what I really, what line really struck me, right, is this is Jabba's territory. And it's a, you know, the taunting line. It's in some ways a kind of, you could have guessed it, right? You, they almost didn't need to tell you. They're underscoring a point that, that's obvious. But you get this sense of entitlement, right? This is our territory. And the second half or the last two, you know, two thirds of the episode are showing a different kind of way that people claim their relationship to land, right? Um, and so I, I didn't, I don't think this episode was as well constructed as the first, right? From a kind of storytelling perspective, but I wondered, you know, why did they pair these scenes with those Tuscan Raiders? Mm -hmm. I don't think yeah. it was as obvious, but I think in retrospect, you're seeing these these ideas about territory and who's entitled to what, right? And and it's a, more of a subtle comparison, right, than than last time where I thought the stranger in a strange land motif was much more front and center. Um, but yeah, no, I mean, the, the, the huts have always been this, you know, living embodiment of, of gluttony and avarice and just consumption and taking, right? Um, and, you know, they're, that's what makes them really effective uh, antagonists, right? There's not, you don't need to under, I mean, we get subtitles, but you really don't need to know what they're saying. I mean, you the just fact can they're being carried, the fact it's... they're, they're, they're fanning themselves like their, their body language uh, speaks volumes. So the huts uh, tell Boba, there's business we need to discuss. They're speaking in Huttese as Boba speaks back to them in in their language and says, this is my territory. And the, the huts come back. This is Jabba's territory, and now it is ours. And one of their uh, attendants kind of pulls out this tablet, which looks like it's got a contract or something on there, maybe some kind of a legally binding document, a deed, something like that. And Boba then comes back in English and says, I don't care what your tablet says. This is, which I thought was a funny line. This as a tablet, you know, it's like that. Yeah. And so this is most Espa, and I am the Daimo here. The huts come back and say, the, uh, and and then the the female is is fanning herself, and the male is you know using like I said this kind of furry creature to wipe the sweat off his face. They say, is that so? And then we see Black Kersantin, a black, pretty badass looking Wookiee figure. Mm -hmm. Who walks up from the back with a gun Really terrifying And we were getting into him a little bit He's not someone that Matt And I knew a whole ton about And I'm sure a lot of you who you know, Depending on the level of, of Star Wars fandom You have, you probably know some about But it, as far as like live action And a lot of Star Wars Shows and, and even some of the animated stuff We haven't seen a whole lot about him But he does have a really rich, rich history And he interacted with a lot of the major players Apparently him and Boba worked together as bounty hunters for Jabba So there's going to be a lot that Boba even makes a reference as he walks up He says, oh, you can bring as many gladiators as you wish But these are not the death pits of Dur And I'm not a sleeping Trandoshan guard so that he's he's referencing some some incident right. that happened, you know, where where they were together and he killed some sleeping guard, and maybe that's you know maybe that's part of some of the lore that Bubba know Boba knows that kind of like what he was just talking about with the uh, the assassins of the Night Wind. Like maybe this guy isn't quite as badass as we thought, but I'm I'm very intrigued at where they're gonna go and just reading uh, reading up on him and all of the the major figures in Star Wars that he's crossed paths with. 
Yeah, he might be. So I hadn't thought of this, um, but he might be an entryway. I mean, I guess the problem is he can't, you know, he won't doesn't speak English, right? So he can't yeah. really have a dialogue scene with uh, uh, Boba Fett. But I wonder if he might be a way to bring out um, what Boba thought about himself as a bounty hunter, right? I mean, we were talking about this rebirth um, or this kind of, pivot in the character and i i guess i don't really understand who i no one really understood who bubba was in the original trilogy and i wonder if he might be a a a link to that past where we'll get a sense maybe even a flashback of the kind of killer that boba was or the 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 values he had as a bounty hunter as a sharper contrast to the boba we're we're meeting in this show so our first black Kersantan sighting. Boba and him obviously have a history. He says, this territory is mine. Go back to Nal Hutta. And black Kersantan says something along the lines of, you know, get the, the Wookiee grunt there. As the uh, the the girl hut leans over to her brother to say something. And uh, the, the boy twin says, you've upset my sister. I'm more patient than she is. She thinks we should kill you. As that sort of signals Fennec and Black Kersantan, they both cock their weapons. They're ready to rock and roll. They're ready to go. Boba says to them, your cousin Jabba is dead. His cowardly major Domo usurped his territory, and then I killed him. All of that belongs to me now. Your sister is right. If you want it, you'll have to kill me for it. So the uh, the lines have been drawn. The twins kind of talk with each other for a moment. And they come back and say bloodshed is bad for business. This can be dealt with later. Sleep lightly, bounty hunter. And they right. leave there, there, on their litter. There, there was no way, right? The huts, they are, you know, they're interested in their own self-preservation. I mean, they're they're, they're not going to be able to run away quickly from a mm-hmm. hunt. Yeah. So I think it, it makes sense. You know, I mean, their their bloodshed is bad for business. Kind of makes sense within the reality of the show. Um, I was surprised, right, after this this standoff, right, this is pretty much it for the present day yeah. action. And it felt like a, you know, I don't want to be one of those people, but <laughs> nothing really happened. I, I guess we, lear- we learned no, a little right. more, right? You're right, um, but not, it, and people will get excited because you saw the huts, right? Or you saw, you see a couple characters like that, but the bulk of everything that happened in this episode was finding out about, you know, Boba's backstory more, more right. than any than, than anything we learned in sort of the more present time, um, where Boba's you know trying to take over. So I agree with you. We've got. I felt like in this episode, and I I like I like where we are in both. Like I like being in you know in Tatooine with Boba and Fennec. Now I'm getting more intrigued. By the things that have happening that are happening, and with with some of the new characters that are around now too. We just talked mm-hmm. about Moke Shais, Garza Flip. There's something there now. You've got the Huts here. You got Black Hersantin that's in the mix. So there's a lot to deal with there. But you said it hasn't felt like they've done much. Felt like they did a hell of a lot when we flashed back and and right. everything that they got on the uh, with the Tuscans. Right. I mean, it's really table setting with the present day plot line. In a way, this episode is about his relationship with the Tuscans. And it's almost as if from, you know, these are being released once a week that they're giving the audience, you know, they're 
they're providing some homework, right? Here's your homework this week on <laughs> the crime families yeah. in in Tatooine. But the real story right now is his relationship with, with, yes. with the Tusken Raiders, right? Um, yeah. And I was surprised, I guess, because of how last week was structured. I almost thought we'd come back to the present. Totally um, agree. We'd learn something in the past and we'd come back to the present, but but we're not. And um, I'm, I'm fine with that. I mean, mm-hmm. I trust that they know, you know, they know where they're going. Um, and, and to me, right, the more interesting story is in the past and in this formation of this uh, new kind of warrior slash member of the tribe. Boba takes off his helmet and uh, he doesn't even really say anything. But Fennec knows what he's about to say. She says, they're huts. We'd have to get permission if you want to kill them. And he, he says, maybe it's settled. You really think so? No. Yeah. That, I don't know who they yeah. get permission from per se that's that's a very interesting question and i had that written down here so who did they get permission from now in like theories and predictions and stuff there were all sorts of weird things but there was one name that popped up a few different times that was kira who was the boss of bosses who who, you know from solo which is played by amelia the character was played by amelia clark i don't know if that's the direction that they would end up going in but you know, now that's what that's what people love to do with these shows and with uh, with all these characters that come in, you start wondering, is this going to be uh, a way to bridge a gap to another story, to another time period? Um, but a great question. Who right. who do you need to get permission from? Yeah, it's uh, it's probably Kingpin. Yeah. Spoiler. <laughs> there you go. Spoiler. No, I, I was going to say that I, going that is an odd line. You know, in retrospect, you're probably right. I don't think that. I kind of took it as they're untouchable, but Fennec could have said they're untouchable. And instead he says, we would have to get permission to kill them. And and it does suggest, right, there's going to be someone above them. And um, Kira is, you know, having a renaissance in the comics right now. Um, would be interesting. I don't think there's been any like spoiler set photos of Amelia Clark. No, no, I haven't so, seen anything like that. I, and if I do, trust, I will never mention anything like that here because I don't like spoilers myself. Right. I never, I never search them out. I just don't right. like to, to. I don't, I don't enjoy watching that way. I'd rather be surprised and then go back afterwards and find more out. And so if I ever do know anything, anyways, I would never spoil it here for the people who wouldn't want it because i know a lot of people are that way too oh, yeah. some nights when i'm when i don't want to want to know what happened on monday night raw and stuff i don't get can't get on twitter if i want to see if my, i want to get my wrestling spoiled for me or you know anything like that so i have to take the keywords out so i won't see right. those on social media so i understand yeah. no 100 like i like i said i kind of if it's kira i hope it's an episode six thing i i guess i'm not as interested in that in let's make a linkage to solo a star Wars story, arguably my least favorite star Wars movie. Yeah. We'll, we'll talk about that one day. So we'll see. Yeah. We'll I, I agree with you. If we're, <laughs> if we get them at the end of episode, the last episode or two is just sort of like a here where we might be going next. Those are things that are fun, which Marvel and MCU does a lot. Of, and they're, they're a blast to kind of get you excited about what's coming next. But I agree in that. No, I think they actually said it about one of the Marvel things like Shang-Chi is that, hey, they didn't want to have a bunch of cameos in there because they wanted that to be sort of a self-contained, self-built story. And they didn't want uh, all these, you know, two scenes here with this, uh, you know, Avenger and a few here with this one. It was more about building that story. And I like what we're doing here with this one, too, as we have Boba 
back in the back to tank and we get that dream I, and i really like the way that when he goes into the back to tank and he you know kind of falls asleep that it he, when he closes his eyes in the way that the dream sequence goes from just like really kind of fuzzy and kind of yeah. grainy to then oh yeah we're really clear here yeah. and we're seeing it all it's just something that's a small little touch that i i like right. and uh we're back with the tuscans and we are watching boba Learning with the different gaffy sticks now like he he's basically got a bigger size training stick and we're seeing him go one-on-one the Tuscans trying to show Boba he's not quite picking up exactly what he's doing he he, he thinks he's he's mimicking he thinks he's doing everything right and and they'll they'll be really stickler about hey no you're not and so Boba Boba's a little stubborn initially but then he sort of submits and he starts to pick things up quicker. He starts to really learn. And there's there all of these little teaching sequences where either they're teaching him or he teaches them. I, there's something just they're, – they're so simple, but they're just very well done. Everything about them, the little looks, the little nods, the – you know, obviously um, Morrison is just incredible. But I, I – Again, this is something that if you if you explained it, it doesn't sound that exciting, right? It just doesn't yeah. sound like, oh, Star Wars, what? There's this, there, there's five and ten minute stretches where there's not even a word being <laughs> spoken. What are you talking yeah. about? But it's it's really good. And it really pays off. I mean, not to jump to the end of the the I'm not gonna even talk let's not talk about the end. I love the end so much. We'll okay. talk about it when we get to it. But this we return, right, to this training with a gaffy stick and so once you when you watch the episode a second time you kind of the the weight of these scenes uh um they have a certain gravity to them and um again you know it was something we probably talked about with the mandalorian he shows up with this gaffy stick he's in this these black robes he's suddenly this badass fighter and at the time i mean i can't remember exactly what i said on the podcast but part of me was like who what like who is this guy like Mm -hmm. he's suddenly this like you know intense warrior i mean he he i I will never like i'll never get over how what a chump he is it was a joke (laughs) it was a joke return of the jedi and um you know the show the show could have yada yada this training like this could have been over in the first episode Mm -hmm. and i'm glad that they you know they place their bet in the Mandalorian and they're following through on it, right? Um, this is why he's fighting with the gaffy stick. Like this is how he becomes such a a skilled warrior. It wasn't necessarily that he was a you know a master martial artist in Empire Strikes Back and Return of the Jedi, and he just had a bad day on the sail barge. Like he is a fundamentally different person. He has had a um an awakening it's a you know it's, it's a rebirth as we said so boba is learning now and he's going to pick up the technique a little bit more and some of the tribe of the tuscans that are watching they're becoming more and more impressed with him and we would see a little small sand creature pop out and quickly shot by the tuscans they they celebrate and there's boba just loves to watch them celebrate and just kind of the simple things that that bring them joy and we hear off in the distance a sound and I, I saw some people saying it sort of sounds like a great dragon um that we had heard in the mandalorian but it was the pike syndicate train 
And the Tuscans, when they hear this, they start to run for their lives. They start to run for cover. Boba isn't really sure what's going on. And this train, as it flies by, it just plucks off Banthas, parts of these group. I mean, and we really see from the opposite side how these are people that are just on their homeland. And people are just raiding them. People are, you know, this Pike Syndicate just train comes by and just murders, brutally murders tons and tons of these Tuscans every time it it flies by. It really does a good job of just finished watching Cobra Kai. You know, it flips the script. It makes you like, who's the villain here? Who's really the bad guy? These people are just getting killed on their homeland. Right. And, And from a storytelling perspective, right, you see immediately there's a cost here, right? I mean... Um, I don't kind of a bit off track, but you know, one of the critiques of episode one, right? Star Wars episode one, the film was you have all this stuff about our, our people are dying. Like you must come quickly. There's this, you know, trade boycott of Naboo and people are suffering, dying. It's like, you see, no, you're never quite sure what the cost is. And I mean, effective, Mm -hmm. uh, powerful storytelling. You see like these, you know, Three Tuscans are picked off. Uh, a, a Bantha, their their entire lives are disrupted because of this train. I mean, they pose no real. I mean, what's really brutal, right? To your point about flipping the script, script is like they pose no real threat to this train, right? None, no, none. And, and they I mean, have no real ahead. technology. Yeah. They don't have any machines or weapons. They're just like hunter gatherers, mm-hmm. you know that. Um, it is even sad at the end when Boba sort of has that conversation with the chief and they, you know, he says, we don't have the machines that they have, you know, is Boba looks around and realizes what's happened. He actually carries one of the the dead bodies of the Tuscan back and they place them all and they have a ceremony where they burn their bodies. And it's kind of, you know, their little funeral ceremony that they're having there. And while that's going on, Boba can see the the group of raiders that we saw last week that were robbing the moisture farm they're referred to as the nikto raiders and right. he That's wants to, that was, go ahead what were you going to say no i was i was just racking my brain when i was watching i was like what are those aliens called they're nikto right yeah we've seen them mm-hmm. i mean they're just one of the staple alien races in star wars i just can't place them exactly but uh, yeah, thanks. gangster, you know, types, and that's sort of what they are, they are here. And so Boba, the wheels are, you know, again, we start to see how very ingenious he is with just putting, you know, everything around him. Okay, what do, what do I have to do here? And he sees these these Nikto raiders, and he tells, you know, the rest of the group, okay, hey, look, I want to help you. I will stop the train. I will stop them. I will take rifle and stick, be back by morning. And I love the way that they communicate. You know, he's using this sort of like sign language mm-hmm. where, and it's probably a combination of, you know, reading lips, sign language, pointing, using symbols. And he is able to communicate now with some of the, with a lot of the the members of this tribe. He's able to help teach them in a moment how to, to drive these speeders. But we get a really cool nod uh, in a moment, as Boba, they, they agree to let Boba go, and Boba follows the Nikto Ravers to Tashi Station. So 
This is a place that it's Luke Toshi Station. Yes. Oh, and so because this... they they shot scenes. Is this like on the? I haven't looked up stuff. There are scenes filmed. This is the Toshi deleted Station. scene. Yep. This there is the deleted scene from Toshi Station on YouTube that you can find. And these are Luke friend Luke's friends. This is Cammy, who he had a crush on. Who he actually thought he in and later that he thought he may have married if he had returned. The other one that we meet is uh there are a couple of Luke's friends here. So this is actually really cool. These are Luke Skywalker's friends that Boba actually comes in and saves. That's so fun. Okay, so so I mean I've seen that cutscene before. I, I didn't think, but I don't rem- have a photographic memory of it. But it's so funny because I wrote in my notes, the actor who plays the male patron seems straight from the 1970s. Yeah, like, absolutely um, was. Oh, that's, yeah. that's brilliant. I got it. I'm going to go back and, and watch that cutscene after our uh, after our conversation. So, yeah, this is a place that Luke mentions in A New Hope. There is the cutscene. Um, Biggs Darklighter, um, Cami Marstap and Lays was uh, another one. They were Luke's friends. And this is. You know, uh, just really, really cool. Uh, a super nod as the the gangsters, the Nikto Raiders, are just are messing with them. You know, Cammy and and Luke's friends are trying just to sit down and have have a meal, have a drink. And these people are, you know, this group is in the bar. They're laughing. They're stealing food off the table. They're stealing drinks. Boba walks in and just destroys. <laughs> Destroys all of them now We see the gaffy stick He is going at it I thought it was great after he's done Just beating ass on them He goes over and he just you know, takes, takes, a, takes a drink Yeah <sighs> It was so I mean you know I it was a it was a, a great scene It's so it's beautifully framed When he walks in like um, Total Kind of outlaw western vibes Part of me is like, you know, what did he have another plan? Like, was this always his plan? Like, what's motivated with? What I think was there any chance he was just going to steal the speeders? I don't think so. I mean, I no, um, no. It, you know, it, this, this kind of sense. You know, I mean, part of it is just the the archetype, but there's kind of this deep sense of morality or right or wrong that seems to be motivating of mm-hmm. honor or a code, right? That seems to be motivating uh, Boba Fett and. I don't, you know, this is a guy who ran with with Vader. This is a guy who worked for Jabba the Hutt. And I'm I'm wondering, and I don't want to get too heady, but like, is this show going to have him reckon with who he was before? I mean, part of it seems like he's trying to get back to some some type of warrior persona that he imagines his father having i mean because his father also worked for some shady characters and i just wonder if the show is interested or really needs to get into the kind of psychology of (laughs) of boba's morality but i i do think there's something here right about his his sense of right and wrong and the audience has no qualms right they know these people are are violating these guests we've seen them raid before boba has seen them mistreat people before and i think this kind of strong sense of morality that he has is really going to inform his ultimate goal with the tuscan raiders right which seems to be some sort of land uh reclaiming their ancestral land and stuff so i'm getting a bit of, like off the track there but no. I, I think everything is i mean again this is not this isn't like you know some 
deep character drama, psychological drama. But what makes this an, a great episode in my mind is that these scenes seem to be crafted with that thought process, right? About what makes these characters tick? Like, what are they committed to? Um, it's the the powerful, you know, power and simplicity, so to speak. I was I was even more impressed with the next scene that Boba was able to tow all these speeders. I was like in my head, I was like thinking like you were like the logistics of this. I'm like, okay, wait. So all these things, he's turning them all on, and then they just all kind of they're just nice, easy, just towed. But hey, this guy, this guy is a genius, and uh, he he tows back I think like five of these uh, these speeders, and he brings them back to the Tuscan village, and he tells them. Well, I did think it was it was uh, again just kind of small detail, but as he is approaching and coming back to the village, the Tuscans you know they hear the speeders, and to them, anytime they hear these noises, these machines, these weapons, they think, okay, we have to defend ourselves. So they're getting ready again, thinking that someone's going to attack them. They're able to see that it's Boba as he gets closer, and he tells them that he has a gift for them, but. They don't really understand. They start like trying to strip the bikes right away. They right. start trying to they're acting like Jawas here, you know, like we've seen they're trying to take everything apart. And Boba stops them and say says, Hey, look, I can teach you. And he asks them, Let me show you, let me teach you. This is how we will stop the train. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So no, I, yeah. Yeah, we jump in, right. Um, to this training sequence and this physical comedy and right the kind of how foreign this uh, piece of machinery is is to the Tuscans. Um, but again, it's a very like this is what always made Star Wars like effective. Like you kind of you you know the good guys from the bad guys. I'm talking about the original right original Star Wars, and it's like we're gonna stop the train. Like um, you just have a very clear through line, very clear purpose and motivation, and then a little fun, right, with the training sequence. And Boba's got, I think, a group of about five, and he's showing them how to drive these. Is he, I love he's sitting there, he's showing them how to uh, control, and he's pushing it forward. This it makes it go. This makes it stop. <laughs> go. Stop. Not exactly a driver's ed here, huh, Matt? I mean, not, yeah. not, not what we, we learned. I guess depends on where you took driver's ed, maybe. No, maybe this seems, is better. Yeah, it's a little simpler than driving stick, I would say. Yeah. Uh, it, it, it's pretty straightforward. Um, didn't we see... There's some scene where, like, a a Jawa... No, I'm thinking I'm I'm thinking of the Ewoks when they're on the, the speeder, and they're so uh, uh, uncoordinated. Um, <laughs> But Which yeah, no, I, 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 you know, it's, it's a quick scene. They become quite proficient <laughs> at writing yeah. these feeders, uh, you know, reaching this kind of acrobatic level of, of proficiency where they're jumping from one speeder to another. Um, they had some, they had the raw talent, right? You would say. They were, you're right. There were, you could see they were blue chip prospects. No <laughs> doubt about it. Absolutely. Um, at first they're a little bit unsure as Boa says, okay, who wants to go first? They've, I think, you know, because like I said, for them, they don't know these at all. They don't know machines. They don't know technology at all. This, this to them, all they know these are, these are the bikes that lead people to kill them. Like that's, that's how they know them. And so they're very tentative initially, uh, but 
you know, they trust Boba now and he's teaching them. And we, like you said, we don't know if this is a five minutes or a day or five months of a, of training that they're yeah. going through, but we do see them no doubt about it going through some struggles, but they're quickly learning. The first one sends the, the bike back in reverse. They're going pretty slow, but then they get the driving down. Then Boba has them jumping from bike to bike. Uh, we see them fall a bunch though, while figuring out the timing and the balance. And I did like that again. It's it's purposely trying to show us that this is an intelligent group of people. They can learn just like everyone else. They aren't these Neanderthal group of raiders. Yeah, no, I, I think um, they're adaptable, right? I mean, they're 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 the native inhabitants of this seemingly you know inhabitable planet, and um, they'll do what they need to do to survive. Like they've 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 outlived most other, you know, cultural groups on this planet. So, um, I think this pretty much brings us then to the, oh no, the no, no, not quite. Right. We're, we're, we're just about, yeah. yeah, he's setting it up. He's got a young, uh, a youngling watching for the train for them. He says, when the train comes, you need to help us signal with this. And he starts to show them how fast the train really goes. They, um, they go back to the camp for just a moment. And he's training with the gaffy stick again, and he gets knocked down, but he's still learning it. And you can see in this scene, when he gets knocked down, he's getting more respect from every day, every yeah. interaction, more respect from uh, the those that are training him. And I don't, I I had read some places. I don't know if they were doing this or I, I didn't catch this yet, but. They definitely were, you know, there are women that we don't we don't know because a lot of them are robed and but this might be a woman actually that is um, helping Boba. I'm not sure if that's something that they showed or we're going to see more of, but maybe some someone that he ends up having even more of a bond with. Is uh, it who they that folks are speculating it's who he's fighting with? Yeah, um, or just one of the the that there's a woman there are women in the tribe and one of these women that he's going to have maybe some like a stronger relationship with that'll hmm. kind of help him. Continue to develop the fighting That's like training him oh, I guess okay. one of the I, I didn't get I, that sense yet but I I'm not sure pick, yeah. I didn't pick up on that Me um, neither me neither so that and I don't even yeah. know if that's is Something but that uh, uh Something to keep an eye on um As uh yeah we I mean I love the the little Every time it's Just like how when I've coached kids and stuff Too right you give you see them growing You see them developing and then you sort of feel a little bit Better about like them learning and even When they like he, Boba ends up on his ass here, but yeah. he was he was doing what he was supposed to do. Yeah, no, it's a nice. I mean, you know, it. I, I keep belaboring the point, but this could have been a quick montage in Episode One. <laughs> like we could have gone Warrior Boba by the end of Episode One and just been on our merry way. And there, and that's what more work. honestly more people would have wanted to see. The flashy stuff than this But this is going to end up telling A way better story I think so and yeah. way, I, you know, we, I mean we're assuming but it just feels like You know I keep going back to You know Marvel and MCU Stuff but at one of the, the More recent movies that was not very Well received was Eternals and a lot Of the reasons why that movie wasn't well Received was because it tried to introduce A whole bunch of these new characters And stuff and it didn't really build their, Them well like we didn't really know much about them. We didn't really feel connected to a lot of them. I think that was one of the main gripes of the movie. And and then you show like Hawkeye the series, and in two episodes, there's this new character that like you're just 
infatuated with or, or like all of a sudden you just like she's just adorable and you love her and you you're yeah. gonna feel for what happens and this like right away you're very much invested now um in boba in what's he what he's been going through like you're you're starting to understand and actually feel sympathy for this bounty hunter like you said this guy's at some point gonna have to deal with the some of the repercussions for what he's done earlier in his life though right matt yeah yep. well maybe not i just i don't know I yeah yeah, I don't know how heady the show is going to be in in absolving Boba of his sins. Like, does anyone care? Like, are you know, are people concerned about the the ethics of promoting this hero who once sided with Darth Vader? I don't think so, right? I no. mean, he he was just he was a simple man making his way into the universe. Um, but 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 the relationship with his father is very important in the Mandalorian episode. And we get glimpses of that, images, feelings, really, of that in this dream sequence that we'll talk about in a moment. Um, And so, you know, reckoning with his legacy, that I think is going to happen. Because this is, you know, five years before, give or take, I mean, think about five years before he even goes, you know, he, he makes his move to get his father's armor back, right? We're still quite a ways away from the Boba we saw in The Mandalorian. So there's still a lot. I think there's still a lot to mine in this story. And I think they're they're wise not to rush it because it's a kind of interesting place to be. It looks like they have about five speeders and they can hear the train now a coming as we see the train heist sequence that is so so well done incredible speed of the train you've got uh boba's got this whole thing planned out for them so they, they get like the, f- the five of them that go on the speeders they have a lot of the other tuscans kind of um placed um in different areas that are going to be kind of giving them cover they've got the one of the younglings watching for them and this sequence goes five minutes we see tuscans falling to their deaths as they're trying to help execute this plan and we see the uh, tuscans on the speeders jumping onto the train the first tuscan gets onto the train but immediately gets shot and falls and that's when boba kind of has that look he seems you know sad and it looks as if another one another one of the tuscans who makes it onto the train is is going to fall but boba actually is able to drop back on the speeder bike and save him and then in a really cool move he swings the two of them up onto the train so we have like boba and i think three of the tuscans on top of the train now some of the pike syndicate start to come up we have a battle on top they're shooting at boba and the tuscans who are attempting to dodge and um we get this you know they're on the top of this moving train and they're firing back there's a lot of action going on here matt yeah it was again right just wonderfully staged um there's this kind of one of the you know the music really starts to kick in when the speeders are kind of swooping in line with the train and i was um i just kind of got chills like it was just one of those things that was just pure pure action it's very logical but you're totally wrapped into it um and again there are real costs right it's not uh uh tuscans are getting picked off they're falling off um you know 
there there's loss on that side and you you really get a sense of of the risk and the speed uh and the danger involved in this um attempt to stop the train and to to stop them encroaching into the land of the tuscans we get inside the train and we see the droid that's that's operating this train kind of pressing bu- pressing buttons all over then the train goes like super speed so uh, everyone on top is barely able to to hang on one tuscan uh, gets thrown out and we've seen at least a couple tuscan casualties now but the plan seems to be working there are about 5 of them boba and and like four others on top of the train now in pretty good shape and they're taking out a lot of this Pike Syndicate group. The train operator again boosts the speed, which just sends this massive flame, this exhaust, and one Tuscan gets knocked off here. Uh, Boba actually has to kind of ro- Boba rolls off himself, and he's like on the side of the train. That's how he's able to get up. Inside the basically conductor's room where that droid is operating the train and he uses one of his new tools, the gaffy stick that he has with him to help push the lever and stop the train. Yeah. And again, like really great sequence, really great action, a ton of fun, so many nods to different train heist movies or scenes in different movies or shows. And we get Boba. Now using something that was given to him, something that he looked around and he was trying to use his own strength. It couldn't. He needed that gaffy stick to kind of be the prop to to stop the train. Yeah, I didn't think of that. That is a nice that adds an, another layer to to the episode. Yeah, that's a really good point. So at this moment, all of the Tuscans come running and Boba and the, the Tuscans have now taken control of this train. So the Pike Syndicate, all of the living members are kneeling before Boba and the Tuscans, and we just get Boba laying down the law right here. Like early, uh, I guess I guess he enjoyed doing this because this is like early uh, Boba crime boss that, that, that yeah. he wants to be. You know, now in uh, in modern day, he says you know, he asks for the leader, and then he the well, one one of the creatures comes up and says, "Are you going to kill us?" Boba says depends on how you answer What I'm about to ask He asks him if they're carrying Spice And the pike leader doesn't know what he means What do you mean by spice (laughs) (laughs) That was funny That was pretty good Uh, He says Sassana spice from the slave mines of Kessel And the pike leader says what does that look like And and then they've got a box of it Right there It's just like dusting up in his face And Boba says like that this yeah. is not looking good for you. Yeah. <laughs> Which was pretty funny. Yeah. I, I, you know, there is kind of, again, this is kind of this morality is like, it depends on what your, you know, what your response is. Like, is, is Boa against drug use? Like, what, did he lose a friend to spice abuse? I mean, I was going to say, know, yeah. It, it's kind of, I don't know. I'm being a bit of a no, but it's funny. It's like, like Boba, who is a brutal murderer and has how many deaths on his ledger, and he's uh, pointing fingers about the uh, the drug use and the yeah, drug smuggling. Yeah. Yeah. I, I don't know. I mean, it, it's funny. I, I think that like what really you know, right after this exchange, we really get into what the heart of this episode is about, right? And um, 
the Pike leader, right? We we thought you were uncivilized raiders. I mean, I think we're at that line, right? More or less. Yep. We were trying to protect our route. And And, uh, yeah, Boba says, no, these are no longer, these sounds are no longer free for you to pass. These people lay ancestral claim to the Dune Sea. And if you are to pass, a toll is to be paid to them. Any death from the passing freighters will be returned tenfold. Now go back to your syndicate and present these terms. Your lives are a gesture of our civility. Yeah, Uh, yeah, two things. So one, like, I mean, I, I think it's a nice, like, Oh, we're uncivilized. Like we just, you know, spared your life. That's a clear little, uh, little contrast there. But again, you know, thinking, talking, we were talking before about Boba's naivete, his kind of, you know, uh, lack of experience in this realm. Everything we've seen with the Pikes thus far in Star Wars, mostly in Clone Wars, um, they're in Solo at the Spice in the Solo Star Wars story in the Spice Mines of Kessel you never get the sense that these are pushovers. Like, I don't think they're going to accept these terms. We haven't Mm -hmm. seen anything in Star Wars that would expect us uh, to think that. And so, you know, um, this is probably not the end of the conflict with with the Pikes. Um, And especially when Boba tells them to, you know, they kind of think that that he's going to give them the train back for a moment. You can see, like, they think they're going to be getting this train back and going. And he says, now walk single file. Yeah. In the direction of the high sun, it will lead you to Anchorhead if you leave by now. Just what were we killed? No, you're going to travel under the protection of the Tuscans. No harm will come for you. We'll give you each a black melon. You will survive on its milk, as these people do. Now go. Yeah, yeah. Um, no, I mean it's a cool, it's a cool moment. My my prediction. I don't think this is a very risky prediction. Is that the Pikes are in episode three, right? You know, episode yeah. one introduced us into the Nitko uh, biker gang. We see them come up in episode two. Episode two introduces us to the Pikes. Also introduces us, of course, to, to Java. Reminds us about the Trend Oceans. Um, I wonder if episode three, and we see some sort of dinner table meeting in the trailer, that if episode three might be now bringing together these different crime factions that have been introduced at the center and the margins of the first two episodes. So I think we're definitely, I, I, it, it's the safest bet. We're going to see the Pikes again and probably the next uh, episode. So the Tuscans are pretty pumped because they're able to get into the massive supply of water in this train. They yeah. all celebrate as the, <laughs> the the water pours down and they fill up their buckets. That <laughs> bugged me. I was like, stop, like, you know, like do this more systematically. Right? You're like, wasting all this water. Like, you're wasting so much water. Me like, too. like, do you have a better container? <laughs> Come on, so seriously. Precious. Turn it off for a second. Let's get a hose. You know, <laughs> as uh we are then back to the Tuscan camp at night. Boba sits at the fire as one of the elder Tuscan speaks. I is is this like the leader that he was talking to I here? Think so yeah, yeah I, that's what I recall. I don't have it in my notes, but I think that that's right. And uh, this uh, this village elder says to Boba in Tuscan, "There are many different Tuscan tribes. Since the oceans dried, we have stayed hidden. Other tribes survived by killing." Boba responds, you shouldn't have to hide. You are warriors. And this is where it's that kind of that sad moment, right? Where, you know, the the Tuscan says, 
the off-worlders have machines. Mm-hmm. But Boba reminds them, you have machines now too, and you know every grain of sand in the Dune Sea. Like I brought you, we've got some speeders, we've got some guns now, and you've got home court advantage. You know this place. You know the lay of the land. Yeah. I can't I, I I'm really excited to see how this pays off. Um um you know, I'm I'm firmly, as I've said in this episode, like I'm firmly in the camp of let's we're all in on the Tuscan Raiders. This exchange with the Tuscan leader establishes, I mean, we already knew this. There were plenty of visual clues. Uh, clues and indications that there are many tribes on Tatooine, right? I mean, the logical next step is some sort of unification or temporary alliance among the tribes. Um, you know, the, this this idea that they are going to fight back uh, uh, for their land, um, you know, that they're, they're now being armed and prepared uh, and trained for some sort of confrontation, I, I think it seems inevitable to me. Right. Absolutely. If they I want to see them to his mission. So I can't wait to see the 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 combining. And this is this is what's great too is that together they are all becoming so much more well rounded. Mm-hmm. You know, Boba is learning from them the hand to hand combat. He's learning a lot of things that you know. It's it, it is funny in this world that we're in now with technology that like technology is a thing here. You know, like we're so dependent on technology, it almost feels like Boba had been for his whole life, you know, and mm-hmm. and he's got all the gadgets and and with his yeah. suit and with the armor and with, you know, all of the weaponry that he had, you were kind of getting to it like he was not the greatest fighter. Honestly, mm-hmm. he would get his ass kicked like any time he was in hand to hat hand to hand with with them here. So uh, he's <laughs> he's learning like he, a lot of his weaknesses are being fleshed out here and he's helping to, you know. Fill in a major blank and a weakness uh, for the Tuscans, as you know, this is the the reason why they had to stay in hiding for so long. Mm-hmm. Yeah, um, yeah, it's 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 exciting, right? Because it's beyond. We've seen we saw the Tuscans in Mandalorian, but chronologically we saw them. Oh, okay, no, we saw them later. So we've seen the Tuscans in the future. So it's unclear if their lives are going to change in some really material sense, though, I guess it could come right. Ultimately what happens in the show will be after the Mandalorian. So I'm getting a bit ahead of myself. I'm just trying to think that is there going to be some sort of new world order on Tatooine? Of Texas. No. Yeah, absolutely. Right. right? He's almost, is this a, 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 you know, is his leadership a, a means to the end of just a complete, um, reimagining of, of the power structure and dynamic on Tatooine. Um, is Boba Fett a revolutionary? <laughs> like, right? He's, he, seriously. And that's what yeah. it feels like here. It feels like he has a purpose. And and the purpose keeps bringing us back to these these Tuscans who they have a gift for him. And he, what? A gift for me? Yeah. And they bring out this little, um, this little container, this little like basket that's weaved. And it's got a lizard in it. He says, a lizard. Thank you. And Boba looks a little bit confused. As the Tuscan flicks some of that drug spice, and uh, the lizard actually climbs into Boba's nose. So I guess you know Boba is going to be doing some drugs here, Matt. Right. That's, oh yeah, that's great. That's some subtext. Yeah, yeah. He's uh, he's 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 going to trip for sure. <laughs> so this is where we get that vision quest scene where Boba. Uh, 
th- this drug and the lizard climb into Boba's nose and it's this kind of funny moment where he says, "I'm sorry, I think I swallowed it." It's a tricky little bugger. And <laughs> the yeah. Tuscan says, "It will guide you from inside your head." Yeah. And Boba starts to trip. His vision gets blurry. He can't see. He kind of walks off, and it's this dark, dreamlike state, this vision quest. It's stormy. There's a tree off in the beyond. What were some of the, the things that really stood out to you about this sequence, Matt? Yeah, it's, it's the tree in the ocean, like I said before, right? This kind of uh, visual representation of of ancestral origin and the way that the tree is wrapping you know, wrapping around Boba like the Sarlacc's tentacles. Like there's this kind of, it's almost like his whole life becomes collapsed at this point in time and space. Um, This really, you know, kind of mournful image of him seeing his father depart, him seeing his face in his father's helmet. Um, You know, it wasn't literal, it wasn't very literal, but it leaves you with this feeling of, 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 almost experiencing he is experiencing the totality of his life from his origin in Camino to his death in the, the Sarlacc pit in one place and time and breaking free of, of that cycle of that life. Right. He snaps, snaps the branches. I, I don't think he's rejecting that past. Right. But it's really the, the kind of, this doubling down on the rebirth imagery of the last episode, right? It, it, mm-hmm. It's integral to this idea of a midlife conversion for 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 Boba Fett. I think we talked last episode about the biblical illusions, and um, if I get my Bible right here, uh, like Saul on the road to Damascus, he sees this blinding light. Like this is a new a new man, right? He's, he, he's been reborn, recreated. Uh, uh, put put through the fire and crafted anew, much in the same way that he will craft this object from this branch, right? This kind of remaking of a person is then going to be mirrored in the remaking and molding of that person or warrior person's weapon. Uh, I'm getting this is <laughs> this is very no. this is how this is what my life is like. This is what it's just great. Academic is like is all about you know deep interpretation is- and analysis, but. I, I loved, you know, I'm all for reminding people of his roots in Camino. I, you know, I'm a, I'm a prequel guy. Uh, I like that the show's not shying away from that, but at the same time, it's not being like beating you over the head with daddy issues, right? It's showing you images and it's giving you feelings. And that's the most effective kind of Star Wars storytelling is, is visual storytelling. So yeah, a couple of the other things, you know, throughout this, as, as Boba gets to the tree, it sort of like surrounds him. It suffocates him. He's trapped in it. Then there's the flash of him into the Sarlacc, basically being digested, struggling to get out. First, as as this Boba without the armor. Then we actually get a flash of him back in in his armor again. We get that shot of him as a kid on Camino, watching his dad fly off in Slave One as it pours rain. Then Boba climbing up from the dirt out of the Sarlacc pit. Then again being surrounded by these tree branches where he snaps one of the big branches and the big burst of water, all this symbolic um, imagery here, new life, new birth, over breaking free, becoming sort of his own, right? His own person kind of walking his own path now. He's he's not only individual but also part of a family, part of a tribe here, 
and has his own experiences, his own life to build on. And as they get back to the camp, Boba kind of it's like he stumbles up what seems to be the next morning after the trip. You know, well, <laughs> there is a, an important question here. Like, where the did he get that branch? Like, right? Like, he did, like, this is all this imagery and this hallucination, but he does come back with the branch. So, like, I don't know he where did he did go got somewhere. It. He actually he got did a branch go to somewhere. a tree. Yeah. And... <laughs> He has this, yeah, this big branch that is going to be molded into his gaffy stick now. Mm-hmm. And so when he comes back to the camp, the lizard jumps out of his nose, goes back into the little basket where the Tuscans contained it. And Boba has it, it. Like you said, it's funny. He's back there and it's like, oh, I got this branch in my hand. You know, it's kind of like, I've yeah. got this thing here. Where did this come from? And yeah. it's, uh, it's like that dude, where's my car? Where it's like, he's starting to feel what this has showed up yeah. in my hand. And uh, he, he actually said. I thought he was part of the dream. He's talking yeah. about lizard. <laughs> He's like yeah. still super foggy about what happened. Mm-hmm. As the Tuscan chief says, show me the branch. And Boba shows it to the chief who nods in approval. And Boba at this moment gets, he gets robed. Mm-hmm. The Tuscan tribe all places the place, these robes on him. And he looks like the guy that we saw in Mandalorian season two, almost like a Jedi where he he even asked, like, are you a Jedi? Oh, no, he absolutely like, you know, my notes I have, he reminds me of Luke and Return of the Jedi. And it's I mean, I don't think it's a meaningful illusion, but the very start of the episode, right, sets us up in this this gateway that Luke passed through. And then the end of the episode, we see this figure cloaked in black that reminds us of Luke and in Return of the Jedi. And um, again, I, I mean, I think it's a it's kind of a subtle, inevitable connection one might make, but um, it's very much, you know, what's ringing in my head in this sequence, right? We see him being robed and everything, right? It's this, the C-3PO line from Return of the Jedi, you are now part of the tribe. Like um, this now, you know, everything's clicking. Like this is why this, this Tuscan clan wears black. This is why he was dressed the way he was. In the Mandalorian, this is why he fought the way he he fought in the Mandalorian. Um, it's very cool. And and again, like the the episode could have ended there, like it yeah. could have ended there, but no, like he's gonna fashion his own gaffy stick. I which love is that. great. Yeah. So they the one of the the younglings from the tribe takes Boba out to basically this carving station where they they all head out and they form their own gaffy sticks from the branch, and we see the pro like. Everything, the attention to detail, like you said, this, all of this, all of the Boba with the Tuscans could have been in one episode of episode one, maybe 10 minutes of like a few different things of showing the process, but not all of this, the, the, the little, the process of him, the trimming and then the sanding and then the smoothing and then the carving, you know, I just. I thought that was all really fascinating watching him learn and forming his own and he, you know, into the fire. There's this like iron blade it kind of thing on the end of the gaffy stick is this process was, you know, 30 seconds to a minute scene. But it, I loved I loved the carving, the ornate little like the way that you want to make each stick maybe a little bit unique and he's learning from them. It was just 
you know, we've hit on on the things that we liked, and a lot of the stuff in this episode was the stuff with the Tuscans. But anytime they're going to pay more attention to detail with something like that, I'm going to appreciate it more. Yeah, I I I love the attention to craft and detail in that scene, um, showing us Tuscan metallurgy carving, um, just the the detail on, on the mace head or whatever you would call it of the gaffy stick. Um, it. It, it gave me so much more than I thought I wanted or needed from this episode. Um, and I, I hope we keep going down this pathway. I mean, in some ways this might, you know, I've been professing my love for this kind of plot line or attention to to cultural detail and so on. This could be the end of heavy flashbacks. I mean, he's now essentially, quote, yeah. part of the tribe. We might now spend a couple episodes in the present. Like it's very mm-hmm. possible and uh, I'll trust, I'll trust the the filmmakers, etc. cetera. Uh, but I also think we might, you know, there, there's a lot more that could be explored in the, this parallel timeline. So it'll be interesting to see where it goes from here. Yeah, I agree with the pike. Like we could return back. Like you said, there's feels like there's some, a lot of unfinished business, maybe with that pike syndicate, who knows if they're going to go so quietly into the night. Yeah. Um, and we finish things up here with the uh, the return to camp and the newly found Gaffy stick and the newly formed Gaffy stick of Boba's. And the Tuscans and Boba all dance around the fire together, basically like his initiation ceremony. They pay homage and tribute to their Gaffy sticks and to the new member of this tribe as Boba Fett. And we're starting to uh, to really get into this series now. We are two episodes into a seven Episode installment and we got a, a much Longer episode here Which uh, as Matt had said was kind of fun because I Was kind of I, I did the same thing I don't think I I looked at, at the Length of it and so there were three or four Different times where I was just waiting for the credits to pop Up and yeah. I was pleasantly surprised When they didn't loved where We were and you were kind of dancing Around it this is something The best shows in this World of Star Wars now and, and, and Marvel and, and the the really Big universe building stuff they can make you care about things you didn't even know you would have cared about. Yeah. Yeah. It was such a joyous, maybe it's the wrong word, but end of this episode, seeing that dance, I was so, um, just so delighted. I wanted to get up and dance myself, right? Like I wasn't part of it. Yes. Like he's, he's so in sync with the, uh, with his new Tuscan family. And, um, you know, I, I don't, you know, one of the things I think that I really responding to in the show is that it it takes this trope that we see in so many westerns and and popular storytelling of the going native trope, right? Dances with Wolves, Dune, uh, The Last Samurai. I mean, it's it's so pervasive, um, but it does it in such a kind of caring and respectful and committed way with a character who himself is has indigenous roots in in uh New Zealand with a dance that recalls a, a Maori traditional dance um i just think it's such a like well thought out and earnest you know representation of an indigenous science fiction right culture uh on in a popular medium which before has you know presented these very simplistic one-dimensional at times racist representations of quote-unquote the natives that it 
you know, it doesn't lean. It, it, I don't think this show is overly political in any way. And I don't think Star Wars is subversive. But I think, you know, it's a just a well thought out and well considered story about a man's encounter with a different group of people. <laughs> and I'm so appreciative of that as an anthropologist. I was a big fan of episode two of the book of Boba Fett. We had the tribes of Tatooine. We got to, you know, check in with uh, some new characters that were inevitably going to be revisiting. But we spent so much time with the Tuscans and really fleshing out that story. And now a lot of the questions that we were just asking last week, like, you know, why does Boba care about this? Or why does he want to do that? We still don't really know, but we're getting we get we feel a lot better about it. We can sense where we're going here. And when when we, you know, when we find out why, it's going to make a lot more sense now having spent all of these moments with him and the Tuscans and in this time period between, you know, him being being, you know, uh, found in the desert and where he is now. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Yeah. Um, Matt, anything? Yeah, go ahead. Wrap it up. Any any of your last uh, uh, your last thoughts on this episode before we get out of here, moving towards episode three? No, I think, you know, I, I think they're, they're, you're, you're an odds guy. You're a betting guy. You like, what are the odds? We never leave Tatooine on the show. Like, and we never see space. I, right? I, I, I think they're probably low, but, but I, but, but the fact that we're even talking about him, the fact that they're even on the board, that it's even a betting yeah. option says, yeah, says like, a lot. Like, Hashtag no hyperspace. Let's stay on Tatooine. And and, I, and if we we leave, we have to leave Tatooine. I'll I'll uh, I'll keep an open mind. But let's stay on Tatooine. <laughs> yeah, it's fun to be in this, this this something that feels a little bit different. And we have all the those same Star Wars feels too when we get back in the present day. But it's been fun to be in in the past of Tatooine in with these Tuscan Raiders and then bouncing back and forth. And we're going to be with you each and every week here, folks. We're going to be taking you through every episode of The Book of Boba Fett with Matt Velasco. We are very lucky to have Matt joining us, helping out. And it is crazy how quickly these shows move because, like I said, it's episode – there's seven episodes in this, and we're already going to be in episode three next week. Oh, boy. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> right? Time, yeah. Time keeps ticking. <laughs> it does. Matt, thank you so much. I know you've all, you've got a really busy schedule, and I just love – Chatting Star Wars with you every time we can. Got great feedback from our, our episode one recap, and uh, the folks are really looking forward to us chatting this uh, this series the rest of the way. Great. Can't wait to see what episode three holds. Do not go anywhere, folks. Still plenty more to discuss on That's What G Said. A big thanks again to Matt Velasco. We'll be back with you next week for episode three of The Book of Boba Fett. So you want to set the mood something all natural soy wax non-toxic baby since for every season now don't be afraid baby to spell it out C-E-R-A-N-O-S.com. and don't forget promo code Gino gets you 10% off mm-hmm. Big thank you to Matt for helping us out again, and we'll be talking Episode 3, Book of Boba Fett, coming up soon. And SarahCandles.com, you've been hearing about them for years here on That's What She Said. All-natural soy wax candles, no toxins, no carcinogens, no pollutants. Make sure to use that promo code G-I-N-O. It'll get you 10% off your purchase. Great gift for anyone, any time of the year, all seasons, all moods, all scents, you name it, they've got it there 
at sarahcandles.com. I love when we get the chance to do this, when we can go uh, the history of a certain event. So you hear a lot of the deep dive old wrestling rewatches where we'll take one pay-per-view and we'll go through all the matches and, and all the commentary and we'll really break it all down. But now we're going to take one event and we're going to go through the years and the history of this event starting in 1988, the Royal Rumble. Darren Zocali joins me. We go from 1988. We discuss every year of the Royal Rumble, every winner, all of uh, some of the matches on each undercard, things that we remembered, who was dominant those years, who lasted long, who had great runs, what was happening in the World Wrestling Federation and then World Wrestling Entertainment at that time period, what, what ended up happening moving forward to Wrestlemania, a little snapshot of every single year of the Royal Rumble in the history of the Rumble with Darren Zocali. Oh yeah! Oh, Wrestling Rewatch with Andrew Champagne and Darren Zocali. <laughs> well, when the calendar turns to January, it means it's a new year, but for wrestling fans, it means the road to Wrestlemania. As uh, for uh, a while now, WWF and WWE has sort of kicked things off with the Royal Rumble in January. So we're going to do a little history of the Royal Rumble here, a little special edition of the old wrestling rewatch. Darren Zocali is with me, DZ. You've been seeing DZ with a thorough crowd and uh, picking winners all over the place at Turfway. Lots of success so far over the last few weeks. Uh, how you doing, brother? Yeah, man, good. You know, got through the holiday season, thankfully. Everybody's healthy and doing well. Uh, wish everybody else, you know, the same. Hopefully you're getting through this, this uh, once again, difficult time. But, uh, yeah, I'm doing well, focusing a lot on Turfway Park. It's been lucrative. Aqueduct as well for the uh, expert pick videos. And Thoroughcrowd has, has done extremely well. We got three wins to start the meet at Turfway, so we're thrilled about how things are going. And we certainly hit the ground running in 2021, so looking forward to 2022. I, I'm losing track of the years, Gene. I know, right? Old. It's, it's what happens when you get older. Is that amazing. people? People ask me how old I am, and I have to stop and think about it for a second. Wait, I did go 34. No, 34 I've done that. Yeah, it's like I've I, done the same I promise thing. it's not like a me trying to be like younger thing. It's just literally like a me like, wait, let me think about this. I don't know if I've answered this question in a little while. And uh, my my wife turns the big 40 this year, so oh, this is, so that's uh, a good. It's a good milestone. Yeah, it's yeah. So but we're having we're having oh, I'm having some fun with it. You know? Oh, yeah. yeah I was going to say there's yeah. some fun friends episodes you can dive into there in like the 30s and 40s. No, why? Yeah. God, Start, you why? Know, you <laughs> say, wow, you're as close to collecting Social Security as you are to being 18. <laughs> wow. You know, stuff like that. And it's just because I'm, I'm her birthday's in June. So she's turning 40 in June. I turned 39 in July. So it's like, wow, for for a month, you're going to be 40 and I'm going to be 38. Yeah, <laughs> that's so funny. My and uh, Stephanie, my girlfriend, is also three years older than me. Uh, so same thing. I have I have a good time with her too because she just flipped up to thirty seven. So now we joke a lot about it because that's when when all the they talk about like LeBron or when they talk about people in sports like they're thirty seven years old. She's like, oh my god, what do you mean it's not that old? You know, it's just really I'll funny. You, I'll tell you one thing though. Um, you you could start certainly start to realize as I am as I am getting towards the end of my thirties that. Uh, things hurt that never hurt before for no reason whatsoever. And yeah. you can you can really understand how professional athletes, when they get to their you know mid-30s and onward, yeah, you know what? I understand why it's a struggle. Because there are days where I just sit up out of bed and I go, oh, what the hell is that? <laughs> you know? 
<laughs> so the hangovers you know, too for yeah. me, man. Never used yep. to get those too much. Nowadays, I know if I've got some really early stuff to do, I don't even chance it. I don't even. Nope. I don't even play. I don't even worry about it anymore. And uh, what's great, we're talking a little bit about our age with uh, with you and I in particular. We were basically growing up right in the beginning of WWF going national, right in the beginning of the pay-per-view era, really. You know, I was born in 87. You were a few years older than me. And so we're growing up right when all these pay-per-view events are starting. We're watching a lot of them as we're young. And the Royal Rumble has become – it's always been a really important event. For me, I think personally, and I think we've talked about this, it's my personal favorite event yep. of the yep. year. The just the 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 fact that the randomness of it, the thirty that you don't know what's going to happen. It's always exciting. There's always going to be a few surprises. Just the countdown to it all, and then since you know ninety three really is when they've had the winner will get an opportunity to have a big match at Mania. So you you kind of know the story that's going to be told. It just WrestleMania is. Epic, great. You'll have probably some better matches there, but I just get more ex- most excited every year for the rest uh, for the Royal Rumble. And and I think we're at a point. It's 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 so different than when we were kids. When we were kids growing up, and and you were watching the Rumble in ninety ninety one ninety two. You know, we viewed it as fans. It was just fun. Now, the Royal Rumble match itself has probably become the most scrutinized match in wrestling each year. The the outcome, who wins how it's booked, who looks strong, who gets the big push with all of the eliminations. Who eliminated who. Yeah, <laughs> exactly. And, and it is probably the, the, the match that is most scrutinized from the wrestling fan who either likes what happens or complains about what happens. You know, Roman Reigns winning, no Daniel Bryan, you know, things. I mean, we've seen it time and time again. You know, uh, we've seen Rey Mysterio get booed at number 30 because it wasn't Daniel Bryan. I mean, we've seen some some wild things, and it's because... The, the wrestling fan has, for better or worse, become smarter, become more in tune with what's going on behind the scenes in wrestling. And because of that, the Royal Rumble, which is one of the most important matches of the year, because you know it, it certainly catapults somebody into potential superstardom, puts them on a platform for the next four months, if not longer. And people feel a certain way about that, and they want to make damn sure that it's somebody that they feel is deserving of that spot. And it's somebody that they want. And because of it, even more so than a match like the main event of WrestleMania, it's probably scrutinized uh, more so than any other match. It makes it it's, it's another piece to a very fascinating puzzle and how the Royal Rumble has evolved over time. We're, we're going to take a trip through history here. So normally on our shows, we do the deep dives. We go match by match, promo by promo. We dive into all the funny commentary and everything. On this particular episode, we're going to do a little snapshot of each rumble we'll tell you what the matches were on the card we'll tell you who won the rumble and just some things that we remember from that um you can kind of use this over the next few weeks as your sort of uh your rumble cheat sheet if you want to go back to some rumbles if oh yeah how was that what was that match like or what was good or who won that one we'll give you a a little uh little teaser on everything that happened in each of the rumbles and uh we'll you know we'll share things that we liked that we didn't and we'll start all the way back in 1988 now, if you want some of the deep dives, we have done deep dives on 60 plus shows now, and we've done deep dives on Royal Rumble 92, 94, 98, 2002, 2008, 2010, 
2014, 2018. So there are a plenty for you to go and deep dive. And for for me, DZ, we get to the first Rumble ever it was 1988. This one wasn't even a pay-per-view. This was a USA special. And when we talk about the history of the Royal Rumble, you, you know, you, we actually even discussed at the very beginning, were we going to start in 88 or 89? So the first initial Rumble wasn't quite as much star power as the, the Rumble's would be afterwards It was a, a 20 man rumble Hacksaw Jim Duggan ends up winning He eliminates one man gang last Bret Hart, our guy, he's the first ever Royal Rumble entrant And they had four other matches on the card The Jumping Bomb Angels were in a 15 minute Women's tag match, that was really good But we didn't have any Hogan or any Andre On this card Wrestling wise And so as far as the rumble It was you know a lot of the mid card There, some familiar names but not really a lot of title contenders Well yeah and, and to show you Where you know the difference in, in How this was viewed Hogan and Andre Would be fighting two weeks later on a Saturday Night main event in that historic match Where uh, the ended in controversy And Andre selling the Belt to DiBiase and leading to The tournament that took place on Saturday Night main event which was probably viewed as a Bigger spot than the spot that the Royal Rumble is in on this USA Show which is which is very interesting uh, the Royal Rumble is not even the last match on the card. The last match on the card is a two out yep. of three false tag team match between the Islanders and the Young Stallions. Um, yeah, so this is kind of has more of a like WrestleMania four battle royal type feel to it. it does um, yep. Bret Hart? You can see already that those who are making decisions recognize his ability because just he's trust in this him. Match. Yeah, he's in this match for twenty five minutes. Yep. Um, Jake Roberts is in it for almost 22 minutes. Uh, you get quick hitters. Uh, you know, Warrior comes in for a little bit. Junkyard Dog's the last guy in. But like you said, there are some guys who end up being stars. Warrior, Brett, etc. But this is not your Royal Rumble. Winner goes to main event. Last four guys, all big names. Who's going to win? It, it, doesn't, it, it doesn't have anything like that. This is more of a stroll down memory lane seeing the beginnings of a product, the beginnings of a match and how it went and how it would evolve over the years. Um, but yeah, like I said, it, it's more like the battle Royal that, that happens at WrestleMania that same year than it is a historic Royal Rumble match. Yep. We move along to 1989 and now we're on pay-per-view. We have four matches on the card here and we have a 30 man Royal Rumble where big John stud is the winner. He eliminates Ted DiBiase to win the rumble. We've got a, a Haku versus King Harley race match for the King of the Ring crown, and we get a Rock and Robin Judy Martin match on the undercard. But this is more of the template for the Rumble that we now know. We do get more star power in this Rumble. In fact, we um, we do get Hogan in this Rumble getting eliminated early in the uh, in the Rumble. <laughs> Shocking which is crazy right <laughs> I mean like I was it was Insane kind of looking back and thinking thinking On it but they were they were leaning heavy into That storyline with Hogan with Macho there was the twin towers and there were A lot of that was and it just goes To show you right when he's not Always the guy carrying the belt and he's Not always the guy winning everything It's a great story right mm-hmm. No question And Macho Man is in this match As the WWF Champion correct so this is not a uh, winner gets the title match type situation. Um, it ends up being Big John Studd, who, of course, is an attraction. You know, not necessarily 
the best wrestler on the planet. One thing that I thought was weird about this particular Royal Rumble, Andre and Big John Studd always had heat. They had some famous moments together. I thought it was surprising to me that you had them so far apart in how they booked it's the just, match. It's easy. It would have been totally easy for it to be. You bring him in, and especially if you want to put a stud over, right? right? Why doesn't he eliminate Andre? Yeah, that yeah. that would be the easy thing to do. So, yep. totally yep. agree with you on that. That's what kind of stands out a little bit here. And but you yeah, got. Mon- I mean, you take a look at this lineup. I mean, demolition, Andre. And this is the one which, which people remember where Axe and Smash were one and two. Yes. They yes, started correct. out the Royal Rumble, which was a really cool Royal Rumble spot. They're one and two. They kind of look at each other for a few minutes. We got that yep. years later with the Steiners, where I think Steiners. they were like one and three, and they kind of looked at each other for a minute and did the same, and the crowd loved it. They popped, you know? It's Yeah, cool. because you never see that. No. Like, that's his team is blowing never. up. Like, you never. What does this mean? Are they not going to be a tag team anymore? This is back in the era when tag teams don't turn on each other like they did now. You know what I mean? You put teams together, they're together for six months, a year, and you know know where it's going. You put teams together, they're together for a few years at the very least, you know, sometimes forever. And Demolition was was the tag team. You know, this wasn't wasn't like, you know, uh, having Apollo Academy, uh, (laughs) you know, uh, Alpha Academy, whatever they call it. (laughs) Yeah, know, yeah. Being being one and two. This was this was demolition. So, yeah, it, it that added a, a nice element to how the match started. But I mean, if you go through the rest of this roster, you know, Shawn Michaels is in the match. Savage, Hogan, uh, Bossman, Arn and Tully, Arn and Tully. Cool yeah. to see them in there. Yeah. yeah. I mean, this is this is a who's who. It is of WWF at the time. And this is where it starts to gather some momentum. It's mm-hmm. not to the significant. It's not to the historical significance yet that it's going to be, but you could start to get the feeling. Okay, this match means something. Yep. We don't know what yet, but it's important. Yep. We're feeling it now as we move along to 1990. We've got five matches on the card here. Hogan wins the Rumble as the champ. He eliminates Mister Perfect. DiBiase comes in as number one. He lasts for almost 45 minutes, 44 minutes and 47 seconds. Hogan and Warrior cross paths in the Rumble, which starts to lead to the build for them. Nothing really special in the undercard, to be honest. Um, But in the Rumble, DiBiase, Hulk, Roddy, Brett, Andre, Sean, Rick Rude, Mr. Perfect. Um, Pretty, you know, pretty solid group there. It just kind of a lackluster event overall. The bit which was surprising because then you got to build to a really good WrestleMania main event with Hogan and Warrior. It just felt like this was one where you should have done a little bit. They, they, you could still tell at this point they didn't really know what they had yet with the Rumble as like to use it as the tool that they would now. Because if this happened now, Warrior's winning the Rumble. Oh, of course. Yes. Right. I, I think, I think at this point they were so focused on trying to make this match important that that went into the decision of to have your champion go in there and win it and have him celebrate with the pomp and circumstance. Yep. We need, we, we need that to make this match feel big. relevant to where, to where it is now. Cause you feel like that's the first two winners. You think about it too, right? Yes. Duggan and big John stud at this point, neither yes. of them were really title contenders ever or legitimate ones. They weren't guys that held the chip. So Having Hogan win this thing does yep. make it go, okay. Now you look back at the early rumbles and you go, oh wow, Hogan won 90 and 91. Okay, you know. But this this was also 
for me, this was the first rumble that had a quote unquote moment. And the and and if they booked it this way on purpose with the designs that this was going to get that reaction, and this is how they were going to build their way towards WrestleMania six, then whoever booked this part of the rumble did a really brilliant job. It could have lasted a little bit longer, but you have the moment where Hogan and Warrior, separate from one another, are cleaning house just on their own. Warriors in one side, Hogan's on the other, and they're throwing guys out left and right. They each eliminate six guys. And unbeknownst to the both of them, all of a sudden, they're the last two men in the ring. And you could feel the energy in the building. And you hear uh, you hear Jesse Ventura say, look at this. Look at this. And yep. right there, you have your Royal Rumble mm-hmm. moment as if to say, okay, this is what this match is for. This is where we start feuds and we start rivalries. This is where we start our build to WrestleMania. And at the time, you couldn't do it with two bigger names in the company than Hogan and Warrior. And that is gives me goosebumps just thinking about it. Honestly, it does. You know, that is the first moment in a Royal Rumble match, really, where now you have your Royal Rumble. This is what it's going to be. This is what it's going to be for the next thirty some odd years. This is the energy it's going to produce. This is how we get. From where we are now to our WrestleMania main event. Yep. And uh, that was 1990 and 1991. You can sort of feel the same because Hogan wins the Rumble. He eliminates Earthquake at the end and he gets the title shot at Mania. And this is really the first time that that happens. And that ends up becoming the template moving forward. There are six matches. We get Ted D uh, and Virgil, DiBiase and Virgil versus Dusty Rhodes and uh, and Dustin Rhodes. Kind of a cool little tag match on the undercard. Rockers, Orient Express have a fun match there. Sergeant Slaughter wins the title with help from Macho Man. He's the new WWF champ. Terrible. He beats Terrible. Ultimate <laughs> Warrior. Yeah, just really poorly done. Just have Macho be in the mix there instead of Slaughter. It, yeah. You know, and in the Rumble, Brett's number one again. We get the Texas Tornado, Jake. Undertaker lasts 14 minutes and eliminates three. Rick Martel goes over 15, 52 minutes. Mr. Perfect is in the mix. Randy Savage never enters after uh, you know all, all the stuff that happens earlier on the card with Warrior. So this is where Hogan wins. He goes on 91 at WrestleMania and gets the belt back from Slaughter. But it's kind of funny because this one, again, you can you can definitely feel now where they're going. This was a big event. We had the title defended on this event, I think, for the first time. Um, and so you could, you know, you get the sense that, okay, this is this is a real legitimate pay-per-view now. But 91 was just kind of the slaughter stuff and Hogan stuff. It wasn't anything to write home about. The macho and warrior stuff was some of the best stuff of that early that year. It was. And obviously it set up what was you could argue the the I mean, Warrior's best match is still probably the Hogan match. But the Warrior-Savage match that you get at WrestleMania 7 is an all-time classic. Uh, it's probably the best you can get out of Warrior. And for two guys, I'll, you put Warrior and Macho together. I don't know what it was between the two of them. They were magic together. Uh, you know, Warrior was obviously not the best ring worker. But Warrior and Savage in a ring together did tremendous things. They were excellent. Excellent. And they were even fun when they would cut little promos together as yep. the uh, the their tag team before right before Warrior left because remember yep. it was supposed to be Warrior and Macho the teaming Mega up. Maniacs. Yeah, they were supposed to be teaming up together at a Survivor Series '92. Yep. So 
Warrior, yeah, this... gets, Warrior gets buried here, but not only for the fact that he loses. They have the WWF Championship match in the middle of the card. In the middle, of, yeah, just yeah. really. Yeah, they really were doing weird. the. Yeah, they were doing that. It is. It is funny to see how they they lay out the mat the the shows kind of throughout mm-hmm. the years too, and which shows they decide to have the rumble in the middle of the card, or you know, not at the end, and which you know, just sort of what they feel like is important, or we kind of ask some questions as to why they did some of those things. But it, yeah, it's it's great as we go. You can kind well, of travel well, through, and the- why why they did what they did here is simple. I mean, they very quickly in a matter of two hours said, "Thank you, Warrior, you're done." Enter Hogan. That's what, Obvi- this and, that's what this pay-per-view is. Yep. No, you're right. This was the shift right back to Hulk as 92 feels like, to me, 92 feels like the modern era of the Royal Rumble and on, you know, kind of just like that's really to me when it feels like it began. And this Rumble, we've we've done the full recap on and it, and anyone that says it's the best or their personal favorite Rumble, they're not wrong. This one is the Rumble that was fair to flare. We've got Ric Flair, we've got Bobby Heenan stealing the show on commentary We got Flair, well really Hogan eliminating Sid and Flair getting the win Flair ends up lasting over an hour He And not only that, he eliminates five uh, throughout the match You get some incredible promos This is the greatest moment of my life He gets, it means you put that cigarette out And you get all the, the promos that everybody cuts Macho, so you've been to the top of the mountain And I'm going back, yeah I'm gonna get my hands on that snake, man it Just, Roddy talks about how he's gonna win two titles He already won one And just so many moments You talked about moments that started You could feel them in 90 this one is just chock full of moments. It, it is. Uh, it's an interesting time because there's a lot of uncertainty about Brett. There's uh, there's thinking that Brett is leaving to go to WCW, which is why Brett drops the belt to the Mountie, the whole angle about him having the flu. Piper finally wins a belt in WWF, a historic moment there. Um, you, the promos are fantastic. They come up with a brilliant idea in this one particular year to have the winner mm-hmm. be the WWF champion. Cause they had all that stuff happening with Hogan, with war, uh, with the undertaker and with flair, yep. they were g- interfering in the match at survivor series. And then at this Tuesday in Texas, the yep. chair yep. was involved. So Jack Tunney decided to uh, put the belt to, uh, to hold the belt up. And it was going to be defended in the Royal rumble for the first time, which we've seen happen a couple times, but this and that's what makes it it's got like the March Madness feel to it. You know? Sure. Everyone that comes in, it's like one and done. This is the this is for the belt. Like boom, you're you're yep. in, you're over. And you just get so many of those really cool combinations of Bulldog, Ted DiBiase, Flair, Sean, Texas Tornado, Rowdy, Jake, Undertaker, Macho Man, Hogan, Slaughter, Sid, all in the mix. And you and you just assumed at this point in time that Hogan was going to win again. Yeah. I mean, you know, but the right. That's what makes it so great again when he doesn't, when anyone doesn't right? the ones where they tease you with Cena or Roman or any of them. Those are great. Charlotte, where they make you think that it might be someone who people might roll their eyes and go, Oh, you know, not again. And then that's the finishes that are really great. And your, and your last five in this rumble match are Piper, Hogan, Sid, Savage and Flair. I mean, you you can't you can't get you know a better last five in a rumble match. And they do the right thing. They when you when you set up 
a rumble like this, where the guy at the end holding the belt, winning is going to be holding the belt, you should have the heel win. Absolutely. You have the heel win, and then you put the, you know, you have the baby face go into chase, chase mode. And that's to WrestleMania. That, and and this is this is the difference between WWE booking in 1992 and WWE booking in 2022. We don't typically see it booked this way because now the guy typically that wins the Rumble is going to be the guy. Mm-hmm. And sure, we've had plenty of heels win, but it, my, for my money, if you did a Rumble like this, Flair in 2022, Flair doesn't win. I agree. I don't. I don't think that's how they book the match anymore, no. which is unfortunate. Because is. this this is, for my money, and I think a lot of people agree, this is the best Royal Rumble of all time. It is. It's so good. The, and just from everything, from the commentary to the Rumble itself, to the star power there, to even on the undercard where, you know, there's nothing spectacular, but there's the moment of Piper winning that IC title and, you know, the chase to win two titles. And you're thinking about it for a second. Oh, wow. Piper might be able to do it. And that there's Natural Disasters LOD match. Stuff with Flair is great. Oh, it's so good. Oh, it's so good. He's out trying to find out what number it is. He's paying guys to go back and get him information. He's leaving. Cabrillas just going crazy, sweating all over them. Oh, it's just so great. Such a great one. We've got it in detailed, match by match, everything broken down here for you. If you want to check that one out on a previous episode of the old wrestling rewatch, we get to 93. We've got five matches. And now we get kind of in a string And we we saw it from early on When Brett, like you said, was always kind of Treated very important He was the first ever entrant in the first ever Rumble He was number one in multiple Rumbles And now he's settled in And this is when Brett has just become the guy 92 was a really bad year for WWE And a year of change Steroid stuff Hogan leaves Bulldog leaves Warrior leaves All these guys who were just Getting pushed up to the top of the card They're done He's basically you, Randy Savage is in this match He's the this the uh, the last guy eliminated in the Royal Rumble But he's basically going to be like, Become a commentator soon He doesn't have much left He's not really in like a main event picture role anymore So this is Brett Brett's in the main event He defends the title in a pretty good match against Razor We get Sean Marty for the IC title And Yoko Zuna who is very new on the scene He's only been around for a few months He wins, he eliminates Macho Man And this is it for Flair Flair's going to be gone too He actually comes in number one He leaves the next night in a in a Loser Leaves Town match That he, It's a really good match on Monday Night Raw I think which is like the very early days of Monday Night Raw You get Bob Backlund, DiBiase, Jerry Lawler Perfect, The Undertaker dominates And then Giant Gonzalez comes in And he ends up eliminating him Which just Pissed me off I remember because Undertaker was yeah. was Probably the guy who most people wanted And he was sort of the baby face at this time Owen, Macho Man Were also in there and uh, yeah Macho Was uh, was the last one eliminated by Yoko and the, the way he gets eliminated Is so goofy DZ Ridiculous yeah I don't know who thought That was a good idea that Macho Man Randy Savage who is one of the Names in WWF And understands wrestling Better than anybody. He talks about how he's mapped out everything. Match. He's yeah. so meticulous about how he's yeah. got pages and but, pages. Of this right. And he, but he, he forgets he, the he rules forgot. Yeah, of he the forgot Royal the rule. Rumble yeah. that he's yeah, been in six, to five times or whatever. At by this the point. way, here's here's where I think that they could have completely changed the landscape of where they go in 1993. And we've given Yokozuna's run a lot of flack here. 
when we've done our wrestling rewatches and talked about it. And, you know, I, I do feel, I do feel badly about that because look, it was not, it was not a great run for a lot of reasons that we talked about. You read about and you, and you watch documentaries about Yokozuna as, as a person and, and you do feel badly about that, but there was a better direction that WWF could have gone in here. They didn't realize, or Vince just did not realize that Savage was nowhere close to done at this point. Right. And why couldn't they have had Savage go heel during this match, turn on perfect, do something crazy, get him heat, have him win this Royal Rumble, and have a heel Randy Savage Bret Hart feud throughout 1993? It would have been great. I, I mean, mean, terrible it, that that never it happened. Just brought back or that that's a the to me that's the best option. The second best option, you just brought back Mr. Perfect. Yep. He's so over. Yep. The next night you're going to have him beat Flair and send Flair home anyways. Why not? He's already had a fantastic match with Brett before. They have another great match later in 93 at the King of the Ring. Yep. He's he's a legitimate top star. Brett versus Perfect is a much bigger match than Brett versus Yokozuna at the time. Yep. Much yep. bigger. And he wasn't and, and Perfect wasn't hurt yet because he goes into the feud with Luger. And so yeah. we, they can't use that as an excuse to say why they didn't do that. No. They, they, they did put Perfect in a program with Luger. And he went to 93. He was even in the match with Sean at yep. SummerSlam. That isn't very good. It's not spectacular or anything. It's not like a bad match, but it's it's not what they were wanting it to be. And and maybe he doesn't have a whole lot left after that, but he would have definitely gotten up for a Mania match. Oh, yeah. For sure. He would have been bumping around like crazy. Yep. And that's that's what right here ends up kind of leaving a bad taste in your mouth with 93 as uh, Yoko gets the win. And we move along to 94, which is another one that we've done the deep dive on. And this one isn't great, and the ending's a little bit goofy, but it's one of my personal favorites, being a Bret Hart guy, obviously. As you know, we, we have the really cool story they're telling early in the card. There are five matches, and we get the co winners of Bret and Lex Luger. Bret and Owen have the tag team title match versus the Quebecers. Bret gets injured, Owen kicks his leg out from under his leg. And uh, we get Yoko <laughs> and Undertaker in that casket match where it, it takes like 50 guys and then Undertaker ends up sus- getting suspended up through the uh, the rafters. And um, there's a Razor IRS for the IC title on the undercard. It's a good in match, Rumble, that match. Yeah. It is. It yeah. is. And in the Rumble, we get some Jeff Jarrett, Sean, Tatanka, Lex, Brett, Diesel, Macho Man. The Steiners go at it for a little bit, which is fun. And uh, Diesel ends up getting eliminated uh, by Sean, which kind of starts a little bit of a a feud between them. So while this isn't probably a lot of people's top five rumbles, this one definitely holds a special place to me being a Brett guy. I love how the sale, the selling too. And just, you you know, this was back when you kind of knew, but you didn't know. And there was, there was one spot that somebody didn't come out. And Vince was like, oh, that must have been Brett. Oh, Brett Hart. I think it was Vince. Or who, he was, I must mm-hmm. have been Brett. And and then so it's like, ah, oh, Brett doesn't make it. And then you see him come out and he's limping and he's just selling that injury. D- that DiBiase. I can't believe it. It was <laughs> it was so great. God, and DiBiase, yeah, had, had had it out with Hart so many times and just not liked, uh, liked him, which is 
I, it's great. It's a personal favorite of mine. I'm sure as a Bret Hart, this one you probably remember pretty warmly too. Oh yeah, yeah. I actually like this Rumble. Uh, I know it doesn't it doesn't go down in the annals as a great Royal Rumble. Um, you know, the Undertaker stuff was goofy, but at the time, I was a ten year old kid. I ate it up. You know, having having the Undertaker levitate and leave the casket, and and nobody <laughs> knows what the hell's going on as a ten year old kid. That stuff was awesome. You know, Razor has a great match. You got the Bret Owens stuff. Uh, and then the Royal Rumble match itself, you get the you get the big diesel push for the first time. Um, you know, you start to realize, okay, this guy's gonna be somebody important. And they've um, done that now for about they yeah. did it with Taker, right? Yeah. They this is like the second or third year where they started using that as a tool yeah. now. Yeah. And, okay, and, we can get this big guy in the middle of the like he can kind of dominate in the middle. We we can still find a way to make him look strong by having him get eliminated by a bunch of people or by somebody coming from outside and you know building a story. But and it's a good it's a good use. It's a good tool to to use for whoever that next guy is. We've seen so many people through the years. And, and one of the one of the cool things about this rumble, the way that they booked it. So Diesel runs through so many guys rather quickly between numbers one through ten or so. That in the middle part of this rumble, you got to really rely on guys to to get you some length. And you've got guys like Crush in this match for 25 minutes. Bam Bam is in the match for 30. You've got, you know, Thurman Sparky Plug, who of course is Bob Holly, in there for 21 minutes. Sean is in there for almost a half hour. How about Mo from Men on a Mission is in there for 22 minutes. Valentine for 20, Tatanka for 20. So because of what they did, the middle part of the rumble had to had to get some length to it, or else this match would have been 30 minutes long. So that part of this rumble also always fascinated me. The ending, yeah, it's a little goofy. Um, the way that they timed it so that you can't tell who at the floor, though, they did a great job of that. I, they did. I loved they really, it. They did a great job of that. But you know what? What's really happening here, though, is it, this is an interesting thing, is that this is art imitating life because the result of this Royal Rumble is a microcosm of what is actually going on in WWE scenes because Vince doesn't know who is going to be the guy to get the nod at mania. He doesn't know if he's going back to Brett. He doesn't know if he wants to put the belt on Luger. He's still confused about Luger. He's been back and forth on him for the better part of a year at this point. And this result is really Vince McMahon kind of going, we got to come up with something because I don't really know what I want to do yet. Mm -hmm. And, you know, I mean, now it wouldn't probably happen this way. They would figure out a way that they would put the, you know, the, the main event on, on the line in a match and another pay-per-view or something like that. You didn't have that back then. There was no pay-per-view between the Royal Rumble and WrestleMania. So you had whoever was your guy at the end of this night was your guy. So they had to do something because Vince didn't know what direction he wanted to go in. Is it a little goofy? Sure, but you know what? You get a great WrestleMania on on the uh, on the other side of it, so it's not so bad after all. It is, and I love it. I still love it. Well, looking back, as uh, we get to ninety five and ninety six, and these are both the the two that Sean ends up winning. And I gotta say, both of these two, they just kind of come off really pretty lackluster when you know, like oh, overall. And in ninety five, there's five matches. Sean wins the Rumble. The they change the Rumble, so it only ends up going. Uh, one minute instead of the normal two minutes or 90 seconds in between each entrant. So this entire rumble only lasts 38 minutes. Yeah. Sean and the bulldog come out at one and two. They're the last two. 
It actually looks like the Bulldog wins Sean ends up holding himself up Only one of his foot uh, feet touches the ground And that sort of changes the dynamic of the Rumble moving forward With the whole, oh, only one of his feet touched Because that was something that they never really emphasized before Now we see a lot of people, you know Focus using that uh, to do some cool spots here and there And sometimes even win the Rumble like Sean did So there were five matches There's a really good Brett Diesel WWF title match on the undercard That goes over 27 minutes And just to show you of how good Brett was there This was an excellent match This is like a four-star match They had two two bangers this year This one and and the Survivor Series match They're great, great matches We got weird and I was thinking about this too Undertaker versus IRS On the undercard And I think this might have been just to get him out of the rumble Because they wanted to build Sean Yeah yeah. Just that's to like point. Yeah. you know you don't put him in the rumble It's like the Daniel Bryan thing right yeah, Hey yeah. he's not gonna win Don't put him in there because this is about building Sean right now yep. And and you know so they build Sean here in this match, uh, we got a Jeff Jarrett Razor IC title match. They actually had some pretty good matches together and some pretty good chemistry too. Mm-hmm. One, two, three, Kid and Bob Holly won the tag titles at the end of a, a tournament in the undercard, but just not a lot of star power at well, all. That's that's the problem with the Rumble match itself, which is why it's so lackluster. I mean, I'm not going to go through the whole thing, but when you take a look at the last 11 guys in this Royal Rumble match, Mantower, Aldo Montoya, Henry Godwin, Billy Gunn, Bart Gunn. Bob Backlund, Stephen Dunn, Dick Murdoch, Adam Bomb, Fatu, and Crush. Those are the last 11 guys in. There's nobody from that list that has a snowball's snowball's chance in hell of winning this match. The two that were remote, that had a a tiny, tiny, tiny. Adam Adam Bomb and Crush? I mean, like, <laughs> Luger, like earlier in the match, Luger and Owen Luger, were the yeah. only guys I would have mentioned. But Luger was way past his push at this point. Yeah. Luger wasn't even really much of a singles guy, like a singles main event guy anymore. Mm-hmm. And Owen wasn't re- like Owen had st- was, still would have sort of made sense. Like he would have been one of the only other ones that you could have been like, OK, we can go back to Brett with Owen again or we can do something. But it just. So few people who you would have said, oh, yeah, they can win this match. And, and what's crazy is even at the time, Sean and Bulldog weren't even main eventers. Nope. Really. Like, Sean would tiptoe into the main event and have some matches, but he was still pretty – he wasn't really, you know, battling for the, the title all that often. He was more the IC level. Yep. No and, question. So this was very lackluster. 96, we had five matches. Sean wins again back to back now for Sean He ends up eliminating Diesel And so now Sean's more babyface here We got a Goldust Razor IC title match on the undercard Undertaker versus Brett for the WWF title Ends up going on last in this one And we got Yeah, Sean Diesel, Triple H, Jerry Lawler, Jake the Snake Yokozuna at the very end Big time Yokozuna here Vader, Owen D, uh, Isaac Yankum DDS there and uh, and Bulldog in '96. What do you remember about this show? Yeah, I mean, I, I struggled in the mid '90s with a, with a lot of their characters because they had a lot of goofy characters, and when they would show up in the Royal Rumble, you know, they're just kind of there. Um, you know, Triple H is in this thing for over 45 minutes. Um, you know, it's kind of his coming out party a little bit. Obviously, Sean and his big build up to his match coming up with Brett. 
They do the whole Sean and Diesel thing, which, you know, works out, which works just fine. Um, kind of interesting that Sean and Bulldog are two of the last four guys in it again. So they kind of go back to the two of them again a little bit. Um, you know, even though Bulldog didn't come out till 29, but um, they're there again towards the end. But again, it, it's not as bad as 95. There are some guys in here that you could have, you know, maybe three or four that you could have thought had a chance to win. But I remember this again being a Royal Rumble where it was pretty obvious what direction they were going in. Yep. Not not special. Those are two of the Rumbles that I just I'm, I'm, when when I'm doing my uh, my rewatches, always put the rumbles in the background and kind of go through them the few weeks leading up. When I get to these two, I and, there, and this was one of the years that the rumble match wasn't the last match either. Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. You get the Undertaker Brett match yep. with the DQ, which well, it was a damn good match, but you know the ending left obviously, uh, you know, left a lot of people uh, two wanting guys a bit more. Yeah, they wanted to keep strong and protect. Yeah. Too, so they didn't want either one of them to have like a real clean loss here. So, yeah, 95 and 96, very lackluster as we move to 97. And this is when the product is starting to get a little bit hot again, as um, this was all about Austin. And we are at the Alamo Dome here. We have six mass- matches. Austin wins, but cheats. And the way this was done, I really liked quite a bit. We get the setup. For the final four pay-per-view the next month Which is one that is a fantastic show I think we've also talked about And we get uh, Sean winning the title back against Sid And then he ends up giving the belt away And he loses his smile Not long after this (laughs) (laughs) Triple H and Goldust have an IC title match Vader and Undertaker have a match on the undercard And we get Ahmed Johnson, Fake Razor and Fake Diesel Jake the Snake, Bulldog, Triple H, Owen, Goldust, Farouk, Brett Jerry the King Lawler, Terry Funk, Undertaker, Vader, all in the mix, and it should have been Brett. Austin wins, and uh, and Brett throws him out at the very end, and then Austin sneaks back in. The referees don't see. He ends up eliminating Brett. I mean, we get the spots with Austin, you know, looking dominant throughout, eliminating guys one at a time, doing the push-ups, sitting on the turnbuckle, looking at his watch. And then the moment that Bret Hart's music hits and that look on his face, that's that's one of my favorite Rumble moments. Yeah, no question about it. Um, it this is when the product, there, there's a big change in the product from Royal Rumble 96 to Royal Rumble 1997. Um, but the other thing that's kind of interesting about this Royal Rumble is that you take a look at where we are at the end of this Royal Rumble. Stone Cold wins the Rumble. Yes, he cheats. Uh, Bret Hart should have been the winner. Stone Cold wins the Rumble by cheating. Sean wins yeah. the WWF Championship, um, which bothered me a lot because the year before, we've talked about it. That Survivor Series match with Psycho Sid was was a fantastic match, and Sid was, was so over. Over. Yeah. And Sean wasn't anymore at this yeah. point Especially yeah. as a babyface And that's what ends up happening He ends up turning back heel yeah. He was just being felt really forced A lot. What they do a lot of times with their babyfaces They did the same thing with Diesel They kind of try to put a square peg into a round hole And they make you something that, you, that you're maybe not not Like Sean was cool to some You know, doing some of the Sean things When you try to squeeze that into a babyface It just doesn't work, you know yeah. Yeah. And but- but yeah. over the next three months, so much happens. Like 
you know, typically at this point, you got your Royal Rumble winner. He's going to WrestleMania. He's facing the guy who won the title match at Rumble for almost always, you know, for for the most part. And when you get to when you get to Mania, neither of them are in the match. Nothing. It's it's Undertaker versus Sid. Sid. Yeah. Yeah. Because Brett wins the final four and then Sid the next night beats Brett on Raw. Right. Now, I understand that Shawn Michaels' issues is probably what caused all that, because otherwise you start to scratch your head. And you say to yourself, well, why the hell did you pass around the belt like a hot potato over the next three weeks? Why why did Sid have to lose the title at the Royal If Rumble? he's just going to win it right back. <laughs> yeah. And, know, it, and then you could you had the obviously built-in stuff with Austin and Brett. And you end up getting right. one of the best, if not the best, WrestleMania match ever for in a lot of people's minds. Top five, I think, yeah, oh, yeah. on anyone's list. Yeah. Yeah. But so for what I, if you ask me what do I remember from this Royal Rumble, it was... How you came out of the Royal Rumble thinking one thing and you get to WrestleMania and everything is completely flipped upside down. And you go through a period of two and a half months between this Royal Rumble and WrestleMania where it is a roller coaster and it is ups and downs and what the hell is going on. And, you know, who's going to be a champ? What's going on with Michaels? It's. It is a wild three month period in WWE. Really is, really is, and uh, yeah, it it was fun. It was fun, but crazy. Just can you imagine if that happened? That how how everyone would bury them for the booking. If, I can't if what they if what happened in '97 happened today. But, but and think about it, nobody <laughs> nobody looked weak. No, no, it wasn't like Brett looked weak, and no, it wasn't no. you know it wasn't like Sid looked weak, and Sean had reason. Sean gave the belt up and. Austin wasn't able to get it quite yet, but he was right there in in the picture. It was they would still call it they would still call it overbooking though in two thousand. Oh yeah, <laughs> oh yeah, no doubt about that. As we get to ninety eight, where things are changed now, Bret Hart's gone. Yep, and we have six matches on the card. Stone Cold eliminates The Rock, and. The Rock ends up lasting 52 minutes and 32 seconds in this one. We get uh, Rock Ken Shamrock on the undercard, LOD, New Age Outlaws, Vader, Goldust, Luna in the Rumble, Austin, Rock, Owen, Shamrock, Mankind, Cactus Jack, Dude Love, the three faces of Foley, Vader, Mark Henry. So 98 is is really like last year, 97, Austin starting, 98 now. It's really to the point where we're all about Austin. Yeah, I, I mean, you knew this was going to be either Austin or The Rock. Um, you know, it was no surprise that that's where it came down to. The Rock has a 51-minute um, you know, marathon here in the Rumble. Uh, Vader comes in at 30 to try to give you a little bit of a thought there. But, yeah, this is, uh, this is where WWE has said, okay, um, you know, we have a 1 and a 1A. Austin's the one, Rock's the 1A. The Royal Rumble is certainly going to reflect that. A lot of guys in the middle. There's some decent enough guys in here. You know, Ken Shamrock, you know, is all right. You got the three Mick Foley characters. Um, You do have Vader at the end who's only in there for two minutes. But when you go through this, you know it's one of two guys winning it. And in all likelihood, it's probably Austin. And that's what it is. But this is a – this Royal Rumble is known for WWE, you know, basically – putting a, an underline to a name and saying, this is our guy. 
Yep, they started doing this now. You could you could get the sense most years now it's going to be. I mean, we could always guess who it was going to be within a few, but they really started, uh, you know, giving you the context clues very early on. Shawn Michaels is this is the match that might have ended his career, ends up kind of putting his career on halt for at least a few years. He has a bat back at the at the moment, and he takes a ba- a bump on the casket. In the title match with The Undertaker here for the WWF Championship, he ends up winning the match, still with the help of uh of you know DX there. But he goes on and he ends up losing it. And in Mania '98, that's the last match that Sean ends up having for four years. And that's basically, you know, you think about that, Brett and Sean, your two guys that had been such a focal point of your company for a long time. And then November '97 and middle of '98, the two of them are gone. Yep. Yeah. Totally different changing landscape. Uh, the evolution of the company over a three to four year period is is drastic to say the least. Um, and you know, we WWE right now is going to go through a couple of difficult years here. Um, you know, they do have Austin, they do have The Rock, but uh, things uh, things get a little bit tricky for them with the WCW breathing down their neck and eventually, you know, reigning supreme against them for a while. And it was. Because, in large part, that they had so many guys who you just did not take seriously. Um, and so many characters that were just so yep. strange and wonky and juvenile. And, you know, the uh, the occupational character gimmicks. Who's a plumber and who's a garbage man and all the other nonsense. Um, and they pay the price for it for a couple of years. Yeah, they do. And then they get into the Attitude Era. And that's when the, the noticeable change in what... what what people wanted people wanted you to be a little bit edgier they didn't want that corny good guy and that's why austin became such a huge deal and as we got into the end of the the 90s we get to 1999 which you know i, I don't i don't really like this rumble all that much looking back they have the it's basically it's austin mcmahon you know that's that's the rumble match and they're number 1 and 2 in the rumble and i just don't like when to me with with you know, Austin McMahon, or when you have wrestlers nowadays that are, you know, multiple time champs and they've won the big one so many times. I just don't think you need to use the Royal Rumble as the vessel for them. The Rumble is so nice when you can you can use it to build someone who hasn't been there yet or is like a, a, a star that's been on the brink of being that top, top level talent. Because yep. then what's nice is you have a couple months to build them right after. You know, you you have plenty of time to start to put in the work, and I'm sure you've at this point you probably already put in some of the work. But here, you know, Mr. McMahon wins the Rumble, and this angle was hot, and people were really into the Austin McMahon stuff. It was one of the biggest angles in the history of wrestling and in the company, no doubt about it. But McMahon and Austin are one two. They're both out of the ring for long periods of time, and McMahon's on commentary. He's trying to get people to eliminate Austin. In the Rumble, we get Edge, Gilberg, Goldust, Kane eliminates four, Shamrock, Triple H, Owen, China is also in this match. We did get that Rock Mankind I Quit match. And some of these matches at this point with all the chair shots, they don't hold up very well at all. Like knowing oh. what we know about concussions and stuff, you you look back on some of these like just unprotected chair shots to the head, they make you, you cringe. Um, we got Sable Luna and Shamrock Billy Gunn also on the undercard. Yeah, you know, going back to what you said, this Royal Rumble match for me 
they flirted with, I won't say disaster, but, you know, this is borderline, you know, having David Arquette win the WCW championship. Putting it on Russo, right? No, this is. This is. This is the booker. And Vince was the most over heel in the company, really, and in wrestling. So that's where it was a little bit different. But it still is the guy that runs the company putting the belt on himself and in the history books and the record books Vince is always going to have that you know it's just weird it's weird and on top of it I understand he sits outside the ring and all this other stuff but there's a big problem here number one it's just not believable that Vince McMahon can win a Royal Rumble match that's problem number one problem number two how about this you got an, an owner of the company Who's the biggest heel in the company? Everybody hates him. Everybody hates him. How does the entire group of wrestlers in the ring at any one point not in time, just all not team collectively? Him. Exactly. Exactly. Everybody gets I, a free shot on the boss. Wait, you're telling yeah, me I can hit him right now and I don't I get do in a, trouble? Exactly. It's part of the match. Yep. Come on. There you go. There you go. Exactly. And you know, I'm sure that was probably discussed. And maybe they were trying to make the point of view that McMahon could buy people off and X and Y and whatever. But that's why, and while I won't say that this match was a disaster, it could have been. You know, it, 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 this, was, this was a Royal Rumble where they walked a fine line and it could, have been, it could have been really, really tricky for them. They got through it. And, you know, because Austin and McMahon was the biggest attraction at the time, maybe it helped. You know, the Rock-Mankind match before... The Rumble was a wild match, um, the I Quit match. So, you know, you did have that leading into it that also, even though, you know, The Rock was a heel at the time. And, and you know, you, I mean, you, you got I mean, you got a pay-per-view here where you got the heel, The Rock, going over Mankind in an I Quit match. And then you got the heel, Mr. McMahon, winning the Royal Rumble. You want to talk about not sending the people home happy. I know. <laughs> you right? know, this was a... I don't know if you want to call it a ballsy borderline, you know, like I said, walk the tightrope, get out of Dodge and hold on to your, you know, hold on to your whatever. This was, <laughs> and let's yeah. see where we go. <laughs> One of my least favorite rumbles of all time. As we get into the 2000s and in Rumble 2000, we had six matches on the card. The Rock wins Royal Rumble 2000 by eliminating the big show. And we get Taz, Kurt Angle on the undercard. Taz beats Kurt Angle. And uh, what a 2000 into 2001 for Angle. He's wrestling it's, Triple H for the WWF title. By the way, <laughs> yeah, in three minutes he just <laughs> squashes him. Yeah, and uh, Hardy's Dudley's in a tables match. I think it was the inaugural tables match. Um, Triple H, Cactus Jack in a street fight. Jericho, China, uh, China, Hardcore Holly for the IC title. And in the Rumble, Rikishi, Christian Bulldog, Edge, Jericho, China, The Rock, Big Show, Kane. Those are probably, you know, some of the ones that you, you've sort of felt had a shot there. And this was a point when Austin was injured for a while. So Austin was out, and this really helped elevate The Rock and, and Triple H, too. You know, as, as Mick Foley's going to be um, on his way out for a little while, he's going to wrestle at, at WrestleMania. And then he kind of bounced in here and there. But full-time-wise, he was done after this. Yeah, yeah. And you knew that there was going to be a Royal Rumble with The Rock's name on it at some point. Uh, and with Austin not there, this felt like the logical time for them to do it. Um, you do get a little bit more firepower in this Rumble match. You know, uh, Test was a pretty big deal at the time. 
Edge was starting to gain some traction. Jericho uh, is in there as well. Um, you know, Big Show, Kane. So, you know, you do have some guys in here that it's not just a whole lot of filler. Um, the Rock is only in the match for 14 minutes, so it's not a very long, uh, you know, uh, a long period of time for him that to be into the match. He comes in at 24, but uh, yeah, it, this is, uh, you know, like we said, we knew that the, we knew that the Rock was going to have uh, a Royal Rumble with his name on it. Sure enough, it's here in the year 2000, going into uh, WrestleMania 2000. Where he is going to be, if I remember correctly, I think he's in a fatal four-way match. Yeah, that was such a weird one. They had the right? four-way that Triple H wins. Yeah, and at the in the main event, it's the the, the McMahon in every corner, where right. it right. was Shane O'Mac with the Big Show, Linda, yeah, Linda was with with Mick, and you had a uh, Vince with the Rock, and then you had Stephanie with Triple H. Yeah, yeah. so yeah. the uh, 2000, which was funny, which was a really hot year. But the Mania wasn't all that strong with that no. main event. Mania main events are, you know, you can get some three ways in there that are good every now and then. But the the one on one matches that are built well, though, that really should be your main event most times at Mania. You know. Oh um, yeah, yeah, for it, sure. I, I mean, yeah, I mean, when you're doing when you're doing the Royal Rumble stuff, and you know, you're gonna have the guy. It's kind of weird when you start getting into three ways and four ways and. Uh, what the hell happened to the guy winning the rumble, you know, being the guy to go to mania, but yeah. th this is a forgettable WrestleMania, but it is on the, you know, the doorstep of what many consider to be the best WrestleMania of all time the following year. Yep. In 2001, we get to the rumble that Austin wins again for the third time. We have five matches. He ends up winning by eliminating Kane in the Rumble, we get a Drew Carey sighting. <laughs> we get Kane, the Honky Tonk Man, The Rock, The Big Show, Undertaker, and Stone Cold. We get Angle versus Triple H for the WWF title. Ivy versus China, also on the undercard. The Dudleys versus Edge and Christian. Jericho Benoit there on uh, the 2001 Rumble. So a three-peat now um, for Austin after winning this one in 2001. Yeah, and uh, you know this is a match where you'd like in the towards the end, you have Taker and Austin in there, you know, together. Rikishi was kind of a a guy that tiptoed in and out of main event status at this point in time. Yeah, he he was just in that that match in two thousand in Armageddon. Remember yep. with, with in the Hell in a Cell that we talked about not long ago? That six yep. man. So they were building him. They had him be the guy that hit Austin with the car. So he had that you know that rivalry built in there too. And Kane has a monster push in this one. He's in there until the very end. He's in there for almost an hour. Uh, this is the Royal Rumble where Kane eliminates 11 guys. So this is his year where he gets that monster push as the big monster in the Rumble match. And uh, Austin, as you said, wins for the third time. And it leads to, uh, you know, one of the biggest swerves in wrestling history when Austin teams up with McMahon to beat The Rock for the title at, at WrestleMania that, that year. And in, in what is one of the more memorable moments in WWE history. And, and like we said... You know, going from 2000 to 2001, WrestleMania 2000 to WrestleMania 17, uh, night and day, you know, just it might it might as well be two completely different companies, to be honest with you. Um, and it's interesting. And it's not the only time we've seen that, Gino, where, you know, you, you have you have it both ways. Like you come off a year that's down and, and going into your WrestleMania season and the next year it's wow. 
Yep. Like this has been tremendous. And then you're like, wow, they got great momentum. They got this going on. They got that going on. I can't see where this goes. Can't wait to see where that goes. Next year's wrestling is gonna be even better. And then it's like, well, what the hell happened? How did that happen? <laughs> it's like, how did that happen? Yeah, you know, it's like yeah. it doesn't even seem logical some years with with the, how hot the product is. Yep. But uh yeah, 2001 into 2002, where Triple H returns from injury. And uh, he wins the Rumble. He eliminates Kurt Angle last. So think about that for where we've been with Kurt Angle. He's losing, getting choked out in 2000 by Taz. 2001, he's in the WWF title match. 2002, he's here at the uh, in the end. Just, just great to see someone's career trajectory, just one event to the next. In the Rumble, we get Triple H and Angle, Rikishi, Goldust, Undertaker gets eliminated by Maven. DDP, Stone Cold, Triple H, Mr. Perfect, Kurt Angle, Big Show, Kane, RVD, Booker T, Jericho beats The Rock for the WWF title on the undercard, Ric Flair, Mr. McMahon have a street fight, and William Regal Edge have a fun match on the undercard as well. Yeah, this this is a pretty good rumble. Uh, It is, yeah. Yeah, the undercard undercard is solid. A lot of big names in, in the Royal Rumble match itself. Um, you know, you, you kind of got the feeling that it was going to be Triple H's year. You just come back from the injury. You know, he looked like he had been, uh, for well, I guess you could say in the gym for the better part of five years, whatever else was going on. Beefing uh, up. Beefing up. There you go. <laughs> beefing up. Yeah, that's a good way to put it. But yeah, you had a lot of guys in there. So th- there were legitimate people in this Rumble match that could have won it. Uh, but yeah, Triple H, you know, comes back, gets the big pop when he shows up. And, uh, you know, gets his big Royal Rumble moment here as well, uh, going into WrestleMania 18 that year, where uh, he's going to be squaring off with Chris Jericho. Uh, And if I remember correctly, isn't Stephanie with Jericho in that match? Yep. Yes, she is. Yeah. Mm -hmm. It's it's an interesting thing. And, of course, the tough thing for Triple H and Jericho that year was, even though they were the main event, let's be honest, they were not really the main event. (laughs) No. The the crowd was not gonna ever be into any match that you put on after hogan rock yep and it's one it's one of those things where you know you always want to have your championship match last but and i and i've and i've said it you know at times you know the year that they did savage flair at wrestlemania 8 you know that not being the last match and having the hogan sid with the weird finish and everything at the end but hogan rock it's it's hard to not make that the last match. It is because you really, really put the people in the main event into a really bad spot. And neither of those guys, I mean, Triple H, sure. And I know they wanted him to be, but Jericho wasn't. Jericho was a heel champ at the time, but he was, you know, and he was fine. He was always going to be fine, but he wasn't that crazy over. Right. This, I mean, if it was, point. if it was Triple H Taker, Triple H Austin, you know, if you had something like that going on, I'd agree. Maybe you, you know, but to have Chris and listen, Chris Jericho is an all-time great, and I don't mean to take anything away from him. No, but, but just at the time, at just, the time, yeah, he wasn't in the same league. I mean, no, nobody's in the same league. Who is in the league of Hogan and Rock? And yeah. and, and if they are, they better be very, very hot at the time. And, and Jericho just wasn't. So yeah, yeah that that's what what does kind of feel weird about this 2002 Rumble. Yeah, it, it it it's it is a little bit wonky, but uh, you know, Triple H gets good the star win. power. Yeah, no, it it is. It is. at the end, and it's like it's, what it's uh Kurt Angle and and Triple H and Austin and perfect. Uh, and perfect, which was yeah. cool. I loved I loved him being in there with them. 
Because the, the way they, I, I liked what they did with Perfect because they they made you believe that he was a legitimate guy. That, yeah, that it was possible that Perfect could have shown up to win this thing, and 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 the way they booked the match and what he was doing in the ring, you could have bought you you could have bought it, and uh, so that part of it was cool. Um, but I mean, look, between you and me, I've never been the biggest Triple H fan, so no. this this Royal Rumble has never been that high on my list just because of who the winner was. 2003, six matches. Brock Lesnar out of nowhere wins the Royal Rumble. He just becomes this a lightning rod. He just destroys and dominates everyone for a, a couple years stretch. He eliminates the Undertaker last. In the Rumble, we have those two, Brock and Taker, Sean Jericho. Uh, Jericho attacks Sean before the match in that cool spot. So Sean's out of there early. He comes back later. And uh, eliminates Jericho, Rey Mysterio, Edge, RVD, John Cena, Kane, Booker T, Batista, and then Lesnar, Undertaker. What I don't like about any like some of the Rumbles that do this, I don't want the number twenty nine and thirty guys the last two. Yeah, I just I never like when they do that, especially when they're they're big stars like this. So it's like okay, everything that happened early in the Rumble meant nothing because yeah. these two guys just come out and it's them two at the end. No, I I totally agree. I mean, this is uh, you know, Lesnar Lesnar is the guy that you're about to attach, uh, you know, a, a rocket ship to, and um, he could have been in there for more than nine minutes. You know, he could have eliminated more than four guys. You could have had Lesnar completely dominate this thing, go on a crazy run. You put him over by having him eliminate Taker. Um, you know, he could have come out at twenty one, twenty two, and you could have done the same thing with a little bit more juice. Um, but this Rumble match has has a lot of star power. Um, it does. Michael's, you know, Michael's Jericho, Mysterio, Edge, Christian, uh, RVD, Hardy's, uh, Tess, Cena. I mean, there's, you know, Booker T, Kane. There's a lot of Batista. There's a lot of guys in this match. Um, so from that standpoint, it's really good. It's not a match of filler. There's a lot of guys in the match that you believe could potentially win it. Um, and then you get Lesnar and Taker at the end, which is like, oh, oh, like the last two guys. Um, but yeah. And then, of course, this goes into the epic. Lesnar angle um main event at WrestleMania, which of course we all remember for the the botch uh shooting star press that could have been catastrophically this, bad. This sets up um, a good mania because Sean Jericho is yep. really good there, and there are a couple excellent matches on that card. Yep. And um on the undercard, we got Angle Benoit for the WWE title. We got the Scott Steiner Triple H match for the uh, the World Heavyweight title. Yep. Tory Tory Wilson Don Marie also uh, on the uh, on the undercard yeah. there. Uh, um, yeah, that was that was 2003 with Brock Lesnar getting the rocket. And 2004 is one that in history that doesn't get brought up a whole lot because Chris Benoit wins the Rumble. He ends up right. lasting uh, over an hour and eliminating Big Show. There are six matches on the card. Triple H, Shawn Michaels, last man standing for the World Heavyweight title. We get Lesnar versus Hardcore Holly for the WWE title, which is always one of those ones that just kind of sticks out weird. And you got Flair and Batista as part of Evolution against the Dudley Boys, Eddie and Chavo on the undercard. Yeah, a lot of star power in this uh, Royal Rumble as well. A lot of big names. Uh, You know, obviously Triple H and Shawn going at it for 23 minutes in a last man standing match, which ends in a draw. Lesnar's on the card as well, Mysterio. Um, and then the Royal Rumble match itself, you know, starts with Benoit and Orton. Uh, Orton is in this thing for 30 minutes. He's becoming one of the new big guys at this point. Uh, Booker T's in there. You know, Kane's in there. 
angles in there, Jericho, Cena, you get Goldberg at the end. Um, so yeah, but like you said, it's a Royal Rumble match that doesn't get talked about because of who wins. A lot of people don't go back and rewatch this match because of that. Um, it's actually a pretty good Royal Rumble match. It's yeah, it just is. not, it's just not going to be one. And it's hard gonna, to, right. Who hard. wants to go back and look at that moment and get excited yeah. about it, you yeah. know? And it's, it's, it's tough because you remember, you know, at the time it was a huge deal, huge deal, huge yeah. deal. Yeah, and the fans huge. were so into it. It was a, been, you know, um, in the rumble itself, just, yeah. On what happened uh, on, you know, in the ring, it was good. It he just, was, he was a very appreciated, uh, worker, uh, tremendous in-ring talent. That and the fans... didn't feel like something that Vince would, would have done. Right? right. Like he's still, he just sort of at this point felt like one of the people that he was never going to get behind. Yeah. Just like, ah, you know, he just doesn't really see him as that guy, you know, yep. he's danced around there a lot. He's less Cesaro ish, you know, type yep. kind yep. of, you know, that's sort of how it would feel. Yeah, today exactly. Exactly. Someone and, like that winning. And, and it's, you know, l- listen, obviously the situation is unfortunate for far greater reasons. Oh, yeah. Um, but from a re- from a wrestling standpoint, uh, you know, just in the wrestling vacuum, uh, it's unfortunate that we can't go back and relive that moment like we did when we saw it for the first time, because it it was a cool moment. It was a Daniel Bryan esque type moment. Um, it's just, you know, it, it don't it can't be viewed that way because no. of what ended up happening, which is unfortunate, mm-hmm. of course. But um, you know, like I said, I, I don't think I don't think I've ever seen this Royal Rumble again since the tragedy. Yeah, I don't either. I, I so, skip. I literally skip right over it. I don't yeah. even want to. And, yeah. And honestly, this is the most that we've even talked on this show about Benoit type stuff, just because we have so much fun going through these shows and these matches and everything. That once you start, you start talking about it, it just you can't even get through the conversation without it. Just not even comprehending the what what went down. Yeah. And, and you and, gotta be you gotta be careful too because you you like you you're trying to talk about it from a wrestling standpoint. Yeah. Obviously it's the not real even, life yeah the real life elements so far outweigh anything that we're gonna talk about from it's a wrestling not even standpoint. worth you, it's not even worth that, doing. Yeah, yeah exactly. It's it's not worth getting into. So exactly um we get to two thousand six where Rey Mysterio Ends up winning this match. And oh, you skipped you skipped 05. Oh, wait, wait, wait. No, no, there we go. And that's that, yeah. that was a mistake because I had it on the other two. Because we went from 04 to 05 and we get Batista winning. And there that, that it'll, they're very important as what happens before where Mysterio wins 2006. So we'll get there in a second. Batista eliminates John Cena in overtime. And this is the funny one where Vince tears his quads when he, yep. run, when he runs out there. Yep. Uh, we get in the Rumble Eddie Guerrero, Edge, Rey Mysterio, Benoit, Booker T. Jericho, Sean, Kurt Angle, Cena, Kane, Batista, Flair. That's a good amount of star power in a you rumble. Got, you got eight, nine guys there that could win this thing legitimately. Absolutely. Edge and Sean on the undercard. Undertaker, Heidenreich in a casket match. JBL, <laughs> Big Show, Kane for the WWE title. And Triple H, Orton for the World Heavyweight title. Yeah, it's a good show. Um, it it, is. It's a, it's a good rumble. Uh, Batista, obviously, at this point, you know, th- this is going to be this is going to lead into some of the fun stuff with Batista and triple H and, you know, uh, you know, triple H had the stuff going on with Randy Orton and now he's going to have the stuff, you know, kind of thrown back in his face from Batista with the thumbs up and thumbs down. Um, man, you know, the booking was good back then, wasn't it? You know, when they did that stuff. Um, but yeah, so, but yeah. so yeah, it, it really was Batista, 
you know, Batista was a guy that I, I, I won't say I disliked him. I thought he was a great character. Um, you know, I thought it was a little overdone. He just never did it for me. Really? No, I agree with you. He was never, I'm I'm a wrestling guy and I never thought he was really that good in the ring. No, he, I mean, I used to watch him, his, his finishing move. He would, sometimes he dropped guys on their head, you know, and stuff like that. Um, the stuff with Triple H is fun and it's good and everything like that. But the one thing I will tell you, one of the best theme songs of all time, I'll give him that. You know, good. Batista entrance is fantastic. Uh, if you've never seen Xavier Woods doing it, uh, I, I was fortunate enough to be at the WrestleMania at MetLife Stadium, which uh, a few years ago, I don't know if it was 31, 32, I can't, 34, I can't keep track anymore. Um, the one at MetLife a few years ago, that was 27 hours long. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> I, I was I was sitting in the uh, in the 100 section on one of the tunnels in like one of the four corners of the stadium where you know like the NFL team would come out and in the tunnel down next to me if you look down Xavier Woods is standing there and Batista's music when he comes out to fight Triple H for his last match and and to watch Xavier Woods. In the moment, <laughs> doing the Batista entrance was one of the best things I've ever seen. Like, I, I didn't even pay attention to whatever. I, all I was doing was looking down. Imagine me looking down over the railing into this tunnel and just watching Xavier Woods just singing. Yeah. yeah. And he's so just genuine. You know, he just yep. loves the business, what he's doing, the fans, everyone else. He seems like such a great guy that that's... Yep. uh. Oh, so 2005 Batista gets the the job done. And at this point, it's it's Batista and Cena as kind of the guys here moving into 2006, where we have six matches and we have the show that Rey Mysterio wins the Royal Rumble. But Rey Mysterio, not really a main eventer. Rey Mysterio, someone that had to really be pushed to Vince to actually win. And this was a lot. Because of the tragedy that happened with Eddie Guerrero Just prior uh, Eddie Guerrero and Ray were very very close He's gone And this was a real emotional type year Where they were they were you know kind of playing that out Yeah and I mean to show you This is kind of in my point of view What Vince does So they talk him into Ray winning it And he's in it for over an hour You know he gets all the All the credit in the world and um, you know, he, he wins, he wins a Royal Rumble here with a lot of big names in it. Triple H, Flair, Big Show, Lashley, Kane, Benoit, Booker T, uh, you know, Sean Orton. I mean, there's, there's big names in here, RVD, but the Royal Rumble match isn't the last match. There's two matches after it's it. Not <laughs> the second to last match. It's the fifth <laughs> match on the card. And then Mysterio goes to WrestleMania where he goes over. Orton and Angle in a triple threat match as the Royal Rumble winner, and that's not the main event. So, yeah, Mysterio got his due. He gets his moments, but Vince in the end just makes a point in saying, I'll go along with you on this, but he's not my main event guy. You're only getting so much here. You're only getting so much. Yep. Coachman, Tatanka were also uh, in the Rumble. Uh, A couple others. You mentioned all the big names. Cena Edge for the WWE title on the undercard Kurt Angle, Mark Henry for the World Heavyweight title The Boogeyman versus JBL And <laughs> Mickey James versus Ashley 
also on the undercard. But that was a big night for Ray. But as you said, even his biggest nights weren't always the uh, the main event or the the final match on the card, as Vince kind of still wanted to prove a point. 2007, we had five matches. The Undertaker wins the Rumble, eliminating Shawn Michaels, and this was a good one. Shawn Taker, Flair, Edge, Kane, CM Punk, King Booker, Orton, Jeff Hardy, RVD, MVP, and The Miz also in the mix. On the also have a bunch of the ECW guys in the in the Rumble too. Sandman, mm-hmm. Dreamer, Sabu. It's yeah. interesting Rumble. Yeah, it was. Rumble. We get a Lashley Test ECW title, Batista, Mr. Kennedy, World Heavyweight Title, Cena, Umaga for the WWE title. The Rumble match itself, I thought was pretty fun. This 2007 one was good, and everybody remembers the Undertaker, Sean stuff at the end, and that was one of these things where it's like these two guys, you forget. Oh yeah, in '97. In early 98 they were doing incredible work And this is 10 years later And they still have this fantastic chemistry Let's go back to them This sort of started what was kind of this unofficial feud For what three years Two two years two and a half years Oh yeah yeah Uh, absolutely I mean they have they have two mania matches right Um, Mm -hmm. You know um, Taker obviously right now Is in the midst of You know his long WWE He's kind of right smack in the middle of his WWE career at this point uh he's in the in the company now for 17 years uh it's pretty incredible if you think about it that he doesn't win a rumble for 17 years um miz has a quick seven second spot in here uh (laughs) as one as one of the funny eliminations that you get sometimes uh yeah for me this this is a cool this is a cool rumble um you know great collie is in there quite a bit i think he probably has the most eliminations uh edge has a pretty big moment um, he, uh, he gets eliminated by Sean near the end, but edge is in there for 44 minutes. Edge is really becoming one of the major guys in the company at this point. Um, you know, flair comes in at number one. Uh, it, it's, it's an interesting, interesting rumble and, and the ECW stuff, uh, having some of those guys in there is, is kind of cool as well. That is 2007. As we get to 2008, five matches on the card, this rumble Cena wins the rumble. He eliminates triple H. In this Rumble, The Undertaker is one and Shawn Michaels is two. We also get Batista, CM Punk, Cody Rhodes, Umaga, Miz, Jimmy Snuka, and Roddy Piper have that fun spot. Kane, Foley's in there, Mark Henry, Cena, Triple H. And again, just I, what I don't love is the winners are 29 and the, the winner and the, the final are 29 and 30. N- never, never love that. Yeah, uh, I, they, it, they, they wanted the pop for Cena, which they which get. Was a, the surprise so yeah, i can uh, i can understand that with the surprise when yeah. you know because 30 is kind of cool when when you can have a surprise there um if so give me somebody else who's been in the match for a little while longer but yeah. i i get what what they were doing there we also had flair mvp on the undercard jbl jericho edge mysterio orton and hardy for the wwe title what'd you think about 2008 the the orton hardy match uh one one of my favorite endings to a an Orton match that that's the Jeff Hardy going for the, um, Oh geez. The name of the move that he does the, the neck breaker, um, uh, twist of fate, twist of fate. Thank you. Wow. I'm getting this. He's getting old. Like I said, you know, there's going to say yeah. uh, <laughs> the, 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 the twist of eight, the twist of fate. And they just kind of spin around and it goes into an R- RKO. It's really cool. Um, uh, it, it's, it's a cool spot. The Cena thing, uh, they, you could probably make the arguments, the biggest pop he ever gets in his life. Um, because obviously Cena is, is a guy monstrous. Yeah, yeah. it Cena is a guy. 
People yeah. didn't know if he was going to make it back for WrestleMania. Right, right. Um, and 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 Cena's always been someone who's kind of, you know, as especially later on in his career, has walked the line between booed babyface, kind of like the Roman type stuff. Um, so he never really got a unanimous arena a, a arena full pop. Nope. Where everybody in the arena was behind him. No. And, uh, and and you get that here, which is kind of cool to see. Um, uh, you get the big surprise, Triple H, obviously, with the big sell, the shock look on his face and everything. Um, so for that moment, and a couple of the matches on the card are really good. It's 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 probably one of the most memorable Royal Rumble moments of the uh, of the history. I don't remember if it was necessarily the greatest Royal Rumble match. The ending, though, the under undercard had good matches, and the and the ending of the Royal Rumble was excellent. Two thousand. Nine is next, and that was Randy Orton. So Randy Orton gets hit a rumble here, beating Triple H. Orton takes care of Rey Mysterio, MVP, Vladimir Kozlov, Triple H, Jericho, Miz, Cody, Undertaker, Punk, Henry, Kofi, Kane, RVD, Dolph, Hacksaw with the showing and the big show also in that rumble. We get Jack Swagger, Matt Hardy for the ECW title on the undercard, Molina, Beth Phoenix, Cena, JBL for the world title, and then uh, Edge, Jeff Hardy here in 2009. So Orton gets his rumble. Yeah, it's kind of a weird Orton performance because he's in the match for 48 minutes and he doesn't do a whole lot. <laughs> Not much at all. Yeah. No. He, uh, you know, obviously he, he eliminates Triple H to win. Um, but he doesn't eliminate anybody for a really long time. <laughs> He's involved in the elimination of Kane. Um, he eliminates Big Show and he eliminates Triple H, and that's it. Um, Big Show has the most eliminations along with Triple H. I think they both have six in here, but Orton gets his his first rumble moment here. Um, and I'm I'm a huge Orton guy, so I, I love to see it, but it was one of the more perplexing performances by a Royal Rumble winner in a match because it was kind of like one of those Royal Rumble winners where you almost forgot he was there for a while like because yeah. mm-hmm. he just wasn't involved in a lot of stuff which was kind of strange because it's Randy Orton and he was in there for 48 minutes it kind of nondescript kind of yeah. one that you almost forget about this Rumble yeah. it's not it's like, not that it's bad or anything and there's there's plenty of star power a couple matches on the undercard that are fine but uh, Orton gets the win in tw- 2009, eliminating Triple H. We get to 2010, six matches on this card. DZ Edge, on this day, he wins the Royal Rumble. He eliminates Cena. And we have Dolph, CM Punk, Beth Phoenix, Great Khali, Zack Ryder, Triple H, Drew McIntyre, Kane, Cody Miz, um, Cena, and Edge. Or yeah, Cena, Big Show, Kofi, Jericho, Batista, also there in the uh, 2010 Royal Rumble. So, what'd you think about this one? We had a uh, undercard: Undertaker, Ray, Mickey James, Michelle McCool, Sheamus, Orton, Miz, MVP, and Christian Ezekiel Jackson. Yeah, the um, I mean, this Rumble is really all about Edge. Um, you know, it, it's the I forget how long he was out prior to this. Um, it was a while though, wasn't it? Yes. Like, yeah. He, was, and he was another one who was not supposed to be back and came yes. back very, way early. So people weren't even expecting him as a possibility in the rumble. 
Yeah, no, his return, his return was was relatively shocking. Um, you, when his when his music hits, you get the holy, you know, like from the announcer. Um, I like the ending. I like I like how uh, the last four or five minutes of this rumble go. Um, you know, you're down there at the end, and it's it's Jericho, it's Sean, it's Batista, it's Cena, and it's Edge. Um, and this was this when is, Sean was trying to do the get the match against yeah. Taker, right? That yes, was he, he was like, like you, you kind of felt like he, he was going to win the rumble. Yep, and when he got eliminated, he kind of like lost it. Mm-hmm. You know, it was it was almost a little bit uncomfortable at times to watch. Um, so it was it was and, and obviously because at this time Taker was champion, so Sean was obsessed with getting his rematch with Taker, and he could only do it if he won the rumble because Taker was champion. That's what everybody thought. But yeah, you get a great moment with Edge. You get you get. I mean, look, Edge has had two fantastic Royal Rumble returns, monster pops both times. One of the most over uh, and beloved uh, wrestlers in in the history of of the industry, and uh, this was a huge moment for him. And I remember when he when he came back, I was extremely excited for this Rumble and the one that we'll talk about a decade yeah. from at this point as well. Yeah, this is a good one. I like this one quite a bit too. It's a lot of fun and a lot of different storylines, a lot of big star power. As we move into 2011, four matches on the card here. This was the 40 man Royal Rumble, and uh, Alberto Del Rio is just a piece of garbage. He ends up winning this 40 man Rumble. He's he's one of those guys, and, and I'll just leave it at this where I never listen, and it's easy to say now, I never liked him. I don't know what it was. Me neither. I never connected. He never connected with him. Nope. He's got ability in the ring. He's a yep. he's actually really good when he's on his A game, like in a in in the right kind of setting. And he can wrestle different styles. He's got a little bit of charisma to him. Never connected with me at all. Like it, he almost had some like go away heat yes. with me a lot of the time. I just yes. like this kind of cringe. It wasn't even like the right kind of heel heat. Yep, he he was the guy for me at this time that when he would win in a big spot, win a title, win a rumble, I would I would feel deflated. Yeah, like I, I, I would yeah. It, you know what it, you and I are? We're like the kids or the dogs that could tell that this guy was a bad dude. Wait yeah. then, right? We yeah, can like smell no. it on him. It's like the you know, the kids always know, or like a dog always knows when someone's a bad person. <laughs> this it's, is this was you and I just like, no, yeah. get this guy off of my screen. Yeah. Get this I, guy out of here. And I, and listen, I'm not saying that back then in 2011, I was, I was dialed into, you know, who he was as a person. And I, you know, I have no, I, but there was just some, there was some reason that I, I could not stand him. And I, Mm -hmm. I never understood what it was. And I still, to be honest with you, don't know what it was, but like you use the right terminology. I never connected with him. Sure. You know, there, there are heels that I don't like, but there are heels that I don't like. You want to see him get punched, even yeah. you know what I mean? Like they this do guy, I just, I, this to. guy, I just wanted this guy to leave. Like, why? I me too. It's yeah, like, ah, yeah. there's other guys I'd rather see. And yeah, yeah. he um yeah, he wins the 40-man rumble. He actually eliminates Santino last. Yeah. They did this the spot where Santino was hiding outside, and when Alberto thought he won, Santino came in for a second. It looked like Santino was about to win, and then Alberto actually does get the uh the victory there. So we had Punk and Daniel Bryan at one and two, which was kind of a cool spot. Uh, yeah. They were the first two entrants there. You had Zack Ryder, William Regal, Mark Henry, Booker T, Cena, Kofi, King Sheamus, Rey Mysterio, Wade Barrett, Dolph Ziggler, Big Show, Orton, Kane. On the undercard, we had Edge versus Dolph for the world title. 
Miz versus Orton for the WWE title Eve Torres, Layla, Michelle, Nat- Natty for the uh, in a women's match there So what do you think of the uh, the 40 man rumble You're we sort of talking about why we didn't like Del Rio But I just 30 is such a, a sweet spot yeah, 40 drags there's too many yeah. There's sense of being too much filler You get all these tag guys or people that you just don't care about You know Yeah I mean if you go through like this You know this rumble You know did I really need Justin Gabriel in this match You know did I really need uh, You know JTG Did I need Chris Masters And Tyler Rex I mean you know, there were guys that were literally just thrown in here for no reason whatsoever. Um, yeah, I mean, from the standpoint, obviously, the winner, I left a bad taste in my mouth. Um, Cena gets eliminated by The Miz, which is certainly interesting uh, because The Miz, obviously, uh, you know, with, with everything that, that you know, he wasn't even in the match. And, and they had the went. champs or they had this is when they started doing and they hadn't done it all that much. People that normally if you were in a main event match for the title on the rumble card, you weren't in the rumble. Right. Like you were on that in that match. And they started around this point having people that would lose the title match show up in the rumble. Dolph Ziggler right. does it yep. after losing um and showing up. And I don't really like that either all that much. I understand sometimes when they do it, and they there's a couple times that it really bothers me. And I'm actually getting the I get the feeling that they might do it this year in 2020, actually, um, yeah. de- depending on the way they set up the show with the booking of the matches and stuff. But yeah, you know, I don't know. It's going to be interesting to see what what they do, because you could see a situation where I, I'm we're digressing, but we could talk yeah, about go it. ahead. Yeah, go um, ahead. you could certainly see a situation where the Heyman thing is a ruse. Mm-hmm. Uh, he's really still with Roman. Yep. And they screw, screw up Lesnar. They screw him out. Lashley and wins then, the title, and, and then Lesnar wins the Rumble. If that match is early in the card, that's probably yeah. what's happening. You would think, yeah. Which and which is not if if not, and you, or you could just do it the other way, where Lashley wins, Brock doesn't go in the Rumble, and you end up having Brock just go after Roman for mm-hmm. that title, and then you can have Lashley. But then because, you would ask. Then you would ask the question: Why did you do what you did? Where you put the belt on him in the first place? Exactly. Right. Yeah. And it was it just. Yeah. Was it just because I read something that they said when they announced the Roman Lesnar match for that show, it moved a ton of tickets. So they almost felt like they wanted to to do something because they weren't going to put that match on there and, you know, give because, you know, th- then what you could do is you could give Big E the, the opportunity to win the Rumble if you wanted to do that and give him mm-hmm. back a shot against Lashley on two nights of Mania. Which is nice, right? One, you could have the Roman Lesnar main event one of the nights. The other night, you could have one of the women's matches, maybe Becky Bianca, or you know if that's going to be a yep. match, yep. main event. You can have Lashley and Big E be a very solid semi-main, you know. Um, but you, we just don't know there, which is kind of cool. They have a couple different directions to go. Well, I, I just, was going to say the the booking. You know, look, I'm very critical of a lot of things, but on the highest level, I like what they've done. And with Roman being tied into a bunch of different stories and that you don't know which way they're going to go. They've left themselves options. I don't know what direction they're going to go in. It's not predictable. Um, and I think that's a good thing. And I think, I think especially, I, I think in a lot of different areas right now, they're sitting in a pretty good spot. Mm-hmm. Yep. And they have a shot to have a nice three months here leading up to Mania if they do it the right way. We uh, were talking 2022 for a little bit. Now oh, we're going to oh, jump. By the way, also with this. So here's another example. Del Rio wins the Rumble. First match at WrestleMania. For, first match at Mania. 
First match and, of Mania. Your main event is the Miz. Is, and, and, and listen, I love the Miz. But, you love but, the Miz. He's not this a main is, event of WrestleMania. Two, and this is 2011 Miz. Yeah. You know, so He's, it just it no. tells you all you need to know about Del Rio and how he was viewed. We get to 2012. Sheamus wins the Rumble. And this was this was a swerve because everybody was just expecting Jericho. Yep. Jericho returned. Jericho hadn't won the Rumble. Yep. Uh, Jericho, they, they were going to put Jericho in a feud with Punk. Everybody sort of figured best in the world thing. Who's the best in the world? And Jericho comes in and Sheamus wins. And in this Rumble, we had Miz, Cody, Foley, Kofi, Ziggler, Booker T, Michael Cole, Karma, yeah. Sheamus, Road Dog, Wade Barrett, Orton, and Big Show. Undercard, we had Punk, Ziggler. We had Brodus Clay squashing Drew McIntyre. How about that? Look at that one. That's yep. funny to think about. Yep. And uh, Kane, Cena, Daniel Bryan, Mark Henry, Big Show, which was really fun, actually. Mm-hmm. That was a fun feud where Daniel Bryan was he was the baby face that won the, the briefcase that won the had the briefcase and he won the title. Nobody really thought he was supposed to have the title, but he kept kind of weaseling out and he was he was using AJ to kind yep. of like hide behind and stuff. It was it was a different side of Daniel Bryan who had never Really shown a whole lot of personality yep. He was kind of bland and when he won the briefcase Everybody was like who is who is this guy Totally different from the guy that we Would see just uh, you know months and, and Years later so 2012 I did I did kind of like it for the fact that they Went you know they they went In a different direction and this is something that You kind of hit on earlier Darren In the modern age now with A bunch of pay-per-views And shows between the Royal Rumble And Wrestlemania you can do whatever you want and put the belt on or get anyone you want in the spot to be in WrestleMania and they don't have to win the Rumble for that to be, you know, their vessel there. And right. and or you can have there are two you can always build one of your two. There are going to be two title contenders you're likely going to build and mm-hmm. that's sort of what they did here. You know, they had Sheamus for one, they had Jericho for the other. What happened with Sheamus wasn't necessarily the greatest. No. <laughs> <laughs> Definitely not. Definitely not. Sheamus leads off WrestleMania, beats Daniel Bryan. Um, <laughs> you know, wow. Uh, <laughs> Sheamus, Sheamus held on to heat for a long time. <laughs> he did. Um, and you know what? He, his character. Eight, what was it? 18 seconds? 18 seconds. Yeah, 18 it seconds. was just unbelievable. And that like, was what like started. That kind of stuff can happen. The it, fact it that they did that at a WrestleMania was mind blowing. With the title, with the title match, yeah, it, it is, and it, you know, he gets crap a lot of the time, and he wins this Rumble. He's a really damn good wrestler, professional yeah. wrestler. Yeah, yeah, you know, he checks a lot of boxes. He looks like a big tough guy. He looks like a guy who could beat your ass in the ring. Yeah. He's not going to cut a thirty minute promo, but he's not like a bad promo. He gets his point across whatever he's supposed to And he was a pretty good babyface for a while Before people, like anyone, they'll kind of start to cringe And and everyone's got to turn heel But you can slot him anywhere you want on the card Tag He's a a better heel, but he's he's, he's fine as a babyface And I I always liked his promo I I thought, you know, not to play an accent card But I I thought his accent always kind of gave him a little edge You know, I always like when he called guys fella you Me know, and stuff like it's, that. It's great. I, I thought, I thought, I thought there was some some humor in, mixed in with with his tenacity. Uh, but yeah, I thought uh, I, I this this rumble swerved the hell out of me, and that mm-hmm. kept on swerving all the way into WrestleMania. Yeah, as uh, we get to 
2013 mm-hmm. and in 2013 John Cena wins he eliminates Ryback to win the Royal Rumble there are four matches there uh, on the uh, a couple on the undercard CM Punk versus The Rock for the WWE title Team Hell No versus Team Road Scholars mm-hmm. and Del Rio Big Show in a pretty good last man standing match actually that match is is, is pretty solid in the Rumble Ziggler and Jericho they both last a ton. They both last over 45 minutes there, 47 and 49 minutes. Cody, Kofi, Sheamus, Rey Mysterio, Wade Barrett, Cena, Daniel Bryan, Kane, Orton, Miz, Ryback, some of the headliners in that Rumble. Yeah, and we're also at the point now where if you win a Royal Rumble, the following year you you're in the you're in the match for like a half hour and, and you're a legitimate threat. Mm-hmm. It seems like we have like several years now where a guy yep. wins it and they're and playing the off year, of that quite a bit. Yep. Mm-hmm. And that happens here where Sheamus eliminates five people and he's in there for almost 40 minutes. Um, you know, you, you come into you come into this Royal Rumble where CM Punk is the WWE champion, uh, Del Rio is the world heavyweight champion, and at the end of the night, you're set up to have John Cena versus The Rock. So it's it's <laughs> just you want to talk about going from one end of the spectrum to the other. This Royal Rumble just completely flips everything upside down. And sometimes, you know, keep it simple, stupid, it works. You get Cena Rock in the main event to put Cena over. You get you get what you want. And, uh, yeah, I mean, it's, you know, it, predictable, but sometimes predictable works. And it's funny, you get the sense that, sounds weird saying that being in a main, main event, main type match with The Rock would it be. But this is sort of the beginning of the end for Punk, yep. you know? We a year later, which we'll get to 2014 right now, is going to be his final match in WWE. But right now, when he gets pushed aside for The Rock, that was what really pissed him off. He yeah. felt like, you know, this was my year to get the main event in Mania. I'm probably not going to get a bunch of them. I've been the champ for a while. What you were talking about happen, happening with Rey Mysterio, that happened quite a bit with CM Punk. Yep. CM Punk, in a lot of his title matches or feuds, was not in the main event. We'd yep. get John Cena versus John Laronitis sometimes, or um, other matches that weren't even that hot. But it was again almost like Vince saying, "Okay, look, I'm going to do what you guys told me I should do. Punk sure to be the champ right now, but I'm still not going to let him main event all these papers." Yep, exactly, exactly. Yeah, and that's just a stubborn ass Vince sometimes, man. <laughs> guys, the genius in in many ways, and just. A, so smart with what he's done, but that's what happens, right? Your ego. Yep. That's, yep. <laughs> we get to 2014, four matches, um, and Batista wins the uh, Royal Rumble. This is one of the more polarizing oh, Royal Rumbles man. that uh, we'll we'll talk about for years. This is the one that should have been the Daniel Bryan Royal Rumble. No, 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 no. Was... This this should have been. Oh yeah, it should have been yes. the Daniel Bryan. And when it wasn't, it should have been Roman. It should have been Roman. This was yeah. Roman was not. The hated Roman Reigns quite yet The shield was hot But this is when Daniel Bryan on the undercard Has that great match with Bray Wyatt And then everybody just sort of assumes That Daniel Bryan's going to come in and win the Royal Rumble He's hot Because he He loses the match to Wyatt He loses the match to Wyatt They're setting it up like we've seen him set up you know Things like that before Where you have Brett or someone early on the undercard Maybe lose and then come back And he just he never shows up Never shows up and the the crowd towards the end, booing Ray Mysterio. You feel them you getting anxious. I don't. Yeah. I can't remember ever like feeling the anxiety in a crowd before. 
Yep. And you can feel it. And then poor Mysterio comes out at 30 and he gets booed. And they tried. They figured we're going to throw Ray Mysterio out at 30. They're not going to boo him. You know, great big baby face. Everybody loves yep. Ray. Nope. Crowd said, nah. And and I even, it's funny, we were saying, like, I was never a Batista guy. I kind of felt bad for Batista here. You come back, you had you filmed some movies, you know, you're you're kind of a bigger star. You they're telling you, hey, we're gonna put you in our big you're gonna be in the main event of Mania. I'm sure he was supposed to win the title at Mania initially. And and then he comes in and he's like, What the hell is happening? Why is oh, there's, everybody hating yeah. me? This yeah, there's there's <laughs> no way, there's no way on this night. That Vince McMahon had designs of Daniel Bryan winning the title at, at Mania. Hell no. There's no Nobody shot. Knew the, and, and I'm sure that a few people back there were telling Vince. But I think Vince didn't have any clue what was happening until this night and then moving forward. And it yep. still wasn't for a while after this. Because yep. he still had opportunities that would have been a lot easier. Yeah, you know, he, here's an interesting thing. If they would have went with Roman here. What would have happened then? What because would the they crowd have done? doesn't have as much to get upset about. Yeah, it's it, it's that, interesting because w- w- if it's Roman, is it just Roman versus Orton for the title at Mania? Right. I you guess. don't end up inject. You don't end up really injecting anything else into it. You have a baby face there, and maybe you just yep. have Daniel Bryan versus Triple H. Think about how differently that WrestleMania would be remembered, and how different maybe the career of Roman Reigns is for Daniel yep. Bryan, which. That was one of the honestly, that WrestleMania is one of my personal favorites too because it's bookended with such a start, a great start, and a great finish. And there's a lot, you know, Daniel Bryan being in the ring. Yeah, you got the five minutes yeah. of it. You know, one of the best workers. You know, you're going to yeah. get a good portion of that show. That's just great. Yeah. You, you got the, that. The taker, got, yeah, the moment. So it's it's awesome, and it may never have even happened. No, it's yeah. I mean that that is one of the. Um, it's still one of the more controversial WrestleManias because of Taker and because of Bray Wyatt losing the Cena. Um, imagine how much more controversial it would have been, been if not for the Daniel Bryan element. That, if not that moment at the end, yeah. right? So it's, uh, but yeah, it, it's when you go, it, it's kind of an interesting thing when you go back and you watch this Rumble because Roman eliminates 12 guys, breaks the record. They're clearly building him up to be a monster. Mm-hmm. Um, and when the crowd realizes when you're getting down, all right, well, let's see, you know, who's in the ring. Uh, we've got uh, Sheamus, we got a Roman, and we got Batista. I guess we got to go with Roman. <laughs> they were hot for Roman Reigns, yeah. man. That, that crowd was, was going nuts. Roman yep. was their guy right then. And yep. this is like you said, they've used the Royal Rumble for so many years as a tool way back to 94, throwing Brett and Luger out there. Okay, what does the crowd want here? You know, And when you see the response to a guy like Roman Reigns in this spot, you can totally understand why they said, yep, this guy's got a great family. He's been and, in the business. Yep. He's and got that's the look. what makes me crazy about this whole Roman situation. Because, and it's not a situation anymore, obviously, because now everybody has the Roman that they always wanted. But here's my point. You guys were hot as hell for Roman mm-hmm. in this Royal Rumble. Yep. You told Vince, we want this guy. All right, you're not giving us Daniel Bryan. If you're not giving us Daniel Bryan, we, we, this is the guy we want. And then Vince pushes him, and you shit all over it. 
I don't know how and you can have it both ways. Really give him a shot either. No. That was what was the problem. And and like I'll be the first to say, they there were some dumb like suffering succotash is the thing that everybody yeah, remembers. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And there, there were, were some yeah. there were some things booking wise that like they made him do and say that wasn't that wasn't the same thing that people were cheering for when he was kind of the badass guy in the shield. But no matter what, you he didn't get a shot. And and every time he tried. Everybody, it would just—it was quicksand. He would sink deeper. It, the the harder they tried, the, the 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 smarter they would do. People would just say, "Uh, uh-uh, uh, we don't care. We're not even gonna give this an opportunity." And it's frustrating because we saw it at this moment. This is what people did want. Okay, Daniel Bryan's not there. That's fine. What do you want next? Oh, we're gonna go crazy for Roman Reigns, and you know he's in this rumble along with Batista. Obviously, this is Punk's last appearance where he's hurt. Yep. Punk's in this thing and he's basically laying on the ground yep. oh, For yeah. like long he's portions in- of the time And doesn't do anything He's got a staff infection I think right Yeah he's in He's in there He's in there for 49 minutes He eliminates three guys And and two of them were the first two guys in there with him I believe San and this Valentin is, yeah. And this is the guy who's had some pretty good We didn't really mention it but you know he had the, the straight edge year Also yep. um, Where and he's had some pretty good Rumble appearances Some Times where he lasted a long time and always actually eliminated a few and kind of a, a really good, um, efficient appearances. He'd show up, he'd kind of do very well with the limited time. And uh, this was this was it for CM Punk as uh, he was not excited what uh, what was going to be coming for him. He was burned out and Punk, his last appearance at the 2014 Rumble for WWE, Rollins, Cody, Kane, Ambrose, Dolph. Kevin Nash with an appearance Roman, Sheamus, Miz R.I.P. Luke Harper Ryback, Del Rio, Batista Big E and Rey Mysterio All in there in 2014 2015 Roman Reigns Wins, he eliminates Rusev Five matches on the card And just think about one year earlier You're cheering the guy You want the guy And here, they're booing the rock They're booing the freaking rock Yeah and trying, not only do you have him, to get him over, not only, here to help, yeah. Not only do you have him win, but you have Daniel Bryan unceremoniously dumped out of this rumble randomly after ten minutes. It was so bad. You can't yeah. even have me. I know you felt okay. We can't. We have him in there because we can't. Because when we didn't have him in there last year, but you cannot. You cannot have him have like that. Have him at the all the way till the end at least, so people are. That was one of the. That the moments early in the match that people just got deflated. Yep. It was, yep. And then it was, wasn't it towards the end where it was Ziggler and Ambrose who were kind of the other guys that people wanted? Wyatt, Wyatt was in there towards the end too. You know, and probably would have, yeah. They were eliminated and just like because well, Big Show and Kane just start like picking start guys taking up everybody just, out. Yeah, and it's very obvious what's happening now. What and they're the doing. Crowd realizes it. And they're shitting all over it. Like, oh, know? they're gonna stack everything against Roman and he's gonna yeah. get out of it. And yeah, which is what happens. And then they bring out the rock and they don't care. And it's like, you know, uh I, I mean, just the entire plan going to shit. Um, but it's it's just it's so weird because like you think about like later on in the year when Roman is involved in the whole triple H Vince. Stephanie, you know, Seamus, you know, uh, League of Nations, all that crazy stuff. 
when Sheamus has the belt after Roman wins it and gets, you know, cashes in and all that stuff. And they have that match on Raw where Roman wins the title where he where he where he Superman punches Vince on the apron. That night the crowd is incredibly hot for Roman. Yep. And maybe it's because it's Sheamus, but it's just so bizarre how in certain moments the crowd is hot for him. And then you fast forward a week no, and they blew him out of the building. Done again. It was so weird. So it weird. was. Yeah. It really was. And I'm glad that he's finally gotten to the where he is now to well, it it would have been awful if someone that talented was just getting sort of well, I won't say wasted. It wouldn't have ever been wasted, but just put in, you, in spots you, to not succeed the way he is has been the last few years. You can ask the question now for like going for now a year and a half throughout this pandemic. Where would WWE be right now if not for this Roman run? What oh, would they be doing? I know. This this run has single-handedly been the one thing through a, a period where there was nothing interesting that was. Yes. And there will be and, lulls. And then, you know, and people get hot period, and come in at that. And it's the period where for the first time in a long time, there is a legitimate alternative to your product. Mm-hmm. There yeah. was a period for a while, too, where... At the beginning of the pandemic, when he wasn't around, yeah. you could feel it. And then he came back, and it was just, mm, he did move the needle. He does move the ratings. Uh, all those things that he says and jokes about, they're true. And uh, he had, Did you see the the live event? Um, there's a video from a live event a couple of weeks ago. He's in, like, I think it's a six-man tag. It's him and the Usos. I forget who they were against. Um, and there's a guy in the front row. Uh, and Roman is standing on the apron, you know, just as the match is going on, not tagged in. And a guy yells out, uh, hey, Roman, I loved you in Aquaman. <laughs> and Roman turns around and he goes, yeah, that movie would have made a lot more money if I was in it, too. <laughs> he just he's so confident now, too. Oh, yeah. Right. He just is feeling it. Roman Reigns, your 2015 Rumble winner. We had Miz, Bubba Ray Dudley, Bray Wyatt, the Boogeyman, Daniel Bryan, DDP, Stardust, Ryback, Kane, yep. Ambrose, Big Show, Ziggler there. And um, Brock, Seth, Cena had a really good triple threat yep. world yep. title match on the undercard. And yep. what's important about this this year, and I think because you can kind of see it on the card, you get a Bellas versus Paige and Natalia match. And that's important because Paige just kind of signals – that women's evolution revolution and yeah. how we're going to see this event change how many of these years we don't even have a women's match or any women's involvement whatsoever besides yeah. maybe one or two women accompanying someone down to the ring and then a few years from now we are going to actually have a full on separate women's royal rumble that in some years is better more interesting better booked better worked than the men's rumble yep Yep, I mean the the depth and talent that WWE has on the women's roster is insane. Uh, it, it it literally is insane. And you know when you try to compare products and you want to compare things in AEW to WWE, and you could say, you know, you, in your opinion, AEW could do this better than WWE. They do that better than WWE. The one thing that is not anything remotely close is the women's division. No, the and women, honestly, the any one of the WWE shows individually. Yeah. Would have a much better, stronger division with top top star talent, including NXT. Yeah, and they it's, have. I mean, if you think about what they have right now, you know, Becky doing her shtick, 
Charlotte. Bianca Belair is unbelievable. The stuff that she's able to do. You know, Liv's getting a push right now. She's actually looked really good in the ring. Um, Carmella is somebody who's actually improved a lot in the ring. Zelina Vega is super talented. She's not super as talented. great in the ring, but she's not bad in the ring. And yeah. she's really good at performer. And yeah. they're doing all this with Asuka nowhere to be found. Bailey. Rhea, Rhea Ripley's buried in a tag team thing right now. Like it's, they, they, they almost have too much women's talent. They yeah. Almost have too much that they don't know what to do with it. And uh, it's Tony Storm just left. left. She was in, yeah. she was literally in a main event match with Charlotte and then just was Wild. like, I'm out. You know, wild, yeah, wild that that happened, but Crazy. yeah, and then and and back to one thing we have to mention before we move on. Uh, obviously, this Roman win leads to the Lesnar match, which is a you know, people talk about how many times you've done Roman and Lesnar. The, the Roman Lesnar match at, at WrestleMania 31 is phenomenal, they're all, uh, they're all good, they're, they're all good. I mean, there never been a stinker. There was yeah. the Saudi Arabia one, maybe, or one of them that wasn't as good because yeah. people weren't quite as But obviously, it. the Seth Rollins element to it and everything that they, that they did there, uh, one of the one of the better moments in WrestleMania history, how that show ends. Yep. So we move to 2016 now, where Triple H wins by eliminating Ambrose. This was the rumble where Roman Reigns had to defend the title, he had to come out as number one, as the champ. He lasted Almost an hour, 59 minutes and 48 seconds. We and we had Triple H, the evil heel, winning the uh, the title here, which is which is how you're supposed to book this type mm-hmm. of a. a like we said with Flair with 92, right? This yeah. is exactly yeah. what you do when the title's up for the grabs. Problem is, you're still tone deaf because yep. you're booking it to try to book babyface Roman. You're trying to get everybody to feel bad for and him. They knew it. They don't, and they they don't care. You have Triple H win. When Triple H eliminates Roman, the place goes insane, and then you book it so that Roman beats Triple H at Mania, and he gets shit on again. It's you just again. You, how do you not know where you're going by this point, Don't right? Know. How do you not understand what what you've done now two or three times? You got Triple H win by eliminating Ambrose, who was very hot at the time. Very hot. Yep. You got uh, AJ Styles showing up. Number three and having a really nice run, almost thirty minutes. He great lasts moment, great here. moment when he shows up with Roman. And great Roman moment. looks like oh, yep. what? It was yep. great. He had that the facial expression from Roman was awesome. That's one of those yep. goosebump rumble moments. Jericho, Kane, Kofi, Big Show, Braun, Kevin Owens, and Ambrose, Sami Zayn, Brock, Miz, Bray, Sheamus, Triple H. All in here You got Charlotte Becky on the undercard You got the New Day versus the Usos on the undercard And you had an Ambrose KO Last man standing match for the IC title This is a really really good show Oh yeah yeah I mean you know the Ambrose Owens match is, is a ton of fun New Day and Usos six years ago They're still doing this You know it's it's incredible uh, At some point down the line you know, when we're 50 years old and, and maybe New Day and Usos are, are done, there's got to be like a documentary made about these two teams and how they have kept a you can I don't know if you can call it a rivalry, but I don't know how you can't uh, the amount of times that they've not only faced each other, but have had tremendous four star plus matches against each other and how many different stories you've used to get there. And and the fact that you've been able to keep that going for years, you you can argue that throughout WWE's history, there has been no better long term feud from two tag teams than the New Day nope. of the Usos. And people will crap on all over 
modern day tag wrestling in WWE in the company. And I can I can understand the gripe because there are a lot of times where teams don't get very much respect. They get thrown together. They but look at how these two teams have been treated. Yep. For the last better decade. Yep. They yep. You have a new day where it was a tag team where now two of those guys who were never main eventers really on their own, they got elevated because of the tag team. Oh, yeah. They both have now been in, had singles runs as the champ. And honestly, Xavier just won the, you know, the king of the ring. Uh-huh. And if you would have, if Xavier would have been in or given like a little bit of a push right now, right after that, it wouldn't have felt weird. You no. know, now they kind of didn't run with it, but that elevated him. The Usos, we saw what they both did with Roman, all the work that they did when they got the chance to step up to the main event level. These guys are all great, great talents individually. They all could have shined, but they stayed together and they were better because of it as teams. Yep. And and because they were so good, even when uh you know, when when Jay Uso had to kind of be with Roman by himself, they put they put him in the, you know, what was it a hell in a cell Uso. Yeah. Yeah, event Jay Uso. Yeah, you know, I mean, and and that match was good, really you know? good. Yeah. So, uh, but yeah, I mean, they, I, I don't know if it's appreciated enough. Uh, it is. It it, it. it. I'm sure. Yeah. But it 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 should be said this, that this, again. We and we're comparing companies because AEW has a fantastic tag division. They have mm-hmm. a lot of really good tag teams. I mean, these two teams stack up with any anyone. Oh yeah. Any of them. Yeah. Like you put them in a match with the Bucks and they'd be bla- they'd be awesome. You put them in a match with the Revival, FTR, they're great. You know, I'm sure you throw them in a match with Jungle Boy and Christian and Luchasaur. Those guys, they'd be a lot of fun. You put them in a match with the, you know, the Lucha Brothers. They'd all be great. And so, but quietly right now, and and nobody's really talking about it. But quietly right now, the WWE has put together a better tag division than we've seen in a while. And they have, you know, you still have New Day, you still have Usos. RK Bro is it's very you, over, very over, a ton of fun. You know, I mean, obviously, eventually Orton's going to turn on Riddle or Riddle's going to turn on Orton. It's going to happen at some point, but it's very over. The Street Profits, phenomenal, right? Great. Montez uh, is going to be a star. Oh, He's going to be a star at some that, point, that, too. That, that, that frog splash is getting more and more ridiculous each and every week. Um, and then on top of that, now you have uh, the uh, Alpha the Academy. Alpha Academy. They built, they've been building them for a while, They're, too, on yeah, both shows. You know, on SmackDown, they, they've been putting a lot of work in there with yep, them. Yep. There are. There Ziggler are some, is another yeah, very serviceable team. Very, and it's not getting noticed, but they are putting a little bit of steam into the tag division right now, and it's really cool to see. Yep. I agree. As we get up to 2017 now. And we have Randy Orton winning the Royal Rumble here by eliminating Roman Reigns. We have Big Cass, Jericho, Jack Gallagher. We got some of the 205 Live cruiser rates in this one. Braun, I, couldn't, I couldn't lose, by the way. With Orton and, Orton and Reigns as the last two here, I just put my feet up and said, don't care. Love them both. <laughs> we were uh, <laughs> say this was great. As uh, we had Sami Zayn, Big Show, the, the spot with number 10, Ty Dillinger, was a cool spot in this yep. Rumble. Uh, James Ellsworth was in this. Ambrose, Sheamus, Bray, Orton, Ziggler, Brock, Goldberg, Undertaker, and Roman. This was a loaded, loaded with star power rumble. We had Cena, AJ on the undercard for the WWE title. We had Kevin Owens versus Roman for the universal title with Jericho in a shark cage. And we had Charlotte, Becky, 
Um, we also had Neville and Rich Swan on the undercard. This is a good show too. Really good undercard matches and a stacked Rumble. Yeah. So and and this is one of those this is one of those uh, years where a lot of stuff changes. Um, number one, you set up you set up Lesnar Goldberg, you know, through Survivor Series through the Rumble going into Mania. You give that a title when Goldberg beats Owens at the next pay per view for the Universal Championship. You set up uh, Undertaker Roman with Roman eliminating the Undertaker in the Rumble going into WrestleMania. And I don't, I'm trying to remember what the, does Wyatt beat Styles to win the title? Because you end up, you end up with Orton Wyatt in that terrible match in Mania. Wyatt, how does Wyatt, I don't remember how Wyatt gets to, because Styles, oh no, no, Wyatt beats Cena. 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 Wyatt beats Cena. That's right. Um, so you go into the Royal Rumble where your universal champion is Kevin Owens. Your WWE champion is AJ Styles. You come out of it with John Cena as WWE champion. Then you go through the next pay-per-view. You have a new universal champion. You have a new WWE champion. And then you have more changes in those titles coming at WrestleMania. So the first four months of 2017 a lot of hot potato going on with the belts, which for me is not always the best thing, especially this time of the year. Well, no, and it's just when you, especially when you look back, right? Yeah. Looking back on the the rumbles that feel like they stand the best test of time are the ones that really do start the build yep. to a good match or a good feud. Um, and when there's a lot of things going on, you kind of look back at the rumble, like we said, and went like, oh, okay, well, did that? How much did that really matter in the grand right. scheme of things? Right. Um, 2018. We had six matches on the card, and we have the first ever women's Royal Rumble. This thing was awesome. Feels the the, the, the uh, feel, the energy of it, getting to see all of these really, really talented women come back and get the opportunity to, to get in a Rumble that they never had. And they probably had so many times maybe joked about, oh, yeah, but we're going to get a Royal Rumble one day, right? You know, with the way that the women's used to get treated, the women right. used to get treated. Yeah, right. we get three minutes on this show. They're going to ever give us an hour to have our own rumble and they did and it was great and the women were so talented that you know the eliminations and stuff no problem that people thought sometimes are they going to have a tough time taking some of the bumps you know oh, no issue at all no nope, no nope. oscar wins y- you got you know so much star power in here you got nikki sasha becky sasha goes for what 54 minutes yep becky goes 30 plus lita Kyrie yeah. Sane, Tori Wilson, Liv, Molly, Holly, Ruby, Riot, Vicky Guerrero, has, it comes in there. Michelle Carmella. McCool throws out five girls. <laughs> she looks dominant. Natty, yep. Kelly, yep. Kelly, Jacqueline, Naya, the Bailey, Trish, the Bellas. This was a, a blast, DZ. Oh, yeah. A ton of fun. Um, and, and on top of it, when you get to the last three, you know, you obviously know who's going to win. That Obviously, one of the well, – I guess you could say that, you know, Nikki Bella technically could have won it as a tip of the hat to her for all her and contributions. She was, it was a surprise, right? She was injured, I think. Yes. She was, like, wrestling at the time every day quite as much. So this was, yes. I think, her coming back after a, a little time away. Yes, but when you got – I mean, everyone assumed that it was going to be Asuka. And then, obviously, it was kind of interesting because this Royal Rumble, I believe the favorites going in when we talked about it were Nakamura and Asuka. Mm-hmm. And we also believed – that Nakamura was going to win the title and Oscar was going to win the title at Mania, and they both lost. Yeah, 
you know, they both lost, which was fascinating. So you got obvious winners in the Rumble, but you got swerves at Mania. Um, both Royal Rumbles were excellent. I think the women stole the show. Um, but you got the Nakamura elimination of Roman at the end. Roman at this point is in the final two for like five or six straight years. Uh, and every time he gets eliminated, the place goes nuts. <laughs> so uh, Nakamura gets a big pop. Asuka gets a big pop. Um, but yeah, I, I thought the women's rumble in this particular year stole the show, but both world rumbles were excellent. A lot of questions about, wow, you're going to have two matches that are each an hour long. You're going to make it work. Yes, they made it work. It was really good. Uh, knock wins was, this was the one when they did the standoff at the end, right? Like the new school versus the old school. Was that this one or is that the, the, when it was like Nakamura, Finn and, and Roman on one side. And then you had like Cena and yep. Ray. On the yep. other side, it was yep. really, really cool towards the end. Hey, Milo, he's excited to talk Milo's to Milo's pumped. <laughs> he is pumped about Royal Rumble 2018, the first ever with the women's Rumble match. As on the undercard, we had um, Becky, or we had Brock Kane versus Braun for the Universal title. We had Seth and Jason Jordan versus Cesaro and Sheamus. AJ, KO, and Sammy on the undercard there. This was really cool and and very big deal you know, down the line when we remember the first ever women's rumble. Yeah. Great show. Uh, really good matches on the undercard. Um, you know, and, and to tell you the significance of it, uh, the women main event, the entire card, which I thought was fantastic. 2019. We have seven matches on the card, two rumbles on the women's side. We get Becky winning the Royal Rumble after eliminating Charlotte. She Becky, wasn't even supposed to be in the match. No, she lost yeah. to Oscar in the opener. She tapped out, which yeah. I thought was was kind of weird. weird. Maybe losing, but just tapping out and then coming back and winning. Yeah. Becky, Charlotte, Lacey, Liv. We had uh, Peyton and Billy Kay, Zia Lee, Kyrie, Ruby, Eo, Alexa, Bailey, Becky, Nia, Carmella in the uh, the women's side, and then uh, on the uh, the men's side we had. Seth getting the win. He eliminates Braun last. Elias, Jeff Jarrett, Nakamura, Kurt Angle only in there for three minutes, which was just kind of weird use of Kurt. Big E, Gargano, uh, Samoa Joe, Seth Rollins, Ambrose, Drew McIntyre, Pete Dunn, Andrade, Aleister Black, Hardy, Ray, Lashley, uh, Braun, Randy, Nia Jax was also uh, in there. Forgot to mention the year before we had an Adam Cole sighting, if I didn't mention yes. that, um, yes. in the 2018 Rumble. And they, uh, somebody under Jacks eats an RKO in this match, which is great. She, do, she does, <laughs> which is that's what what's what Randy would have done to her, right? Might have been the greatest thing that Nia Jax ever did was take that RKO, right? That was one of the better moments for her <clears throat> on this undercard. We got a really good Ronda Rousey versus Sasha match, yes, that excellent kind of match. forgotten yep. about Miz and Shane. Were, oh, yeah, we forgot, we didn't even mention that in the 18 that Ronda comes out after the after the match. After the women's match, we totally yeah. forgot about, forgot about that. the big moment wow. there because uh, she she comes out at the end of eighteen. Every, every, people were were kind of wondering if she was going to maybe show up in the match yeah. or not. Which I'm glad they did it the way they did. No, it's a big ass to throw somebody in a Royal Rumble in their first ever experience in a wrestling. Right? And then they wondered, okay, what's she going to do? Who she's going to go after? What's her match going to be? It and was it kind took, of it was kind of awkward though what they did. It like, was she kind of came her, out and kind of stand pointed she pointed and, yeah. didn't. It was it was a little goofy. It was weird, um, yeah, yeah. But they ended up having a really good tag match at at Mania. That was oh, excellent, excellent, excellent. With her yeah. and Kurt versus uh 
you know, Triple H and um, and Stephanie. Yeah, the moment where she does that roll through into a fireman's carry and she picks Triple H up on her shoulders, the place goes insane. Just insane. Yeah. Awesome. So Ronda's on the undercard in 2019. Um, Asuka Becky also on the undercard there. Brock Finn, that was a very good match too on the undercard. AJ Daniel Bryan, I forgot about this undercard, how good it was. Mm-hmm, Some of the, mm-hmm. the undercard matches here. And then both Rumbles. And uh, Seth winning, beating Braun. So, yeah, 2019. Um, you know, people, I think, you know, everyone wants to crap on WWE a lot of time for their shows not living up for this. Look at some of these recent rumbles that we've talked about. Look at some of the undercards. And how, but good by the way, the, the Lesnar Finn Balor match was really entertaining. Really good. Yeah. Brock, Brock is great with some of the smaller guys excellent with uh, with aj with daniel, daniel bryan, bryan yep. with finn all yep. three of them and with seth he's always had you know seth is bigger than people will give him credit for too he's not like tiny but he's not a little guy yeah no yeah. but he's always done very very well and he's been very giving with them in the ring too yeah he doesn't yep. act like he you know doesn't want to belong there he doesn't give him that the kind of the ambrose treatment <laughs> that yep. he that he gave dean a few years earlier right. um we get to 2020 and in 2020, six matches, two rumbles, and this was the uh, now in 2020 and 2021, we're into weird times. So 2020, Drew wins, and we still had fans. COVID yep. and everything didn't really start till about March. So right now, this is Drew winning the Royal Rumble. He eliminates Roman. They did it beautifully. I love this Royal Rumble because Brock was the champ. It's a great he said, Rumble. It's a great he said, Rumble. you know what? Nobody's worthy of me. I'm going to start at number one yep. and he eliminates 13 people, one through 14, one yep. at a time, just taking them all out. It was great. And then they finally, it's a little bit too much for him when a couple legitimate guys get in and Drew's able to get the better of him. Drew eliminates Brock and then Drew ends up winning the rumble. They booked this beautifully and they did a great job with Drew here. Uh, Kofi. Ray, Biggie, Cesaro, Nakamura, Keith Lee, Braun, Miz, AJ, Dolph, Edge, Riddle, Orton, Roman, KO, Samoa Joe, and Seth. Edge was the big surprise making his return here at the Rumble. So let's talk a little bit about the, that that stuff on the uh, the men's side first. Yeah, there's a lot of cool stuff here. So the, the Brock-Keith Lee moment is really cool. Uh, obviously, looking back, but Keith Lee somehow not being with the company anymore is mind-boggling. But uh, what should have been a... a you know, launching point for Keith Lee, uh, the Lesnar Strowman stuff, the McIntyre Lesnar stuff with the low blow from Ricochet, the Claymore out of the ring. Uh, then you move on to it, it's really it's really a tale of two different rumbles. It's when Lesnar's in and when he's out. It's like, it could be two completely different matches. Um, the Edge thing is the Edge stuff is awesome. Obviously, the huge pop, the stuff with him and Randy Orton in the ring is really funny. And in, in the beginning, um, you got monster guys in there at the end. You know, Drew. You have uh, AJ Styles in there for a while. You have Edge. You have Orton. You have Roman. You have Owens, Aleister Black, Samoa Joe, Seth Rollins. I mean, it's just a stacked second half of the of of the uh, of the Rumble. Extremely well booked. Perfect ending. Give everybody what they want. For my money, I would call this a top five Royal Rumble match of all time. I agree. It's a little bit unique. Yeah, you know, and it just is so well done. They used Roman perfectly here, perfect. right? People yep. didn't want to see Roman win again. Roman doesn't need to win a lot of these rumbles anymore. He's had a few of them. You can get Roman there anytime, any any way you need. And it did a lot for Drew. Yep, eliminating Roman at the end there. Uh, on the undercard, we had 
um, Roman beating King Corbin. We had Bailey, Lacey Evans, The Fiend, Daniel Bryan, and Becky Asuka. And uh, in the women's side, Charlotte gets the win. And I know people were kind of upset here, but this is one of those things. She needs a rumble, right? It's like yeah. some of these women. It was that a swerve. Are, Everybody thought that Shayna Baszler was winning this Royal Rumble. Yeah. Yeah. And, swerve. and Shayna, it, you know, they've started and stopped with Shayna a few times here. Yeah. Uh, they, yeah. they, she's never been as good as what they were doing with her in NXT, where she was she was treated very, very well. And But and, who who is this? who is this Royal Rumble really about, though? Bianca Belair has a tremendous Absolutely. Royal Rumble. Yep. Bianca lasts what, almost an hour. She's in there forever. Yeah. She is. Comes in at two. Incredible in this match. And you can see Bianca was someone who didn't make it to the highest heights in NXT. But it was like, why? She doesn't need to. Let's get her up here right away. Oh, as, yeah. soon as, as soon as possible. Because she is someone who has it all. She has the look. Yeah, she was in there for... Or she ended up being in there for 33 minutes in this one. So she was in there and she eliminated eight in, the, in this Oh, yeah. Match. She was throwing everybody she was, out. She was yep. number two and she was extremely impressive. Um, I thought you were going to say Santina, who came <laughs> in at 29. No. <laughs> <laughs> uh, uh, Alexa, Bianca, Mercedes Martinez, Liv. We had Candice LeRae, Kyrie Sane, Dakota Kai, Chelsea Green popped in here. She was in the Rumble. Charlotte, Naomi, Beth, Tony Storm, Shayna, and then, yeah, Santina there in 2020. As we get to 2021, last year's Royal Rumble, we had five matches. We had two Rumbles, and Edge gets the win. And uh, it was, again, Edge kind of making his return. You know, Edge um, had gotten injured after some of his bigger matches earlier in the year with Orton. So Edge making his return. Edge ends up lasting 58 minutes and 30 seconds. So does Orton. Him and Orton are one, two. They end up going the uh, the length there, and, and Edge gets the win. Orton, Jeff Hardy, Nakamura, Big E, Damian Priest, Miz. Riddle has a nice run. He he goes over 30 yep. minutes in the Rumble. Yep. Daniel Bryan, Kane, Lashley, Christian. He, uh, he came back. He had some fun stuff in there with Edge. AJ Styles, Mysterio, Sheamus, Seth Rollins, and Braun. Some of the big names on the men's side there. So yeah, we're we're pretty big edged fans and and it's cool. You get that edge pop. So yeah, him winning a rumble, I'm never gonna really complain about. No, and, and you know, the story with him and Orton I, I was excellent as well. Um, you know, having them start and go through is kind of a tip of the hat to to Bulldog and Sean from so many years ago. Similar thing, although these guys are in there for an hour each. Um, you know, a testament to at their age being able to do that tremendous. Um, yeah, I mean it's look, it's not as good as the year before. But Edge winning is is a feel good moment. We're still coming out of uh, well, coming out of in a pandemic at this point. Still in the pandemic as we talk. I don't know if we'll ever be out of it. Uh, but uh, it's it's a um, it's a fine Royal Rumble. It's it, it's got a good ending. Yeah, I agree. It's it's it's, yeah. it's fine. I it's agree. Fine. It's not yeah. like I th- I, th- I think we remember talking about it that we were a little bit underwhelmed by by parts of it. You know, parts like it, yeah. throughout, but. The women's side was was very good. Um, yes. You had Bianca now really showing her dominance. She wins the Rumble, and this is when she ended up going 56-52. She went 30 the, the year before. She went almost 57 minutes here. Naomi goes uh, 47 minutes, and Bianca wins by eliminating Rhea. And, and they did. Rhea has a great, great Rumble. Yep, great at the end where it's them and Charlotte. Yep, 
and everyone's like, oh, not Charlotte again. And it's 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 exactly how you use Roman and Charlotte in a rumble. La- make sure they're there in the final three or four, because people are going to uh, there's there are going to be a lot of people that like them always, but they're going to be that they're polarizing. They're going to always be heat when they're in the ring one way or the other towards the end. Yep. And so I thought I love the way they did this at the end. And they've done a great job with with these women's rumbles early on. Bailey, Naomi, Bianca, Shotzi, Shayna, Jillian Hall, Ruby, Tony Storm. We had Peyton, Charlie, uh, Peyton, Charlotte, Lacey, Mickey James, Alicia Fox, Carmella, Naya, Lana, Alexa, Natty. Think about how many are already gone that yeah. I just mentioned, and yeah. not that long. You got Tony Storm, Ruby, Peyton, Billy Kay, both gone. Mickey James gone. Naya gone. Lana gone. Mm-hmm. That was. A year ago, not even, not Ember, even Ember Moon, Ember, Ember, yeah. yeah. And her time's coming up. I saw her tweet about that. On um, the undercard, we had Drew versus Goldberg. We had Sasha, Carmella, and Roman versus KO. So mm. last year's Rumble, I mean, I thought the women's Rumble was was to me what really stood out on the show. And the Roman yep. Kevin Owens match was actually was, very good. Yes, Roman, the, yeah, that was an excellent match. Owens was going through that thing where. It kept looking like he was going to go over, and he just couldn't quite get over the top. Uh, but, I mean, Owens and Roman always did great work together, and uh, it showed. And now, you know, we head into uh, we head into 2022, and I'll be honest with you, I don't I don't know exactly where they're going to go yet, which is kind of no, exciting. You know? Which is really fun. I think yeah. where we are right now, if I had to pick, I'd say if they don't do the thing with Brock, it feels like Big E, he got a title run. I don't think they're done with him. I don't think they're going to shove him back down. I think they want to kind of build him back up as the baby face to win. He won it in the money in the bank. So he didn't ever, he didn't really get that, you know, baby face way of winning it. And, and so for me, if, if that might be who I would, who I would pick right now, sort of where they stand as uh it's just fun, man. This is a, a great time to be a wrestling fan. You and I are recording on January the 4th. What are they going to do on the women's side either? I don't yeah, know. Yeah, I was going to say. I mean, yeah. with, I mean, I guess if we'll see what happens in the next week on Raw, if Bianca isn't getting that title shot, she, she won. I don't know if they would do that again with her. Her beating Becky at WrestleMania makes the most sense for the long-term story they've been telling on that side. On the other side, you know, I mean, honestly, anything could happen because Sasha, Charlotte are over on the SmackDown side. Tony was someone who was right up in the you know the title picture, and she's gone. Doesn't feel like I mean, Oscar's been gone, Bailey's been gone. If one of them comes back for a surprise, I guess we could see that too. But yeah, they're both. You know, we we usually kind of can get a like, oh yeah, they're probably going to win the Rumble, and I don't feel that right now at all, which is fun. It's really fun. Well, yeah, my my question was I I mean I haven't really noticed or or looked to pay attention. Um, is there is there a chance that Ronda Rousey shows up in the Royal Rumble? It's a great question. I don't know. Yeah, I, I don't I don't know where she's at. I mean, she had, obviously she had a kid. I don't know where she is in terms of you know her you know uh, body recovering after going through. And it, or and if she even has any interest in doing or if she it, has, I have no idea. Right, I have no idea. But she's always worth. Mentioning as as we get here and yeah, the next few weeks we'll have the who maybe what if are they who you know the we'll, we'll start to wonder we'll start to speculate because, Be- because Becky Becky and Charlotte both have belts so they're not winning no so 
you know, and, and Bianca, Bianca won, won last, last year. year, which she could win again. There's not, there's nothing sure. to say that she can't, but sure. I could absolutely see them just saying, yeah, you know what? We, Bianca doesn't need to win the rumble to get there. We can have her get there in a different way. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, it is. You and like heat Rhea's, up Rhea Ripley again. I, I don't say, know. She's nowhere yeah. near where she was last year. Yeah. You know, as hot, like as, as hot of a commodity at the, at that point. And you, you look around, Alexa Bliss is someone who, you know, she might have a different, she might change in character now. You know, yeah, she's, she's gone come, she's for a few back, months. I think next week, yeah. yeah. She's coming back. She might be one that's that's interesting that can kind of uh, be a little bit fresh. But, yeah, fun time in yeah, January. Very interesting. And DZ, man, this was a blast. There are very few people out there who could who we could have a conversation like this with all the way through the 30-plus 30, 30 years of Royal oh, Rumbles. Yeah. Talk about hundreds of different people on the men's side, on the women's side, different rumbles, undercard matches, and everything. But we love this stuff, and we've watched these shows over and over through the years. And um, I know people get a kick out of uh, getting a, a little a glimpse at everything that's happened throughout the, the history of the Royal Rumble. So thanks so much for helping out and, uh, and for taking some time to do this. This was a fun one. A little, a little different on the old wrestling rewatch, the same spirit. But uh, instead of getting deep into them, we got to just kind of scratch the surface on a bunch. Yeah, yeah, and it's, you know, fitting as we head into Royal Rumble season, and, uh, you know, certainly there's always a fun time of year, uh, you know, from a wrestling standpoint. It's it's a bit of a lull outside of the NFL right now, you know, college football wraps up, and we're not where we want to be yet in terms of NCAA basketball and NBA, so, you know, Royal Rumble season comes out at a, at a good time, you know, a yes. little bit of holiday blues, try to get a little pickup off that, but uh, yeah, I'm, I'm looking forward to this year, and it's always... Uh, it's always my favorite topic to, to talk about when we do wrestling. I just, I love the rumble. And uh, for those of you out there, horse racing fans, you know, you'll always get great content when you follow Darren on Twitter at the track seven, doing lots of stuff for twin spires selections. Darren's focus uh, has been on Turfway, and he himself um, in handicapping has been doing great. And the ownership group that he is part of has been doing really great with where they're spotting their horses. They all just seem to run really, really well. And yeah, you've got a couple that uh, I think you've brought into the family that we're excited to see where they're going to be showing up next. Some new claims and some new acquisitions. So always looking forward to uh, to seeing what's going on with you. Yeah, yeah. We, we actually just claimed uh, a new horse last week by the name of Harvey's Princess that we're pretty excited about. She's run twice at the uh, at the maiden $30,000 level, but she's put up speed figures that would make her uh, competitive on the maiden special weight level. So we'll see how she continues to train uh let ethan you know get a good read on her I think let's put a little bit of weight on her maybe change her shoeing around a couple of minor adjustments that we think can move her forward and i think we still have a couple of shares left so if anybody wants to get involved uh it's a good time go to thoroughcrowd.com or reach out to us on twitter uh extremely affordable you can come in for one share two shares we're happy to have you and uh we're off to a good start we got three wins on the meet so far we had another horse uh probably probably the worst beat we've had freedom bound <laughs> Yeah, man, yeah. I I I cannot believe got she the, got caught. The nice there. little opening, yeah. slip through, open, and shut. And even the track announcer thought you were home too. You know, yeah, it we, just, all, we all, yeah. I, I, just... I, I was surprised. I was I was really surprised that 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 she uh, that she got caught because the, the other horse got the jump on her, and and then she came back through and took the lead and opened up by like a length and mm-hmm. a half. And I said, all right, it's over. You know, I really I really yeah. thought she was gone. And uh, the the other Philly just came back and got her. Nobody else ran that much behind them, but nope. I mean, look, we got her for ten thousand, and she's she's nothing. now run second in allowance three times. I mean, I can't complain. You know, no, nothing to be discouraged about. Just yeah. one of those things where you, you look like you, you got the you don't want to get nosed out for a sixty four thousand dollar purse. That's no. 
It's a no. big difference. <laughs> Come back in a similar spot and be very tough again. Hopefully, right Hopefully. back there. Uh, DZ, thank you so much, buddy. Uh, we'll look forward to talking to you again. And um, oh, you know what? We'll pick. We we didn't discuss it, but I believe you are next for the pick. So in the next day or two, figure out what you want to do for our next. Okay. Old rest, old wrestling rewatch, and then we'll just uh, I'll let Andrew know, and and we can uh, we can con- reconvene next week or when we do our next one. So uh, we are in Rumble season, and for those of you who are curious, one more time, we've done deep dives of Royal Rumble ninety two, ninety four, ninety eight, two thousand two, two thousand eight, two thousand ten, two thousand fourteen, two thousand eighteen. So uh, with the one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight. You know, you got about uh, 15 plus hours there right there for you. You know, if you need about it, if you got a free day or so, there you go. You can, you can listen to all our Royal Rumble recaps. Thank you so much, buddy. Uh, we'll talk soon. All right, pal. Thanks a lot for having me. Do not go anywhere, folks. Still plenty more to come on this episode of That's What She Said. Big thank you to DZ. That was a lot of fun navigating through the years of the Royal Rumble. You get a little... Get a little nostalgic, right? I was going to say, there were three or four times you're talking, you get goosebumps. You remember those moments. I remember sitting in my parents' room with that black box watching 20 of these through the years. And all the moments when Bret Hart comes out with Austin or Flair's in there and all the different people that are coming out. wanted The 94 Rumble when Bret and Luger both kind of look at each other and it's just them two left at the end. All of those, I absolutely love them. I'll never forget those moments, and it was a blast uh, to have Darren back to to uh, help me remember all those moments through the years. And hopefully, we uh, we stirred a couple in uh, in you and uh, some of the uh, wrestling fans out there. That's gonna do it for this episode. Thanks again to Matt for helping us out, and we will have some big NFL playoff previews coming up on our next episode. Of That's what G said. We'll have. All the weekend racing for Santa Anita. We'll have weekend racing for Sam Houston. We'll have uh, some thoughts on a big Saturday at Tampa. We'll talk some stable duel. We'll get this weekend wrestling with Chad Cooper on another big episode of That's What G Said. Coming just a little later this week. Good luck, folks, and have a nice few days. Talk to you soon.